Praise the Lord. It's good to be here with you all tonight. It's uh, uh, good to be in Fresno, California. And we're trusting the Lord that he'll do something wonderful here. Uh, you know, it's amazing uh, when we're Christians and those of us that go to church and how we don't really don't really think that there's a consequence or a reward either one once we become a Christian, we just think that just being a Christian is just something we do. That's why some of us go to church sometimes, some of us don't go to church, and that's why we do what we do. And I wondered about all these things. I was raised up in a very good Christian home. I mean, a very good Christian home. And uh, uh, there was not a whole lot of sickness and disease in our home, but there was some, uh, a little. Uh, Mom had uh, some, and Dad had a little, and uh, I had a little, and uh, everything. But I didn't understand what caused things to happen. You know, I never put the two together. I mean, I just thought that if you get sick, you just get sick. You know, I mean, everybody gets sick, don't they? It seems like they do. Well, it appears that's true. And uh, I wondered why, and I don't know if you've ever thought about this or not, but I've wondered why as we go through life, some of us seem to have a whole lot more sickness or a whole lot more problems than others. And I mean, when you see a 20-year-old man or woman, you know, that's down with a terminal disease and they die. Or you see a brand new baby born somewhere in a hospital and the child's only three or four days old and the liver is failing. I mean, the liver was designed to last a hundred years plus. But yet, why does it fail in such a young person? Why is the next one born and they live and they live to be 80 or 90 years old or a hundred years old and never have a liver problem? Did you ever wonder what caused those kind of things? I did. You know, I did. And so by wondering, I guess what put me into this realm to think like this, that being an engineer and an airline pilot, if we had a problem anywhere in engineering or in the aviation field, if something happened to an airplane, we wanted to know why. We wanted to know what caused it to fail. In other words, we used to take engines on airplanes, especially when they first came out with a jet engine. We didn't know how long these things were going to run. So they'd done inspections on them so regularly to check them, and they found out that with the materials we made them out of, they would go a certain number of hours. If you didn't do anything wrong, if you didn't overboost the engines, you didn't do anything like that, they would just run and run and run to a certain limit. And then always at a time, there was a time when the engines would begin to fail. So what you would do, you would take back this side of that period of time where the engines begin to fail, and you'd pull them off and do a major overhaul on them so you wouldn't have a problem. Because I was thinking today as we were flying across these mountains coming in here, I was talking with Ty, our associate pastor up here of the church, I was talking with him as we flew across some of these mountains out here. There's mountains between here and Texas that are almost 14,000, 15,000 feet tall. I said, isn't it amazing how you could take a light airplane 
and you could fly at almost the service ceiling of that airplane and just barely be able to get over these mountains. And a lot of small airplanes won't fly over those mountains. You know, a jet will, but the little ones won't. And some of them won't. And I, I think about all of these things and why we do all these things. Well, we do these things to prevent people from getting hurt. You know, so we take an airplane and we figure out, and of course the average small airplane, you know, they've got, depending on the type of engine and everything, they will have something like, say, a 1,400-hour engine. That's amazing. A given type of engine, they've come to find out these engines or this airplane driven at these performance levels will only run 1,400 hours, and then you have to overhaul them. And then they find another engine, it'll run 1,800 hours. And then they find another one, it'll run 2,000 hours. There's all kinds of differences. Well, why? You know, it's amazing when you wonder about this and then you look at the human being. Well, now, the human being, when you look at the human being, when God originally designed and built the human being, how long did he plan for the human being to live? Forever. Forever. We were designed and built to never fail. We were going to live forever. Isn't that amazing? And now then we've got this thing down to where they think, gee, we have really extended the human life in America. Now the average lifespan's up to about 75. Something like that. Yet we started out to live forever. Now we got it back up to 75. You know, that doesn't seem to compute in my head. You know, here's this beautiful thing that God made and put us in if it was originally designed to live forever. And now we've got it where it only lives about 75 or 80, maybe somewhere. If you live to be 80 years old today, you're considered to be fairly fortunate. You know that? Because lots of people die a lot earlier. Well, I wanted to know why that was. If we were designed to live forever. And in the scriptures, when we start reading them, we realize that in the beginning, before there was any sin or anything, that we did anything wrong, when we were literally in charge of this earth, the first group of people that were here lived, it wasn't uncommon at all for them to live 800 or 1,000 years. We read about that in the scriptures. And somebody is saying, gee, Methuselah, he was old. He lived 969 years. But all of those people lived like that back there, 900 or 1,000 years old. Well, if they were designed to live forever and they started out and they lived, some of them, six, seven, eight, nine hundred, a thousand years, and then they died. Why is it today that we live such a short period of time? I mean, if you're a hundred today, how many people do you know that's a hundred that's still running around doing cartwheels? <laughs> doing handsprings, doing swinging on the monkey bars, you know? You don't see them, do you? We, we don't, we're not there. So you never think about why. The average person just doesn't think about why. So the average person today, when we get over 50, we automatically start confessing, I am old. You know that? I mean, uh, in fact, I had a lady come with me the other day with tears in her eyes and said, Pastor, I want you to pray for me. I need to, I need to have a, a good husband. She said, I am so old. I don't know if I'll ever get married or not. I looked at this beautiful young woman. I said, would you mind telling me how old you are, young lady? 
Oh, she said, I don't want to do that. I'm so old. I mean, she was a beautiful young woman. I mean, it depends on who you're talking about. But I finally enticed her. I said, ma'am, I really would like to know before I pray for you how ancient you are. So I would know what kind of a husband to pray for you for. I said, so something's really deceiving here. You know, I mean, to me, she looked very young and very beautiful. But in her eyes, she was very old and, and not pretty at all. And she didn't love herself at all. So after I finally enticed her, she said, well, if you won't ever tell anybody how old I am, I will tell you. So I won't give her name, therefore I won't break the rule that I promised her. She said, I am 29. And she saw herself as an old woman at 29. Now see, when we begin to see ourselves as old and begin to confess that, our body hears us talking. And our body responds to those negative words. And if you see yourself old at 29, and if you don't love yourself, that woman did not realize that she was cutting her life short because of her own words. She was yielding to the forces of darkness that was tempting her to confess that she was an old woman and that she could probably not ever have a good uh, godly husband, or as 29, for those of you, and I, I don't know, but there appears to be one or two of y'all in here besides me that have exceeded the 29 mark. <laughs> you know, I passed that a long time ago, but uh, with what Cheryl, my lovely bride, was singing her and Christy there a while ago, that... Until I was in my mid-40s, I had quite a bit of sickness and disease. But that word sozo that they were singing about a while ago, S-O-Z-O, and by the way, I'm sure that we have a whole bunch of those uh, CDs back there. And, of course, not only do they have that one song on there, but there's, there's ten. Ten beautiful Christian songs that Cheryl wrote and that her and Christy sang. And, and they're professionally done in a studio so, you know, they're really, really good quality. But anyway, that, that word sozo, that word, and I want to talk about that word just a few minutes because that one word changed my life forever. Forever. Anytime a word can have that kind of an impact on a single human being, everybody needs to know what that word means. Now, to think that I've been raised in a good Christian home, I went to church all of my life, and if you, can, if you found anybody, you could think, this is a good Christian man because of what I see, because he goes to Sunday school, he goes to worship service, he goes to Sunday evening church, he goes to Tuesday night visitation, he goes to Wednesday night Bible study class, he maintains the buses at the church, he serves as a Sunday school teacher, he serves as a deacon, he serves in every board, anybody calls him to do anything for the church, he's there, you would think, this man is a perfect Christian. But why is he sick? Why is he sick so often? Why is he down in his back? Why does he have all these problems? Good question, isn't it? Well, I'll have to tell you that used to, whenever I would go to the doctor with my back, which I had to go quite often, whenever I would go in and my back would be killing me. I mean, I couldn't pick up anything. I couldn't hardly bend over. I mean, whenever my back would go out, I mean, 
the pain was so excruciating that I couldn't even reach up, raise my toe up to step on the brake pedal. It'd feel like somebody hit me in the back with a two-by-four. I didn't understand what caused it. I didn't understand how the enemy works. Just didn't know these things. But anyway, you ask the doctor. Doctor, why am I having all these back problems? He said, well, you're just a tall, slim guy. And so tall, slim people usually have back trouble. So, I mean, if a doctor tells you that, you receive that. Because you think doctors know everything. And then you find out they don't know everything. Because the next time I'm in there, I've got a back problem, and there's a short, fat guy in there, and he's got a back problem. <laughs> so now that, I mean, you know, you know, there's tall people, tall, fat ones, tall, skinny ones, short ones, fat ones, everything and everywhere in between. But I've come to realize now, it doesn't make any difference how old you are, how young you are, how tall you are, how fat you are, how short you are. You can have back trouble. And I, since I have gotten rid of my back problem through learning this magnificent word, sozo, God, in my absolute dedicated study of how to get my back healed, he has put a special anointing on me for backs. I mean, I had prayed for people. I couldn't even tell you the number of people I prayed for over the telephone, and some of them thousands of miles away, and some of them were backs that people couldn't stand up at all. Some of them were backs that had been totally crushed in an accident. And I could not tell you how many of those backs God has instantly healed when I prayed for. But many of them, many of them, you know, so, you know, if you've got back troubles tonight before you go home, we want to make sure we pray for you because I'm going to guarantee you if you'll do what God says, He will heal your back. You don't have to have a bad back. You know, I mean, I didn't know the difference. And so I had lots of back trouble. But anyway, through my study of God's Word, this song that Cheryl has written called Sozo Me, Lord, one night as a good Southern Baptist. Now, I don't know if you all you may not have ever heard of a Southern Baptist, but there's a lot of them around. I was one of them for a long, long time. And, I mean, a good churchgoer and everything, and a student of the Word of God read and studied it, but I guess I didn't believe what I read. I would read the book, I would see the promises, but I didn't believe what I was reading. I really didn't. You know, you just, you think you do, but you don't. Well, I certainly didn't. But anyway, one night I was reading in a scripture that we Baptists used often, and the scripture was Romans chapter 10, verse 8, 9, and 10. And that scripture says, but what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we preach. That if you will confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and you will believe in your heart that the Father raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Did you know that God made salvation so simple through the blood of his Son that any human being alive on the face of the earth today it makes no difference who you are. It makes no difference what color, creed, nationality, or anything else you are. If you'll come to Jesus and you will accept Jesus Christ by faith as the Savior of the world and as your Savior and your Deliverer, when you accept Him as your Savior and confess that Jesus is my Lord and I believe that in my heart, you immediately become a child of God. 
you're saved right there. He made it so simple that a four-year-old child can receive him as Savior. It is the simplest thing in the world. And many people, and I, I feel most of you in this room tonight have done that. But if you have not accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I have news for you. He's waiting for you to make that decision so that you can become a born-again child of God. And he never turns down anybody. That's a beautiful part. He says, I come to save the whole world. So anybody that comes to Jesus and says, I want Jesus as my Lord and Savior, he will save you and he will in no wise turn you away. But I did that, I did that when I was an 11-year-old child. I received Jesus Christ in a little Southern Baptist church in Cross Plains, Texas, and I received him only as my Savior. That's all I knew he did. I didn't know he was a healer, the deliverer, the preserver. I didn't, I didn't know all those things. So since he's a faith God, over the years I started studying the Word of God. When I started studying this magnificent book, the Word of God, over the years, and I studied it pretty intently, I mean really, spent a lot of hours every week reading and studying God's Word, one night, way after even, well, computers had just came out. They'd only been out just a couple of years. Now, some of you people, some of you younger people in the room today, you don't even remember when there was not computers. But let me tell you, I remember when there was not computers. You know, there was no desktop computers. Do you realize the first desktop computer came out in 1980? You know, it hadn't been very long ago. Only 26 years ago. The first desktop computer came out. Well, there's been a lot of changes in the last 26 years in computers. I mean, they do things now that just blow you away compared to what they would do then. I could out, I mean, I don't type. I didn't take typing in high school. But I could out-type the first 4 megahertz machine that was out there. You know, I could out-type it. You know, I had to, you'd have to wait on it. And I thought, wow. But, you know, it's not like they got today. They're lightning fast, you know. Who ever heard of gigahertz, you know? I mean, gigahertz, give me a break. They didn't know what that number was when I was in high school. But now we know what it is. But they're so fast and they do so many things. But anyway, I had a software package on a computer that whenever I could go and I could look up or see any scripture, any text in the Bible, and when I pulled it up in the King James, right along beside it, it would pull in, the if it was a New Testament, it would pull in the Greek text, and down underneath the bottom, if I happened to highlight a word in the English Greek, I mean, in the English New Testament, in the King James, when I highlighted a word, it would automatically highlight that word in the Greek. And then when I did that, it would pull in down underneath the Greek, the definition in English of what that word meant. Well, that night I was in verse 9 of Romans chapter 10, verse uh, uh, 9, and, and when it says, if you will confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you will be saved. I just highlighted the word saved. Divine appointment. I'm telling you, God had a divine appointment for me that night. When I highlighted the word saved, it pulled into the Greek text the word sozo. S-O-Z-O. Now, I would never heard of the word sozo. That was totally a new word to me. But when... I pulled that word in and it highlighted the word sozo down at the bottom where the dictionary was. It said that word means saved, healed, made whole, delivered, and preserved. 
And I thought, now isn't that strange that that one Greek word has five English meanings? And so I went back up and highlighted the word sozo, and I told the computer, tell me how many places in the Greek text that word sozo is used. Well, immediately it went back from Matthew all the way to Revelation, and it told me that word was used 120 times in 103 different verses. Now let me tell you, if I tell you something one time, I mean something. But if I tell you the same thing twice, you better pay attention. And if I tell you three times, you really better pay attention. Because I mean what I say. But if I tell you something 120 times, you better know for sure I got a message for you. And I mean what I say. Well, God put that word in his word 120 times in 103 different verses. He meant for me to find it. He meant for you to find it. But most of us are like I was. I had never found that word. So I went back to the book of Matthew and I started reading those verses. As I read every one of them all the way through the book of Revelation, it took me hours and hours to read all those. Well, at the end of that, I told the Lord, I mean, I'm sitting there at my computer. I said, Lord, I guess right now I am probably more confused than I've ever been in my life. I mean, if what I have just read is true, this book says that not only did you save me on the cross 2,000 years ago, but you healed me, you delivered me, you preserved me, and you made me whole 2,000 years ago. I said, now, I do not understand this because I got the part that says I was saved and I received you as my Savior when I was 11. But, Lord, I didn't know you were the healer. It looks like that not only did you save me 2,000 years ago, but you healed me 2,000 years ago. I said, now, Lord, if you technically healed me 2,000 years ago, then why have I been sick so many times since I was 11 years old? That sounds like a good question to ask, doesn't it? Never dreamed he would talk to me. But he was listening. And he spoke to me in a voice that sounded just like I'm talking to you right now. He said, son, the reason you have been sick so many times is because you have never received me as your healer by faith in my word. I said, Lord, I have to do everything by faith? He said, without faith, it is impossible to please me. Has anybody ever read a scripture in the Bible that sounds just like that? That's written in Hebrews 11, 6. Without faith, it's impossible to please me. Then there's many places where he said in the New Testament, if you have faith and doubt not, nothing shall be impossible with you. We don't believe that either. But he says it. So I hadn't believed any of these things, although these scriptures are in the Word of God. I didn't know them. I mean, I was a good Christian. I went to church. I studied the Word. I taught, the, I taught Sunday school. I was a Baptist deacon. I mean, you know, I, I was in the Word. But this book is so powerful, I didn't believe it. I really didn't believe it. And so by not believing it, I thought, if you'd asked me, do you believe the Bible? You know what I'd have told you? I believe every word of it from Genesis to Maps. I mean, I'd have told you I believe everything in this book. I'm a Christian. I believe God. But that wasn't true. 
But to the best of my knowledge, that was true. But I didn't understand and I didn't have the revelation that I needed. So that night, when I received Jesus as my healer, I fell on my knees right there. I said, Lord, I see it. I said, I see now that you are a faith God, and I have to do everything by faith. And if I don't do it by faith, I don't get it. And so I knelt there, and I prayed, and I received Jesus as my healer. I said, now, Lord, if you bore the price for me, I'm going to do exactly what I've learned now. I am also learning what we're going to talk about here in a few minutes, that if you sin after you become a Christian, you open the door for the devil. I didn't know that principle either. But I now do know that principle, and I know that principle well. I've learned that the hard way. But I now know a lot of things I didn't know when I was 11 and even when I was 40. Now, I'm a, a little older than 40 now, not much, just a couple of years, you know, just a few years past 40. But I'm still 17, technically speaking. You know, so if, uh, you don't know what I mean, but that's a private joke between me and my wife. You know, see, really, technically, I'm 67, going to be 68 in, in December. But uh, since I've learned this and learned how to stand on God's promises, I can do anything I could do when I was 17. You know, anything. And I received the Lord as my, my deliverer, my healer, my youthful master, the one that renews my youth like the eagles, because all these promises are written in His Word. So I don't get old anymore. I just get better. <laughs> that's the way it is. And that's the way anybody can do it because God is no respecter of person. You know, He will do for you what He'll do for me. And that's a beautiful thing I've learned about God. He does not love one of us more than the other. He does not show any favoritism one to the other. He treats every one of us with the exact same thing. So if you sin like I did, you could have back trouble or any number of other problems or pains like I did all those years until I received Jesus as my healer. Well, over 20 years ago, I had had many times I'd been to the hospital with back problems and lots of things. But when I received Jesus by faith from the Word of God as my healer, when I found the definition of that word, so-so, from that day to this, I have never had a sick day. Now, I've had problems when the enemy would come up on me and try to put something on me, but it did not keep me down. I mean, there would be... I've missed probably eight or ten good opportunities in the last 20 or 25 years to be sick. I'm not sure you understand what I mean there either. But you know, when you wake up in the morning, let's say the enemy comes by to put you to the test. And you will understand what I mean. You wake up some morning and you have a headache or a runny nose. Well, the average person, even as a Christian, does not know that's the enemy creeping up on, on you. And so, by not knowing that, you just go to the medicine cabinet and say, well, I've got to go to work today. I must be coming down with the flu. And, you know, usually the flu only lasts about two to three or four weeks. And then if I take the right medication, I'll be over it in about three weeks. <laughs> and so, you're saying that. And so, the enemy has legal right to keep you down now for three weeks because your confession is, it usually takes about three weeks for me to get over the flu. And so you start taking medication, and then sometimes you may find something new. They say, if you'll take this, 
you can get over it in two weeks. And you believe that. And so then you start confessing, well, this new drug, I can take this in two weeks, I should be over this. And sure enough, in about two weeks, you're over it. Well, you didn't have to have it at all. But I didn't know those things. But then I've learned that whenever I wake up in the morning and there's any kind of a symptom upon me, the first thing I've learned to do is, Lord, have I opened the door to a demonic spirit? Have I committed a sin? Have I said something I shouldn't have said? Have I done anything that did not line up with your word? Because the word of God clearly says, if you walk totally, completely in obedience to God's word, he will protect you from the devil. He will protect you from all sickness and disease, and you won't ever have to have any sickness and disease. Now, that is a guarantee from God. And before this session is over, before we get through with these three days we're going to be here, I will cover all of those scriptures in detail that will prove to you what I'm talking about. Because I would never make a statement like that I couldn't back up with scripture from God's word. Because the average Christian is like I was. They didn't believe that. They didn't believe it was possible to walk without being sick. Well, number one, that's a sin. Because Jesus has already, according to Matthew 8, 17, Jesus has already bore your sickness and removed your disease. So if Jesus bore your sickness and removed your disease, then the king didn't plan for you to be sick as his child. He didn't plan for you to sin either. But how many of us go out and sin regularly? Most of us. I used to. I didn't commit any gross sins, like someone told me this afternoon. Gross sin, you know, murder, adultery, those kind of things. We knew that was wrong. But, you know, to, you know, talk about somebody, you know, we gossip a little bit, you know, or maybe tell a dirty joke or something like that, or a little coarse jesting or something like that. That's not a sin. You know, God wouldn't hold that against me. But that's not true. In the Word of God, He puts those same sins like joking and jesting and he puts those in the same category with fornication, you know, sexual uncleanliness. He puts them in the same category. So if we go up about telling dirty jokes or, or, or doing all kinds of crazy things, get angry with somebody without a cause or, or grumbling and complaining, who would ever dream that grumbling and complaining would make you sick? But it will because it's a spiritual law. And we'll talk about it some in detail, I'm sure. Because the Word of God says in Philippians 2.14, do everything without grumbling and complaining. Now, since God said that, who would ever think that God would be behind that to enforce that? If you don't do it, He will send sickness and disease to your body or pain. It's, that's amazing, isn't it? But He will. He absolutely will. In fact, right there, I might tell you that there was a little lady uh, that comes to my church regularly. She was there at Tuesday night Bible study one night, and when she walked in, I noticed she walked in with her head all bent over like this. I said, what's wrong with you? She said, oh, before I leave tonight, I've got to have you pray for me. She said, I have a crick in my neck. been here the last couple, two or three days, and she said, I just can't get rid of it. Have any of you ever had a crick in your neck? Sure, almost everybody has, almost, but you never dreamed that there was a reason for it to be there. You know, I didn't. But this girl, she didn't dream of this either. So anyway, that night when I was teaching, I was in uh, the book of Philippians. Well, I happened to come over to Philippians chapter 2, verse 14, 
where the Lord says, do all things without grumbling and complaining. Stop and let that soak in. What did he say? Do what? Without grumbling and complaining. Now, you don't think God would really hold you accountable to that, do you? Oh, he would. Oh, he will. Well, if he will, then I know a whole bunch of Christians that's in trouble, don't you? Yes, because, see, that's a spiritual law, and all of God's Word is spiritual law. So, I didn't know those things. This little girl, she's a precious little lady, she didn't know those things. So, she goes to work one Monday morning, uh, and all of a sudden, a few things didn't go right at work. Anybody ever had a day like that, when you went to work and a few things went wrong, one or two or three? And, you know, what did you go around saying, praise the Lord, thank you, Jesus, that this went wrong today? But see, we should have, right? He said, do all things with thanksgiving, praising His holy name. But she wasn't doing that, but she was doing exactly opposite of what God says. He said, do all things without grumbling and complaining. Well, of course, when a few things went wrong at work, what did she do? She fell right into that rut, started grumbling and complaining. Oh, my goodness gracious, this is goes wrong. And then, now, if that's not a, this is wrong. Well, then the next day, since she grumbled and complained today, she had more things to contend with. She didn't pass her test. So God's given her an opportunity to try it again. See, we failed to see this. We're going around the mountain. You know, some of you may or may not know what I'm talking about, going around the mountain. But see, Israel, they failed their test. And they marched around the mountain in the wilderness for 40 years. And none of them passed their test. They all died. And none of them entered God's rest. Because every person that was 20 years old and older died in the next 40 years in the wilderness. And none of them, not one of them, entered His rest. Now that's terrible, isn't it? But it's because of grumbling and complaining. Well, they didn't ever pass their test. So he'll give you another opportunity tomorrow to try it again. But he'll add a little bit more to it. In other words, let me, let me make it a statement like this. If you, and I'm not sure here, I don't know how big a city this is. I don't know how much traffic you have and everything. But I know in the Dallas-Fort area, we have some bad traffic in the morning, bad traffic in the afternoon. I mean, you know, during, if you want to, if you want to go somewhere in Dallas from, Oh, 11 o'clock at night till 4 in the morning, it's usually pretty, you know, the roads are pretty good. You know, you've got to zip along at, you know, speed limit. But it's amazing how there can be so few cars on the road, but yet after about 6 in the morning, and then especially at 7 or 8, and like us this morning, we allowed, it's been so long since we've gone to Dallas at those hours, I thought, well, 30 minutes, we can get to the airport in 30 minutes. Well, by the time we got to the airport and got parked, I said, wrong, we need an hour. And that's what it took us to get there, almost an hour to get, because the traffic was awful. And you know what you have a tendency to want to do? Grumble and complain. But I know better. I praise the Lord. You know, so we managed to get through it pretty quick. And, you know, it just a little less than an hour, but I thought it would only take us 30 minutes. But this little girl, the second day she came in, there was more things went wrong. So since more things went wrong, Instead of saying, Lord, I praise you and thank you for this opportunity to do great things for you today. And I know you're going to be here with me and help me overcome all this. She fell into grumbling and complaining. Well, day two and day three got worse. And day four is worse. And day five is worse. 
And then by the weekend, she wakes up with this crick in her neck, see. So all of her work's getting more and more intensified all week. Now then, the crick comes in her neck. And by Sunday and Monday, the crick is getting worse. And Tuesday night at Bible study, it's all drawn over to the side and she's in terrible pain. So that night when I'm teaching on Philippians 2, when I come to verse 14, I said, Here the king says, Do all things without murmuring and disputing or grumbling and complaining. Now you can read that real easy and miss it in the King James. Do all things without murmuring or disputing, which means grumbling and complaining. That's what it means. Some translations literally say, Do all things without grumbling and complaining. Now wait a minute, do how many things? Now see, he's pretty inclusive, isn't he? Do all things without grumbling and complaining. But she had grumbled and complained. I said, now then, if you grumble and complain when things happen to you, it will get worse tomorrow, and then worse the next day, and worse the next day, until finally it will bring some kind of pain or sickness and disease into your body. And I said, it will do it. And she thought to herself, that's me. That's exactly what I've done in the last week. I mean, Monday, a week ago, I come to work and have a couple of little problems. I grumbled about them. The next day, they was worse, and I grumbled. And every day, they got more. And then by the weekend, I had this crick, and I grumbled about this. And now then today, I can't even move my neck up, and the pain is killing me. And she said, Lord, I have missed it. I repent. She's sitting at her seat, and she's just talking silently to God. Do you think God hears you when you talk silently? Sure he does. She didn't want to disturb the service. So she said, Lord, I repent. I grumbled. That's all I've done this last week is grumble. And she said, Lord, forgive me. And I make you a promise I will not grumble no more. And guess what happened to her crick? It instantly left. It went away. And she straightened her neck up. Now, when you repent, what does God say he does when you repent of your sin? Does he forgive you? Yes. Sure he does. And, you know, it's amazing. All through the scriptures, when you begin to see it, you begin to see God put things in his scripture in a certain way. He said, I am the God that forgives all of your iniquities or all of your sins. But you've got to ask. And then he says, I'm the God that heals all of your diseases. You will never find one time where he says, I heal all of your diseases and then I forgive all of your sins. He'll put it in there like that. And I thought, isn't this amazing how the order, he puts everything in there precisely in a given order. You just don't put this together until you really start studying the Word. But when you start studying, you see this, 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 this plan that he's got. And so the minute this little girl repented of her sins, God forgave her sins, and then he immediately healed. He, he drove away that spirit that was causing, because what that was? That was a demon. Mm-hmm. That was a spirit of hell, a demon that when you grumble and complain, in fact, something that it took me a lot of years as a student of the Word of God to get a hold of the picture of what's really going on on the earth. I mean, it's amazing how clear it is now that I've seen it, but for years I didn't see it, and I didn't understand why some people are sick, some people are not sick, why some people are blessed and some people are not blessed. But finally one day, from a dedicated study of the Word of God, and we're going to talk about this in detail here in just a few minutes, 
I'm going to go into all this and I'm going to teach you about what causes curses to come upon you or sickness and disease. And I'm going to teach you what causes blessings to come upon you. Now, everybody wants to be blessed. Now then, uh, when I say that, I, I see if we've got some young people here. I don't think that any of these young people look like they're sitting with their parents. Probably probably none of those children like for daddy to get the switch out. You know? And is, they, they know what a switch is? They, oh, okay. What, what, whatever the alternative you use, you know, sometimes daddy uses a switch, sometimes they use alternatives, but whatever it is, they don't like it when he gets those out, whatever it is. But guess what? One thing I come to learn real quick as a young person, my daddy had a thing that was about this wide and about this long, and it was called a leather razor strap. Oh, there's a lady, she remembers those days too. Well, I found out right quick that Daddy never used that razor strap for anything except sharpening his razor as long as I was a good boy. You know, when I'm a good boy, he never used it. But when I was a bad boy, it had two purposes. One he used to sharpen his razor with, and the other he used to flatten my backside with. And I didn't like it when he used it to flatten my backside. So I learned real quick that I could live under the curse or I could live under the bless. And the blessing, Dad left it on the wall to sharpen his razor with. The curse was when he took it off the wall and wore out my backside. And I didn't like that part. So I learned real quick to walk in obedience to Daddy's requirements, and then I got blessed. I didn't ever have to suffer the consequences. So it didn't take me long. But, of course, I had to put Daddy to the test a few times to find out what he's going to do. Now, I've never seen a child that does not put their Daddy to the test. <laughs> Y'all that's raised children, you know what I'm talking about, right? They will put you to the test. But let me tell you, the rod of correction will straighten them up. The, Lord, the Word of God says the rod of correction will drive the evil far from your children. So if you've got children and you don't use a rod of correction in love, you're doing your children an injustice because your children have to learn to fall under authority. If they don't, they will never fall under the authority of God's Word and their life will not be long on this earth. They will not believe God's Word. They'll not do what He says. And therefore, when He sends discipline to them and He'll send it in the area a lot of times in sickness and disease and they'll never get the idea that what's happening, and that's something I've learned today, that I didn't know this principle. I knew the Word of God says God chastens His children, but I didn't certainly know He chastened them with sickness and disease. In fact, I, you know, I asked questions about that, and people would say, absolutely, God, I mean, I'd read something like that in the Scripture, and I'd go to somebody and say, look here, it says right here that God chastens His children with, or disciplines his children with sickness and disease. What do you think about this? They say, oh, no, 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 God would never do nothing like that to you. He loves you. I, I, that's, what they, that's what I was taught. But let me tell you, I love my children. I raised two of them. I love them. But did I ever have to get the, the switch down to them? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, my children put me to the test a few times. But by the time they were six or eight or ten years old, they had pretty well learned that he meant what he said. 
And so after they learned that Daddy meant what he said, they knew they had to straighten their act up. And if they walked in obedience to the rules that I made, they never got a thanking. They got a blessing. And, and they loved blessings. They didn't like discipline. You know, but I loved them. I had to discipline them. Well, let me tell you, God loves you. And he loves you with all his heart. And that's why he disciplines you. And a lot of the time, the discipline that he puts upon you comes upon you in the form of sickness and disease. Now, what is it that brings that sickness and disease? It's a demon. It's an invisible being called Satan and his host of demons. Now then, when you learn that if you walk holy and obedient to God's word, he don't send those guys. He don't like to send those things to you. He only sends them to you when you disobey. Now, we're going to study the scripture here in detail to talk about these things. Now, but if you'll walk in obedience to his word, doing everything he says, and walk in a love relationship to God and to your neighbor and to yourself, I can guarantee you, you can walk without sickness and disease. Because when I received Jesus as my Savior, when I was 11, I've been saved ever since. I've walked with him. I've been obedient to him. But I had never received him as my healer till I was in my mid-40s. At that time, up to that time, I'd had much sickness and disease. But when I received Jesus as my healer in my mid-40s, from that day to this, I've never been sick again. Now then, if God will do that for me, he'll do it for you. And of course, since I've learned these principles, I've talked them to many people. Many people, in fact, nearly everybody that works with us in the ministry, not everybody, but almost everybody, has received some kind of a tremendous magnificent healing from God. I mean, nearly everybody that works for us has received some kind of wonderful healing from Jesus. And I mean, I'm talking about, in fact, Dave that's sitting back here, uh, he, the guy that does picture of our sound, he's a computer science engineer. He's sitting back there in the back. Hold your hand up, Dave. Everybody can see you. That gentleman back there, his mother's back there with him. His wife, his mother lives here. And that's the main reason Dave came with us this time, because his family lives right here in this area. And we were so glad to be able to be able to bring Dave with us and, and his beautiful wife and their little son. They came with us this time because this is where his family lives. But Dave had had an incurable disease all of his life. And the doctors, he'd been to doctors and spent thousands of dollars, and there was nothing they could do for his disease. It's incurable. He was born with it. He was born under a curse. Now, who knows, who knows what portion of his family, how far back, had opened the door to the devil because every family opens the door to the devil. So all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So you, we can't never say, well, shame on you or shame on you. You think of when you do, you got one finger pointing at him, three pointing back at you. You know, so you can't ever do that. But somewhere a door had been opened in that family for that particular spirit to come upon that family. And, of course, the doctors would tell you that's in your DNA there's not anything can be done, and it will be passed to children in every generation. But I told Dave, that's not true. That's a demon. We can break that curse. We can get you set free. We can get you healed. Well, he did everything the Word of God excuse me, told him to do, and it took him well over 18 months of intensive fighting with the Word of God 
but he overcame by faith with the Word of God an incurable disease, and today he's totally well. Totally well. And that beautiful little boy sitting in his wife's lap back there, which they said he could never have children because his children would be afflicted with the same thing. That little guy does not have one single sign of any kind of sickness and disease. He's a beautiful, precious little boy. And now then that they've had one and he's growing up, now then they're going to have a second one. His wife's pregnant with the second one. But, you know, children are a blessing. Everybody wants children. You know, I mean, they, I mean, I wouldn't take nothing for mine. Uh, we only had two. Uh, but my daughter, of course, was killed in that car wreck uh, five years ago uh, with her mother. You know, and uh, that was an awful thing. That was the greatest test of faith that I ever went through. You know, that I had to fight a fight of faith. I had no idea what was going to happen. But let me tell you, if you're sitting here tonight with your mate, you better love them and you better be good to them because you don't know what tomorrow holds. You don't know what tomorrow holds. You know, I mean, we go through life thinking, oh, well, you know, I mean, even sometimes Cheryl and I, uh, you know, as we get up in the morning, we start to go somewhere. Sometimes she'll start to go somewhere and, you know, we may just have a kiss in a fly, you know, and just, hi, bye, honey, I'll see you in a little while. But you think she's going to be back in a little while. Or she thinks I'm going to be back in a little while. And that's what we plan. But, you know, that might not be true. You don't know what the day holds, do you? So I didn't know what that day held five years ago. I didn't know my wife and my daughter were going to be killed in a head-on car truck incident in October the 13th, 2001. My grandbaby was going to be technically killed and a little, another little girl technically almost killed. But I know on this earth that we're fighting a set of battles with this invisible world that comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. Well, I do know enough of the Word of God to know what the Word of God says and what I can do when the devil strikes. I can make sure I've got every sin repented of. And then if I stand on God's Word and I know God's Word, I can see him do mighty miracles. So if you haven't heard the story about my granddaughter and Kelly, we've got some of those DVDs and CDs back there. You can get those. It's called Caitlin's Miracle, the, the normal one, and Caitlin's Miracle 2 is uh, even a, a, a different description of it, more in depth and in uh, detail. But the DVD we have back there, uh, one of those DVDs, is a 30-minute uh, show that was done professionally on the Sid Ross show uh, back about four years ago after she fully recovered. Now, the, just to give you an idea of what you can do before we get into the study of what makes you sick, if, when, if you're walking in obedience to God's Word, if you're believing Him, you're loving Him, you're studying His Word, and His Word's hidden in your heart, and you know Christ is in you, the hope of glory. There is no limitations to what God said you can ask Him for. No limitations. You know, He promised you, just like this scripture I used for Caitlin's miracle, my granddaughter, it was John 15, 7. And Jesus, in John 15, 7, I had read that scripture Many times, you know, when I was serving as a Sunday school teacher, I never taught it because I thought this verse is so powerful. What in the world does God mean when he says, if, 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 you notice that big if there? If you remain in me and my words remain in you, then you can ask me, God, for 
anything and I will do it for you. Now see, we don't really think he means what he says, do we? Of course we don't. If we did, we would stand on those promises. But whenever this incident came upon me and my family, and here's my granddaughter lying there. And my wife at that time and my daughter were killed in that head-on car truck accident. I mean, they were just brutally slaughtered in that instant. Tore them all to pieces. But my little granddaughter was almost that bad. Give you an idea of what she looked like. When I got to the hospital... Her face was tore all to pieces. It was cut, lacerated, bruised, all the bones around her eyes where she hit the seat in front of her at 140 mile an hour closure speed. You know how fast 140 miles an hour is? I mean, when a truck going 70 and a car going 70 and it hit headlights to headlights, that's an awful impact. And they bounced back and stopped right in the road, almost stopped dead still right where they hit. I mean, it was an awful impact. Well, my little granddaughter went forward and hit the seat in front of her face first. It broke all the bones in her eyes, crushed her skull, busted a hole completely through her head right here in the front, crushed her skull in five places. But then on the inside, when the brain went forward into the cavity, it jerked it loose from the back. You know how many of those little cords they are that go from the brain stem down through your body and make everything in your body work? There's probably thousands of them. I don't have any idea. Ty, do you have any idea how many there are? There's bunches of them, aren't they? That's all. He's a doctor, so I ask him these technical questions. But there's, there's bunches of those little cords, but it jerked that loose. Now, that's what tells you to move and to breathe and to cough and everything. In other words, when I want to move a finger... There's something that comes from my brain that goes down to tell that finger to move, you know. And I can tell it to do it, and it will do it. You know, now, all those were disconnected in my granddaughter. It jerked them all loose. Then when the brain snapped back, then the cords that are connected to the eyes, it jerked them out of the brain also. So technically speaking, the brain, I was told by the head of neurology... The brain is technically free-floating in the head of my granddaughter. And he said, it's over. She's going to die. But that wasn't all that was wrong with her. Her lungs were crushed, her right knee was crushed, and her left leg broken in two places. I mean, my goodness, what, what else could you possibly do to a little three-year-old child? That's pretty awful, isn't it? I mean, that's just awful to think about that. But the other little girl that was with her, Kelly, she was six years old, and her seatbelt helped, but it absolutely, her head went far enough forward when she went forward, although the seatbelt helped, and the seat came back, and her head hit the back of the seat and just laid her head open right above her eyes, plumb back to about right here, just scalped her. And the seatbelt, by holding, it crushed her pelvis all the way around it's crushed them. When I walked in that room and looked at that little girl laying there, the doctor says, she may live, but it'll be, she'll have brain damage when she recovers from the head injury, and it'll be two and a half to three months minimum before she can walk with a walker, before she can even stand with a walker. Now, what do you, as a Christian, what do you normally do when a doctor gives you that kind of a diagnosis? You receive it. 
the average Christian will receive those statements made by a doctor and the doctor's right in what he sees in the physical world. Because without faith, what he says is exactly what's going to happen. It's a proven fact. They've done it over and over and over. But we as Christians, if we're walking in obedience to God's Word, we're not supposed to live there. We're supposed to live in a supernatural place. We are children of a supernatural God. And He's made us a lot of supernatural promises. Like Ty says so often, we pray and do the natural, and then God shows up to do the supernatural. And that's what we expect Him to do, because He is a supernatural God, and He's our Daddy. We're His sons and daughters. And He loves to do things for His children when we're obedient. That's what He loves. Well, I've done everything I knew how to be obedient. I've served Him, loved Him, worshipped Him. I've done everything walking as holy as I knew how. I'd studied His Word for thousands of hours, so I knew the Word. And so that evening, or that afternoon, when I got to the hospital, they told me Kelly might not live. But if she did live, she'd have brain damage. And it would be two and a half, three months before she could stand because of the crushed pelvis. I turned to, in my heart, I had this scripture in my heart. It's John 16, 23 and 24. Now, if you've got your Bible here, I'd like for you to turn and look at that Scripture because you need to see that what I'm telling you is the truth from God's Word. Now, God wrote this book to you just like He did to me. He didn't just write this book just to me. He wrote this book to His children. Are you His child? Okay, He wrote it to you, ma'am. He wrote it to you. These promises are for you. They're for you. Now, John 16, 23 and 24... When you find John 16, 23, and 24, it should read something like this, depending on the translation you have. Before this day, you have asked me nothing. But from this day forth, you can ask the Father in my name. What? What can you ask? You can ask the Father what? Anything. Oh, wait a minute. That's got to be a misprint. That couldn't mean anything, did it? Is that what he said? Uh, he really said you could ask for anything? There's a young man, but hey, he's reading his too. If the Lord said you can ask for anything, son, you think Jesus meant that? Yes, he means that. That boy believes God. Guaranteed. Right? That's the best kind to catch them when they're about this age and younger. That's when they believe God. It's when we get old like us, that's when we have problems believing the written word of the living God. When you're young, if Jesus said it, hey, that's good enough for me. I believe it. Well, say, let the faith of a child, when we get to where we can never forget that, I don't care whether you're 40 years old, 60 years old, or 150 years old, you're still a child of God. Amen. Just a little child. And you need to keep that kind of faith. But it says, you can ask the Lord for anything, and He'll do it. And then the next verse, He says, so therefore, whatever you ask the Father in my name, He will do it for you so that your joy may be full. Isn't that awesome? With that kind of a promise, what can you do if you believe that promise? Hey, there's a man, there's a guy that's got it. Anything. There's not anything you can't do if you believe that. Well, it's obvious that we, the church, don't believe these promises that God gives us. Because when we run into a problem like that, how many of us go to the Scripture and do what I did whenever the doctor says this little girl's going to die? 
she might die. But if she doesn't die, she's going to have brain damage and be three months before she can walk with a walker. How many of you would be happy with a child that's got brain damage and walking with a walker for three or four or five more months? I mean, I mean, that'd be better than dying, you know. But that wasn't good enough for me. I had this book, and I knew that these promises were in there, and I knew he wrote those in there for me. But, you know, the next thing somebody will say, well, but, you know, maybe God... Sometimes, you know, God answers prayer sometimes, yes, and sometimes, no, or sometimes, maybe. You ever heard anybody say that? Well, I always ask them when they say that, do you have a scripture to confirm that? And there's not one. That's just a tradition of man. That's not God's Word. Because that promise right there, if you're walking in obedience to His Word, in other words, if you're not sinning, if you're not breaking His law, you're loving God with all your heart and you're loving your neighbor as yourself, you're fulfilling the royal law of God and you're walking totally in obedience to God's Word. And if you're doing that, then I want you to keep your finger right there in John 16, 23 and 24. And I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. And I want you to tell me how many times the answer to God's promises is yes, and how many times he said the answer is no. 2 Corinthians 1.20. You know that answer, don't you? You've got that one hidden in your heart, don't you? See, now this is the difference between people who have studied the Word and listened to the Word. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, he makes you a promise. 2 Corinthians Chapter 1, verse 20. And I want somebody that reads that. How many, how, many, how many times does God say yes to His promises? How many? All. For all the promises of God are yes and amen if you're in Christ. Right, ma'am? So when you come to God, if you're walking in obedience to His Word, and you stand on one of these promises, will He ever say no to His daughter that's walking? No. I mean, if... If your children are doing everything good and they come ask Mama for a cookie, I mean, if you've got a, 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 a jar of cookies on the counter, you're going to say, no, you little heathen, you can't have one. <laughs> no, you're not going to do that to your children, are you? You love them and you're going to give them one. See? But if you, God says, if you, being evil, know how to give your children good things, how much more? Or your Heavenly Father give you these things. See, because He loves you. I mean, I know some of you all here tonight are hugging your children. You're telling them you love them. But you don't love them near as much as God does. You don't love them near as much as God does. He loves them a whole lot more than you do. Because only He loves with a pure love. We love our children. All of us do. I don't care whether they're good or bad. You still love them. But you like them a whole lot more when they obey you. That's for sure. You know, <laughs> you love them, but you like them better when they do what's right. Is that right, Richard? That's right, yeah. So, God's no different. You know, He loves us. And now then, if He made us that promise in John 16, 23 and 24, that I could ask the Father in the name of Jesus for anything, and if I'm walking in obedience to His Word, what? and how many of the promises are yes? Well, hey, I can't miss, can I? If I know all those statements, I cannot miss. So, then... Did, I mean, so then I make a statement like this. I say, Father, in the name of Jesus, because of your great and awesome promises in John 16, 23, and 24, I ask you, Father, in Jesus' name, to raise up Kelly. I ask you to restore her head and heal it. 
and ask you to make it perfect, and I don't want a single brain-damaged cell nowhere in that little head. I want that brain to be perfect. What do you say I could ask for? Well, hey, what do you think I'm going to ask for? Oh, God, please, just give her a brain-damaged head? Give me a break. No way. I don't want a brain-damaged head. I want a perfect, beautiful little head. Isn't that right? So I said, Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to raise Kelly up and ask you to fix that little head, and I don't want a single cell damaged in that little brain. I want it perfect. And then, Father, for those little pebbles that are crushed, I ask you to do such a supernatural healing on that little set of pelvics. Let her get up and run out of this hospital in such a short period of time that everybody here will have to know that only you could have done it. Now, see, that's the way we as Christians need to learn to start praying. Is that right? I mean, after all, who's our father? Some fly-by-night cowboy out yonder in Dallas, Texas? No! I mean, you know, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm not much of a of a football fan, you know, but I I have heard of the Dallas Cowboys. I don't know none of them, <laughs> but one of them Dallas Cowboys didn't write this book. I'll tell you for sure. This book was written by men that were moved upon a few thousand years ago by the Holy Ghost, and those men were men that loved God and was tuned into Him. And when He spoke to them, they heard and they wrote down what they heard. Now, God is confirming what those men wrote down. This book is not just a book. Somebody said, well, that's just an old book that's been translated and rewritten and changed a thousand times. No, that's not true. This book is God's Word, and it's true to the letter. Every bit of it's true. Now, there may be little things where we've translated one word different than another, but that word is true. And that book means what it says. You can bank your life on that book. I have learned that and proven it many times over. But by taking that book and asking the Lord to raise Kelly up and do such a mighty miracle of healing and restoration on her that everybody would know only he could have done it. And then I turned to everybody and said, I guarantee he'll do it. Now see, he told me in his word in James chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, that when I ask for anything, I must ask wavering. Oh, he didn't say that? Well, that must be what most of us think, because that's the way we ask. Oh, God, please, if it be your will, would you heal me? No, that's not what he said at all, is it? In James chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, he said, when you ask for something, you must ask in faith. How much wavering? Nothing. You know what? I have decided one of these days we're going to have to have a course in English about what nothing and all means. Because we don't get it. I didn't. I read this book over and over and over, and I didn't believe these promises that God made me. But when I called upon his name, then he says, you must ask in faith nothing wavering. He said, because if you waver, it's no, if you don't believe I can do what I said I can do, you know, that's just like if you come and ask me, uh, Thurman, I want you to fly a little simple little single engine airplane for me. Okay, no problem. Give me the airplane. And somebody said, well, I don't know whether you can do that or not. You know, it might have been a few years since you flown one. But 36 years ago, I was an international airline pilot flying four engine jets. You think I forgot how to fly? No. 
You know, I didn't forget how to fly. I can still fly. I now fly. Only in the last few months I started flying again. But I found out when I got in in a single-engine airplane, after 36 years I had not flown an airplane. I got in an airplane and made a go-around and landed it. It felt just as normal as it did 36 years ago. It wasn't a problem. And then a few months later, the Lord provided me with a twin-engine airplane, and I hadn't flown a twin in 36 years. Now, the day that I picked it up, when the Lord gave it to me, I went over to pick this thing up, and it was a young man in his 20s that was going to check me out. And he says, how long has it been since you've flown a twin? And I thought, well, he's not but about 25 or 28. <laughs> so I said, well, a little over 20 years. I started saying a little over 10, but I thought, better not get that far back. That might be borderlining on lying. So I said, a little over 20. Well, now, see, it had been a little over 20. It had only been 36. See? But, you know, when you're, when you're my age, the difference between 20 and 36 is a little bit, you know. Now, if you're 25, that's a whole lot, right? But it all depends on where you're living. That's as old as Christy is, see. I mean, almost. You know, she, I think she's 38 or something like that thereabouts. She's a young girl. But, see, it had been almost from the time she was born, that's about when I quit flying airplanes. Now, I mean, she'd done a lot of things in 38 years. And if you think I hadn't flown in 38 years, every person thinks, wow, you couldn't fly one today. But, no, I didn't forget how. I didn't forget how. So this young man, I went around the pattern with him, tuck off. I let him spend about 30 minutes explaining different things to me in the cockpit. So I'd know. And then we pulled out there and we made a go around at Addison Airport. It's a controlled airport with a tower and everything. We'd done one touch and go and, and we'd done another one. And of course, you know, it's the uh, engines. Some of you don't know anything about airplanes. So but it's a turbocharged airplane. You have to be careful. You can overboost an engine. And of course, I was running up, you know, uh, pretty close to the maximum pressure, what, the, what he said. But he thought I was too high, but I wasn't. Anyway, I made two touch and goes and he said, I really think since it's been 20 years since you've flown, you ought to leave the airplane here and have our instructor fly with you a few hours to really get you checked out. I said, no, son, I'm okay. He said, no, you're going to go over and land at an airport that's only 3,500 foot long and 40 feet wide. You know, he said, here, this airport's 75 foot wide and 5,000 foot long. I said, yeah, I know, no problem. He said, but I think you need some instructions. I said, did I make it off around two times? with no problem. He said, well, yeah, but he's thinking about this haven't flown in 20 years. See, he's not really looking at how good I flew the airplane. He's looking at I haven't flown in 20 years. So I had more hours almost standing on my head in an airplane, and he's got flying, although he's been doing all his in the last seven or eight or ten years. So, you know, he's current. But anyway, I take the airplane off, and I fly over there. He gets out, and I take off, and I fly over to the other airport, and I bring it in and just land it and tax it up and pull it in my hangar where I was going to park it and everything. And, of course, since then, I've flown it real regular. And, of course, the more you fly it, the more you feel like you become part of the airplane. Now, see, that's the way you are with the Word of God. Some of us fly the Word of God once a year, you know, and you get a little rusty. You know, you may open it and you may read a little. Some of you read it, but you really don't fly it. In other words, you'll open the Bible like I used to, and we're going to have Sunday school on Sunday morning, and Saturday night I think, oh my goodness, I hadn't read my lesson for tomorrow. And we got a little quarterly. I run in, I don't even open the Bible. 
But I opened this little quarterly, and I skimmed through right quick, speed read it, and I put it in. It says, next day, it says, did you read or study your lesson? Check. I studied my lesson. Bull, I didn't read and study my lesson. I sped read that thing. I couldn't tell you nothing I read. Any of y'all ever been guilty of doing something like that? Yes, I've done that. All of you have, probably, if you read it at all. But see, you don't study God's Word. So you don't ever learn God's Word. And that's what I did with God's Word all those years. I kind of sped read it. I didn't know it was important. I didn't know he meant what he said. I didn't know. I mean, now then, like that, that beautiful twin-engine airplane the Lord's given the ministry, I can go out there and get in that thing. Like the other day, a man called, and he wanted me to come to McKinney to pray for a man dying with cancer. Man, it's a two-hour drive across there at that time of day in traffic. So I just ran out to the airport, jumped in that airplane, pulled that thing in 15 minutes. I'm in McKinney. I'm in 180, 160, 180 miles an hour, right at 2,000 feet off the ground. Now then, because I knew how that airplane worked and knew all the intricate systems in that airplane, it was no problem to go out there in just a matter of minutes, get that thing out, and go. But if you went out there with me and you were going to fly it, unless you've been trained to fly a twin, it probably took me a whole lot longer than that to get you over there. You know what I mean? But that's that's the way we fly the Bible. We don't read it and study it. Now then, when I walk into a hospital room with a little girl that's tore all to pieces, I don't have time to get somebody to go out and tell me, okay, now you've got to show me what God's Word says. And these two little girls that are dying, brain stem severed, pelvis crushed, and all the different things that's there, I don't have time to study. I've come to a time in my life where I've got to have it right here. It's got to be ingrained in me, and I've got to be able to call it forth right now. So as I called the Word of God forth, and begin to call the king in remembrance of his promises, knowing his word. Then I can tell the people, the doctors and everything else, now I guarantee you, my God, and his name is Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, he will do such a mighty restoration because he made me a promise and he can't lie. I'm standing by faith on his word. And they all laugh at you. Yeah, okay. A grandfather in denial. Well, let me tell you. God, he was not, he knew I was serious. He knew I believed him. Because this little girl, in one week, was out of ICU. And one more week, she's standing in a walker, walking, and back in church. But by Wednesday, that second week, she's back in school with no walker, running and playing like nothing had ever happened. Two and a half weeks instead of three months to stand with a walker. What kind of God do we serve? He's a supernatural God. He honors what? Faith. He honors His Word. You come to Him, Oh God, I need to be healed. He said, You've got some sin in your life. You need to get rid of it. You had not been studying my Word. You had not put me first. There's a whole lot of things you haven't done. It would be kind of like if you, say you were a lady and you were married to some guy and he was the best guy in the world. But you came home and you stayed one night with him and you loved him and fixed dinner for him and did all those things and then you went out somewhere and he didn't see you again for three months. You didn't call. He didn't know where you was. He tried everything to get in touch with you, but you didn't have a cell phone, nothing. Three months you're gone. 
And then one day you come bouncing back in the door. And then one day you come bouncing back in the door. If we turn it around and say that was your husband that done that, we, oh, this, oh, this, wait a minute, this lady over here, I, I hate to say what she said. She says, try and cut his throat. That's what I'd do with him. Now, that, that's the flesh talking right there. Now, that's, but that's the way we live, right? I mean, if you're a husband, I can understand. You know, if your husband or your wife had gone off and been gone three months, not when he come bouncing back in, hi, honey, dinner ready? Who are you? What do you think God must think sometimes when we go away for months or years and then all of a sudden the problems come upon us, we come crying, God, i gotta, I got to have some help here. He says, oh, who, did I hear somebody hollering my name down there? <laughs> yes, Lord, this is Thurman. He said, Thurman who? <laughs> you haven't been to see me very often lately. I know, Lord. But, Lord, I've got this terrible problem. He said, well, you've been playing out there in the devil's pig pen all this time. What do you think he's going to do to you? He's got you now. I said, but, Lord, I'm sorry. I repent. Now, this is where the grace of God is beyond my wildest dreams. You know, some of us, if our spouse came back and hadn't been doing something real bad and had a real good excuse why they didn't call for three months, like they'd been in a hospital in an accident and didn't have no way to get back to us, we might forgive them, right? <laughs> but if there wasn't nothing wrong with them, they'd just been out messing around, it might be tough to forgive them. But with God, He's so gracious and so merciful when you say, Lord, I am so sorry. I ask you to forgive me, and I want to, I want to come back home, and I want to be your son again, and I want to be able to walk in your grace. Now, you think of that prodigal son story. You know, that young boy said, Daddy, I want my inheritance. He said, Son, you need to stay here. Here's how I got everything for you. No, no, Daddy, I want to go out in the world. Well, okay. So he gave him his inheritance, and he goes out in the world. And you know that the prodigal son had all kinds of friends as long as he had lots of money. I mean, everybody was his friend. But whenever the famine came, and he ran out of money. He ran out of friends. Isn't that amazing? That as long as you're healthy and got lots of money and you can buy all your friends everything they want, you, they can go to the clubs with you and you can buy them their drinks or you can buy them, go down and buy them all a meal. Everybody's your friend. But when you got a need and they're not willing to return that need, you, know, you go to dinner with somebody, and every time you go to dinner, they expect you to pay for it. And they never offer to pay for it. You need to find you some new friends. You know that? You know, if, if people are with you all the time and never return the favor, you need to find you some new friends. But just think, God in His mercy, that prodigal son that went down there and all, spent all that money and all that righteous living and everything else, when he was living in the pig pen... When he finally decided, I'll go back home and I'll say, Dad, I've sinned against you and against heaven. I'm not worthy to be your son no more. Just let me be a servant. But when he asked forgiveness, what did Daddy do to him? Did he throw him out? No. no, he brought him back home, kissed him, put a robe on him, put a ring on him, killed the fatted calf for him, everything. Is that the grace of God? But don't go there. Don't go out in the world like the prodigal. Stay at home. 
Let me tell you, the blessings of Daddy's house is in his house. They're there. And so if you're walking there, then when you have a need like I had, God will hear your prayer and answer. And I'm telling you, in two and a half weeks, little Kelly Ringstaff was back in school running and playing and like nothing ever happened. Oh, okay, we're going to hear in just a minute. It's only nine, twenty minutes till. What time sure does go by when you're having fun? You know that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna let the girls sing another song here in just a minute. Uh, they want to sing another song to you, and then we're going. I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to do a couple of things. This while they're getting ready to sing you another song. Also, we're gonna we're going to take up an offering if you want to support our ministry. As you know, the stuff we have back there is all back there. It's a free gift. We don't charge for it, and you're not required to give an offering. If you don't want to, that's okay. But if you want to bless our ministry and you want God to bless you, well, then you have to give. You know, because God says give, and it shall be given unto you. I might say that these CDs and DVDs, when I started, when the Lord started the ministry, we, I started giving those away because God moved to my heart. Well, it's not hard to give away 50 tapes in a week. You know, because a box of tapes, you know, don't cost a lot of money. But you know what we're up to now? We're giving away over 10,000 of them a week. Over 10,000. Last week we bought 15,500 CDs and DVDs. That's the biggest week we've ever had. And we give them away. We don't sell nothing. Now, isn't it amazing? You know who pays that bill? God does. Amen. God does. I was, just, I was telling Ty coming out here, I didn't tell anybody else, but now I'm going to tell you all. I told Cheryl already. I had to buy two printers the other day, and the two printers to print those CDs cost $14,570. Two. I bought two. They're high-speed printers. And I just made a statement at church the other night and said, we just bought two printers. cost a little $14,000. I never asked nobody to pay for them. never asked for no help. I just said, you know, we just bought these. We got home... Sunday night after church, there was a person put a check in the box that paid for the printers. One person paid for those printers. Isn't that amazing what God does? You know, I was telling Ty that on the airplane on the way out here, and he said, you know, that's a confirmation to me that what we're doing is making God happy. Amen. Yeah, you know, anytime God supports your ministry like that, but to think, I didn't ask nobody for nothing. I didn't ask for nothing. I just said, you know, we got to have two new printers. I bought them. You know, and we're supposed to have this week. And then when I made that statement in church Sunday, one person give a check that's more than paid for those two printers. But we've had that happen once before. It's amazing what God does. Now, if you need an envelope, if you're going to give cash to the ministry and you need an envelope, if you hold your hand up, if you need an envelope, Cheryl will pass you out an envelope or somebody, Dave or yes, you will. And if you're going to write a check, make it out to TLSM. And that's where you don't need an envelope. You just fold the check up, put it in there. As long as your information's on it, that's all we need. We don't do it. that way. We can keep a record of it. We got some up here, Dave, and we can, we keep a record of this. And at the end of the year, we will send you a tax deductible donation receipt. It is tax deductible. Our ministry is a tax deductible organization. We are under a 501c3. We keep all records and everything, and uh, keep that recorded. So then while you're filling out your envelopes or you're making out your checks, Cheryl and Christy's going to sing us another beautiful song. And while they're singing, the, somebody's going to pass out or pass the bucket. Praise the Lord.
Okay, we'll take up right where we left off, right in this story. As we take God's mighty word and we stand on these great and awesome promises, just like John 16, 23, and 24 said for Kelly, the little girl you know, that had the problem with the uh, head tore open and the pelvic. In two and a half weeks, she's back in school running and playing. Now then, a short while after that, about three months, I happened to be over at a place where she was at a birthday party, and she had let her hair grow down, right down over top of her eyebrows. And I said, how are you doing, Kelly? She said, I'm doing fine, with the exception, I hate these big scars I have on my forehead. And she pulled her bangs up and said, two huge scars all across the top of her head where her head had been ripped open in the accident and had sewed it back up. The doctors had sewed it back up. I told her, I said, oh, honey, I said, Jesus, he don't want those scars either. But he can't take those off until a man of faith prays a prayer of faith for you. Now, you talk about an awesome Jesus. You've got to start thinking like Jesus. We, the church, have got to stop thinking like man. We've got to start thinking like our God. Because I want you to turn in your Bible to the two verses I used to get these scars removed off of Kelly's head. John chapter 14, verse 13 and 14. I want you to see these two awesome promises that God made you in His Word. I mean, these are awesome promises. I mean, aren't they? They're awesome. But see, we don't believe He meant these things for us. You know why we don't think God meant those promises for us? Because we know our heart. We and God is the only one that knows our heart. So the minute we start to look at something that powerful, if there's any kind of sin in your heart, the devil will automatically tell you, he's not going to do that for you. He's not going to do nothing good for you. And so if your heart condemns you, then you cannot get your answer from God. But if your heart does not condemn you, and you know you're walking in obedience to God's Word, then the Scripture says, we know that He hears our petition, and we know He hears, and we know we have the answer. Isn't that awesome, brother? But God made you and me that promise. By God making you and me that promise, if I'm walking in obedience to His Word, just like if you're a child, if you have children, and you, let's say, for instance, you're a dad, and let's say you've asked your son, son, if you will do a good job mowing this yard, say you've got a great big yard with flowers and all kinds of stuff. Son, if you'll mow the yard for dad this week, Friday afternoon when I get home, I'll give you $25. And so Friday night, you get home after dark. And you can't see the yard. You know? I mean, it's dark. So you come in, and the son comes in, and he says, Dad, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that you're late, but I need to go somewhere and do something with some friends, and I need my $25. And he said, Dad, let me go out and turn the lights on. I want you to see the job I did on the yard. Now, then, if you're daddy and you know your son and he wants to take you out and show you the yard, do you need to go see the yard? No, you, oh, you do? <laughs> I 
even though the son tells him that let's go he's still gonna go look. <laughs> now technically speaking, if son wants to, you to come see it, you gotta feel sure that his heart is not condemning him. His heart knows he's done the best job he can possibly do, and he knows that job's gonna make daddy happy. And, and but if dad does go see it and he looks at it, it's gonna be good. Because in the boy's heart, if he asks you, Dad, come look at the yard. Now, if he runs in and says, Dad, I need my $25 so I can go with my friends. I mowed the yard. You better go look at it. Well, should we go look at it? No, no, wait till tomorrow, Dad. Wait till the sun comes up and you can see it tomorrow. Now, that's what you really better go look at. Is that right? But why? It's because there's something the boy does not want you to see. Uh, yeah, he might he might have been in a big hurry and he might have mowed, you know, here and there. But he didn't do he got this close to the wall, you know, he left a whole bunch of tall grass, he didn't weed eat it, you know, he didn't trim the flowers, he didn't do nothing. But he don't want you to see it, but he wants his twenty five dollars. Then tomorrow maybe he can talk you out of it, or if you're not happy with it, maybe he'll come back tomorrow when he's got time and do it over again. But if he said, Dad, come look at the yard, I want you to see how good a job I've done for you. If he's got that kind of attitude in his heart, you can feel pretty well assured you don't have to go look at that yard. Because he's done a good job, or at least in his heart, he feels he's done a good job. Now, I think about a grandmother one time that because of her wisdom, she really done a great thing for her little granddaughter. Grandmother had been painting a room. Little granddaughter come over to see grandma. And she was painting this room, and she watched grandma paint this room. Well, a few days later, she was back over, and she found some little cans of paint that she had, and she brought them with her. And when she went to Grandma's house, she went in another bedroom, and she painted the bedroom. <laughs> now, then, she was so pleased with what she did. When she got through, she came and said, Grandma, I've got a surprise for you. I want to, you to see something. And she says, what do you got? I say, come on, my Grandma, I want you to see what I've done. You're going to love this. So she goes in and sees this room with all kinds of colors and marks everywhere. Now, this takes a very wise grandmother. She said, honey, it looks beautiful, but there's a few things we could do to improve it, to make it look a little better. Now, what does the average grandmother say? You little dummy, what do you mean putting that paint all over my wall? Now, see, you just ruined what that child was trying to do. You've done it the wrong way. Now, see, that's the way God does you and me. If we do the best we can and we mess up, and he knows how to do it a lot better, you go tell him, Lord, I did this. He said, let me show you how to really do it good. Come on over here. But I've done the best I could for Caitlin and Kelly with what knowledge I have of the Word. But the Lord says, Son, because you did such a good job with my Word, let me reward you accordingly. Now, could I have done a better job? I'm sure. In God's sight, I probably just barely scratched the surface. But He at least showed up and done such a mighty miracle of restoration on Kelly's little body that it just, it just, I mean, I was awestruck that God would take the words I had said from His Word and raise her up and heal her so quickly and put her back running and playing. And then three months later, when she had those two big scars on her head, and I took those two magnificent promises of John 14, 13, and 14, where Jesus said, Ask the Father in my name anything and I will do it. 
Therefore, ask the Father anything in my name, and I will do it for you. Did he say that? Now then, what do you think God meant for us, His children, if He makes those kind of promises all over His book? It's awesome, isn't it, ma'am? I mean, it's a, I mean, here I am, some guy from Texas comes up here, and you've got a Bible, and you're in California, you just say the same thing mine does. Now, all you got to do is believe it just like I did, right? Both of you. You've got to believe these promises. Now, if you believe it, and of course, remember, you've got to be walking in obedience to the Word. You can't be some lying, stealing, cheating. You can't be lying to your neighbor. You can't be sneaking around on your husband. You can't be beating up on your uh, maid or something. You can't be doing those stupid things and expect God to answer your prayer. He's not going to do it. You know, you've got to be walking in obedience to His Word. You've got to love Him. Loving your neighbor as yourself. When you're doing that, he says, you don't break any of the law. The royal law of God is walking in love. When you walk in love, he'll answer your prayer. And he'll do great and mighty things. And so, little Kelly, I told her, I said, now Kelly, honey, when I pray on behalf of those two verses, did God guarantee me I could ask for anything? He did, didn't he, brother? So, what can I ask for with a promise like that? Can I ask him to remove two big old scars off her head? Do you think God's capable of that? Sure he is. He can do anything because he's God. So anyway, I told Kelly, I said, Honey, you've got to believe with no doubt in your heart. Oh, she said, Mr. Thurman. I believe she called me Mr. Thurman. I don't know where she picked that up. But anyway, that's what she called me. We raised her in our homes one time. She was three weeks old. She had been there forever. In fact, one day... She asked me, I come in one afternoon from work, and she was still there. Her mother had been out of town. She was going to spend the night with us. She said, Mr. Thurman, will you come upstairs and play dolls with me? <laughs> I said, sure, honey. I'll come upstairs. You know, little children, when they're three or four years old, they don't see no age, no difference. They just want you to somebody to come sit down with them. So I went up and I was playing dolls with her, dressing them and undressing them and doing all the stuff we're doing, you know. And we're getting the men and the woman out here walking along. And she said, would you, would you sit with my baby while I go to town? I said, what are you going to go to town for? She said, so i got to go to the town and get some medicine. My baby's sick. I said, oh, she is? He said, she said, yes. I said, but you know, Jesus said all we got to do, he, I said, he put a scripture in his Bible, and it's in Mark chapter 16, verse 18. Jesus said, is anyone sick? He said, lay your hands on them and they will get well. Mark 16, 18. Jesus made you a promise. These signs shall follow them that believe. Obviously, we're not a whole lot of believers in the church. Jesus made you a promise in Mark 16, 18. These signs shall follow them that believe. Are you a believer? Do you believe you've got healing power in your hands where you can lay hands on somebody and they get well? If you don't, you don't believe God's Word. He told you to lay hands on your children. If you've got children and one of them come down with something, first thing you do is find out if they're sinning. Find out if you're sinning. Find out if you or mama's sinning. So either one of you sin will let make your children sick. Either one of you. It'll make your children, it'll open a door to the devil to make your children sick. Daddy can be out and get mad at somebody and fuss at somebody, come home, cuss somebody out, and next day one of his kids are bad sick. Never put it together that his sin made that child sick. Never put it together 
But that's what causes it. So anyway, I told her. I said, Jesus said in Mark 16, 18, I can lay hands on the sick. I said, you don't need to go get no medicine. I said, we got medicine. Jesus is in us. So I reached over and laid my hands on that little doll. I said, be healed in the name of Jesus. I said, she's well now. Well, we can play and do anything we want to. So a few days later, I come home from work one afternoon, and my wife said, honey, you have no idea the impact you've had on Kelly. I said, what do you mean? She said, we're driving down the road today, and she's sitting over four years old. She says, Miss Betty, I'm never going to be sick again. She said, what do you mean, Kelly? She said, Mr. Thurman told me that Jesus said, if I ever get sick, all i got to do is lay my hands on myself and say, be healed in the name of Jesus. So she said, I ain't never going to be sick again. I have the healing power of Jesus in my hand. She's four years old. Hey, I'm telling you, when you get to these little kids, when they're little and teach them the Word of God, they believe it. I mean, when these little children realize back here that they have that power in them, they can, if they're walking in obedience to God's Word, now, now boys, you can't be out there running, slapping people around, doing stupid things. It don't work. You know, you've got to walk in love. Now, let me tell you how, how it walks in love. I'm going to tell you a story about four little children. They came to my church with their mother and dad, and they heard me teach all these principles all this time. And then one day, Daddy was out of town for a whole week. Mama, she teaches homeschool. So about Tuesday, whatever, they needed to go somewhere, and they went out to get in the car, and she hit the starter, and it won't do a thing. You know, nothing. She said, oh, me, the battery's down or something. One of the children said, Mama, I'll pray, and Jesus will start the car. Now, the oldest one's about ten. The littlest one's about three. There's four of them. So whichever one it was, prayed the prayer of faith and said, Now, Mama, I guarantee it'll start. That's faith. So Mama reached up and it started. Bam, it just started right up. She thought, Wow, okay. So they, they drive all day, do different things, go to town, get this stuff, and come back home. And the next day, they got to go again. Mama goes out and hits the starter and nothing. Another said, Mama, it's my time to pray. And so that one prayed and thanked God for the promises, which are all yes and amen, and said, Now, Mama, I guarantee it'll start. Hit the starter, started right up, praised God, and they went to town, did everything, and the next day they came and they needed to go somewhere again. They ran out there, got in the car, and hit the starter, nothing. Another one said, Ma, my time to pray now. That and prayed, the third one now. Martin prayed the prayer of faith, quoted the Word of God, and said, Now, Mama, I guarantee it'll start. Mama reached up expecting it to start, and it don't do nothing. Nothing. The one that prayed said, Okay, who in this car has unconfessed sin in your life? Well, see, they had heard the Scripture that God does not hear the prayer of a sinner. They had heard that, and they believed that. And Mama said, oh, when he said that, the little sister said, Okay, I got to confess I hit my little brother last night. I didn't love him. I hit him. You know, sometimes when your little brother does something, you love him hard. You know, well, that ain't the God way to do it, see. And so that little girl, she had to repent. So she repented. And then one of the little boys said, Okay, I did something to one of my little brothers I shouldn't have done either. So, I, God, I repent too. And then mother said, Okay, now that we're all repenting, Dad called last night, and I wasn't too happy with what he said about coming home late this weekend, so I, 
I got a little out of sorts with him, so Lord, I got to confess, I got upset with my husband too. And so after everybody, he said, now then, Mama, I'm going to pray again, but before I pray, has anybody else got any sin? And they said, no, we got them all confessed. He said, okay, because Pastor Thurman said, God don't hear the prayer of a sinner. And so we got to make sure we have no sin in this call. And so after they repented of everything, and he prayed the prayer of faith, and thank the Lord said, now, Mama, I guarantee it'll start. And Mama reached up and whoom, it started right up. When Mama come to church the next Sunday and told that story, I had three pastors in my service, and all three of them fell out on the floor on their knees when she told that story. I guarantee. Because, see, we don't realize when God says, I don't hear the prayer of a sinner, if you don't have your life cleaned up and every sin confessed, he said, don't come talk to me. I don't hear you. So we go out doing things, taking his name in vain, cussing a little here, lying a little here, stealing a little here, or cheating a little here, doing something wrong. Somebody said, well, good grief, what did you do wrong? Well, I stole a pencil from work last week. Somebody said, good grief, a pencil? If that pencil didn't belong to you, and you got it at school, and it wasn't yours, that was stealing. And God doesn't hear the prayer of a thief. Somebody says, that's too critical. That's God. If you want God to hear your prayer, you do everything the king says. I knew a lady one time that she could not get a prayer answered. I told her, I said, ma'am, you need to get on your face before God and you need to find out what is wrong. She went on. I said, he answers yes every time. But I said, you got some kind of sin you've not repented of. So she finally went home and she got on her face before God and she said, God, what have I done wrong? She began to plead and ask you. And finally, he spoke to her and says, You remember 20 years ago, you stole $30 from the company you worked for? Oh, golly. She said, Lord, that's been so long ago. He said, But I still remember it, and you've never repented of it. She said, Okay, Lord, I repent. What do I need to do? He said, You need to take that $30 with 20 years' worth of interest, and you need to take it back to that company that you stole it from, that man and woman, that little store you worked for that was good to you, that paid you, and you need to give that back to them with 20 years worth of interest. And when you do, then I'll answer your prayer. And she did. And after she did, after that, anything she asked God for, the prayer was instantly answered. Isn't that amazing? Some people say, you know, I don't think God would do me like that. Just don't put him to the test. He is a holy God. Holy God. And He expects His children to walk that holy before Him. You know that? That's why we don't get our prayers answered. Because we're living in sin. I mean, we, oh well, God don't know. I mean, I've got to be one of the guys. He won't mind if I take His name in vain. Yeah, He will too. You know, you hear somebody in church. You hear somebody talking. Somebody says, what are you talking about? Oh, God. Wait a minute, you're borderlining on blaspheming God. You hear people say that. Oh God, you know, or Jesus Christ. Wait a minute, how did you mean that? Did you mean that giving reverence to the king? Or was that a slaying word that you spoke right then? Did you take his name in vain? Or was you giving reverence to the king when you spoke, Jesus is my king? The big difference is saying, Jesus Christ is my king. Then to say, somebody say something, you say, oh Jesus Christ. Y'all know what I mean, don't you? There's a difference. And one of them is blaspheming God, 
And the other one's giving glory to his name. And I'm telling you, when you don't do it his way, if you want to get your prayers answered, you do it his way. Now then, if you've repented of every sin, he'll answer your prayer. He promises it in his word. Because he did it for me. Now then, to tell you about little Kelly, after she began to, in fact, the next morning after I prayed that prayer of faith for her, based around uh, John 14, 13, 14, wasn't that an awesome promise? I mean, he wrote that to you too, young lady, you know that? It'll work for you if you'll walk holy before him. Isn't that wonderful? It makes it worthwhile walking holy before God. You know that? So the next morning I told her, I said, Kelly, you've got to believe now with no doubt in your heart. So she walked into the bathroom the next morning. She said, Mr. Thurman, if you pray the prayer of faith for me, and Jesus said it, that's, all, that's it. It's done. It's done. See, of faith of a child. Next morning she gets up, runs in the bathroom, throws her bangs up and looks in the mirror and said, Mama, look, just what I thought. They're not as bad this morning as they were yesterday. Now see, is that faith or is that faith? She didn't walk in there and say, uh-oh, they're still there, Mama. She said, Mama, they're not as bad this morning as they were yesterday morning. Okay. Now, that's the kind of faith. In 30 days, those two scars were gone. The, the king took those off. Somebody says, I don't believe you could pray to take off a scar. Well, don't ever pray one then, because with that kind of attitude, it won't work for you. <laughs> you got to believe the king. I mean, you, you, I mean you, here's what we do. We come to church and somebody does pray for us, and well, we've got a little hint, sin, hidden over here in the back that we don't want nobody to know of. But God knows about it. You know, everything's laid bare before Him. You can't hide nothing. So if you mess up this week, just confess it and get through with it and get it done with. Lord, I messed up. Now I'll go, I'll go and not do that again. You help me and I'll walk holy in your presence. And you go. And as long as you do that, as long as you walk in obedience to His Word and you walk in the knowledge of the Word, and you put him first, you can walk without sickness and disease. You don't have to be sick, but you've got to do it his way. There's only one way to walk in divine health and get your prayers answered every time, and that's when you walk holy before God. We was in Atlanta last week, and there was a lady came up to me at the beginning of the uh, session, and she walked up, and she said, Pastor, would you pray for me before this all starts? I said, well, sure. I said, what's wrong with you? She said, I've got a kidney stone, and it's killing me. She said, I'm hurting so bad. I said, ma'am, do you have ever sin repented of? She said, yes. I, I knew, I've been listening to your teaching, and I knew that's what you were going to ask. So she said, yes, I have done everything I can to get every sin repented, confessed, and I'm walking in love and everything I know to do. I said, okay, you're set for a miracle. I reached up and laid my hand on her, and I said, kidney stone commands you to pass in Jesus' name. According to Mark eleven twenty three, thank you, Lord, it's done. At the intermission, like a while ago when we stopped for an intermission here, we stopped for a little intermission like that down there. That woman came up and said, can I have that mic a minute? And I said, yes. I handed it to her. She said, I came here a couple hours ago. I had a kidney stone that was hurting me. He prayed, and it's already, I've already passed it and said it's gone, and I have no pain in my body. Hey, does God answer prayer? Sure He does. I've seen Him dissolve many kidney stones for people. But after all... The king says, if you believe, if you believe, he'll do whatever. He says, in Matthew, he clearly says, according to your faith, be it done unto you. Now, if you can believe God can heal your body, if you believe he can make something new, 
I mean, just like the day when I walked up to Kelly, I believe with all my heart, since he said I could ask for anything, I believe I could ask him to restore that little body. I believe that he could put that head back together without a single brain damage, a cell damage. I believe he could fix them little pelvics and make her run in play and nothing flat. I believe he could have snapped his finger and that little girl jumped off that bed like nothing happened. That's what I believe God could do. Now then, is he going to do that for me? He didn't do it like that for me. But he did raise her up and let her run and play in two and a half weeks. And that was good enough to do what I had told him. I said, Lord, I'd ask you to do this and do such a mighty miracle of healing and restoration on her that everybody will know only you could have done it. And by raising her up in two and a half weeks, let me tell you, everybody knew that God did it. Now, tomorrow night... We'll talk more about some of these other things. We'll talk about why sickness and disease comes to you. It's amazing how that I bring an outline and lay it there in the Bible and think, well, I'll have a little preliminary few minutes, and then we'll get into the study. But then I look up, and it's already 10.15. The time's gone. So we're going to have some good teaching for you tomorrow night. Ty's going to do a little teaching on some wonderful things to start off with tomorrow night. Then I'm going to do some more teaching. So you're going to get to hear two of us teach tomorrow night. And he's got some great things. This man and his wife are so involved in deliverance. And I mean to tell you, you you talk about the Holy Spirit and things that God has revealed to him. God has literally shown Ty demons for real. He's got to see them. I've never got to see one. But he's seen them through his physical eyes. I mean, God has revealed these things to him and shown him how these things work. And he's put Ty and his lovely wife, Cheryl, into a deliverance ministry, put them with us and with what they know about deliverance and what we know about healing. Man, we make an awesome team. We can get people healed and delivered that other people can't get healed and delivered. So, I mean, it's amazing the people at church that, I mean, just like the other night, a lady came up, she began to tell me her story, and I thought, oh my goodness, this is going to take a while. I don't have time. I got a whole line of people. So I said, Ty, come over here and get this girl. And I said, Cheryl, you get with her. And Ty and Cheryl took her, and I think it took you all about two hours, didn't it? That little girl the other night, you had to get free. Was you with her at least two hours? It was a long time. But, you know, we see that. Sometimes, but see, deliverance and getting people set free from all the demons that you invite into your life through sin. Sometimes you can't just get rid of them in a heartbeat. It took you a lifetime to get them. Now, it takes a little bit of while to go through a complete set of rules that God has laid down, which He knows real well how to get you to confess every sin which takes away the legal right of these demons to stay in your physical body. And then once you do that, we've had people that were tormented and beat up on for years after Ty and Cheryl dealt with them, walk out totally, completely healed and delivered in one evening. It's just, and their lives totally change. And then they come back saying, and they're totally, supernaturally delivered by the power of God. So he's going to talk to you the first hour or so tomorrow night, and then I'm going to talk to you another hour or so after that, and then again we're going to pray for you tomorrow night and tonight. Now, if anybody's here tonight, and you can't be back tomorrow night, if you've driven a long ways or whatever, we will pray for you tonight. But if you can be here tomorrow night, and if you can be here the next night, we would rather wait for you to get all of your faith built up to the point, because whatever you need from God, we want to make sure you get it. 
And the more faith you have and the more you hear, the more you'll understand where your sin is and the more you'll be able to confess all those sins. So when we pray for you, you will know your promises are yes and you'll get it. But if you can't be back tomorrow night or the next night, or if you're hurting or something you want to be prayed for tonight, we will pray for you. So right now we're going to close with a word of prayer because I know some of these children got to go home and it is 10, 15, and I know people do have to sleep. Some people are not like me. You know, they don't stay up all night, you know. But Oh, is it 9.20? Okay, we're forced. Oh, okay, okay, 9.20, that's right. Okay, okay, yeah, that's that's right. It's 9.20, but I've, I realize that still some kids go to bed early. We were supposed to have it 7 till 9, was that right? And I've already gone over, but 9.20, that's right, 9.20, not 10. Well, you're right, two hours. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I looked at my watch. I never had changed it. My watch is 11.20, you know, so, but you're right, that's two hours. But uh, uh, 11.20 for me is nothing. You know, we normally get wound up about midnight or 1. We usually have our popcorn about 12 to 1. Uh, <laughs> Dave throws his hand up. That's whenever he'll come through the ministry. We all live out there together and work out there together. We have a great time together. And, you know, Dave will walk through and say, Well, it's about 12 or 12.30, 1 o'clock. Is it time for popcorn? So we sit down and cook us some popcorn. You know, and then we sit down and eat popcorn. And then we talk about the Word of God or, or whatever we do or work on stuff or or work on computers or printers or whatever we do until sometimes 1, 2, or 3 o'clock in the morning we go to bed. And then, you know, sometimes around 9 or 10 o'clock, 8, 9, 10 o'clock in the morning, uh, somewhere in that neighborhood, I usually get up and start again. Uh, the rest of them stay in bed. <laughs> but I'm the only young one in the group. <laughs> yeah, and don't, don't forget, I don't know, God has given me a supernatural ability to, to get by Cheryl said, I'm the only man she's ever known that can sleep on four or five hours of sleep. Ty does pretty good with that same thing. He, he sleeps a very little bit, too. And he gets up, usually, he gets up four to six every morning and studies the Word of God. At four o'clock in the morning, he gets up and he reads and studies till six. You know, so he spends a lot of quality time with God. And then usually, you know, he goes ahead and works with his cattle and all that kind of stuff. But uh, he definitely spends some time with God. But... He don't get a lot of sleep either because he goes to bed late. But since he started working with us in the ministry, uh, it's just really throwed a kink in his way of doing things because, you know, he's used to going to bed at 10 or 9 or 10. And we don't even get wound up till 2, you know. And so, and I mean, you know, he'll be working with us, ministering to somebody, and he'll look down and say, Oh, my goodness, you know, it's 1230 or it's 1 o'clock in the morning. It's past my bedtime. I said, Yeah, I know. So the other day we was out and we spent the night at their home the other night. We were over there and uh, I hadn't done any night flying in, in 36 years. And so I thought, well, we come in and we come in from Chinook, Kansas. We flew to Chinook to pray for two couples. Now, that's, we didn't go there to teach the Word of God. We just wanted for to play for two couples. So we flew uh, almost a two and a half or three hour flight up there and back to pray for two couples. That's what we, we do those kind of things. And on the way back, we had to fly back after dark. So when we got back and landed there at Terrell, uh, I had not flown my twin at night, and the airport I'm going to is not that well lighted. And so I didn't really want to make a night landing without some practice first. I think that's wisdom, don't you? So anyway, I told Ty, we was up till, what, 12 or 1 o'clock that night, way late, and we all went to bed, and I said, why don't we get up at... 4.30 in the morning, go out to the airport, and that way we'll have an hour or hour and a half before daylight 
we'll make some touch and goes in my airplane. And so he said, okay. He said, I'll be up anytime after 4. Well, I got up about 4.30 and went downstairs, and the house is totally dark. And I thought, well, now, where is this guy? I walked outside, looked at the sky, beautiful. I thought, wow, what a morning, Lord. The moon was shining. I thought, what a beautiful night. So I go back in the kitchen, and I see a light in the kitchen. He's in there making the coffee, and I walk in the corner, and he jumps. He said, you're already up? I said, yeah, I've been up for 30 minutes, you know. So me and him, he made his coffee, took it with him. We went out to the airport, and for about an hour, hour and 15 minutes, we just flew around the pattern in the pitch dark, you know, and I'll, I did touch and goes. And so after that, I was, that must have made eight or ten, I guess we'd made a bunch of them. But now then, I feel real good about night landings, you know, but you have to get, everything looks different at, dark, at night in an airplane. You know, it's, to, it's totally different. So it, everything's different. If you hadn't flown at night you don't, in an airplane, you don't know what you'd miss. It's beautiful up there. I mean, you talk about God's creation. When you fly over tonight, like a beautiful night, you fly over this area. I mean, there's lights and beautiful things, and you've never seen anything beautiful until you've looked down on God's creation from a few thousand feet up. He made an awesome place for us, folks. And he gave this magnificent place to us to live. And he knew the devil was going to be here because he put him here. And he knew we were going to have problems with the devil. And he knew we were going to have problems with sin because he knew he was going to put us to the test to see what we were made out of. And so he gave us this magnificent book under this new covenant with all these wonderful promises so we can overcome the enemy. Isn't that awesome? And most of us don't ever use them. We don't know that God said, and so since you don't know he said, when the enemy shows up, you don't know what to do. And by not knowing the word, the enemy defeats you, and many people die prematurely or their children die prematurely or whatever. When God has made you the provisions to overcome the enemy in that word. So, we're going to pray. We're going to close the service. And if you do need to be prayed for tonight, we will be here. Or if you have questions you want to ask us, we're here. You know, we're just we're staying right here, so we're not going very far. And so, what I'll say as long as somebody wants to stay, you know, that wants to talk or get questions answered, I am in no hurry to go, go to bed. Because I can sleep in the morning if I want to. You know, so, Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you, Father, and I praise you for this wonderful evening. We've had to sit down and talk about your word and all these beautiful things that are in your word and all these wonderful promises you've made to us, your children, that will obey you and do what you say. And, Lord, I thank you for those promises. And, Lord, I thank you for the many times that I have used those promises and you've heard my prayers and you've answered them for numerous people, just numerous people, Lord. I praise you and thank you for being our Lord and our God. And Lord, tonight, as people have questions, give us the knowledge and wisdom to answer those questions. And as people that do need to be prayed for tonight, they can't come back tomorrow night or Thursday night. And Lord, help us to pray the prayer of faith for them. And we ask you to honor those prayers and touch their needs, whatever they are. And bless your people in the mighty name of Jesus. Well, 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 welcome everybody tonight. I'm glad to see all of you came. We're just going to praise the Lord. Thank Him. Father, I just come lifting my hands up, praising you and worshiping you, Lord. We enter into your presence, Lord, with praise and thanksgiving. Daddy, your word says that you'll teach us all things and you'll tell us everything that we need and bring it into remembrance when we need it. So now, Daddy, as I stand before these people, I ask you, Lord, to bring everything into remembrance as you want it spoken. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen.
I was going to preach about and teach y'all what the Lord taught me about prayer and fasting. But the Lord told me this afternoon, He said, Ty, what's the most important thing that you could teach these people? And so I thought for a while, prayed, and I said, well, I guess the most important thing would be to teach them your daddy. You're my daddy. He said, when I learned that you were my daddy, and that I could go to you anytime I wanted to, that's when I started seeing your power. And that's when you started using me. And I guess the next most important thing would be your Holy Spirit. And then the last was what what you do to get set free when you're in bondage. And so this is what the Lord has taught me over the years. And, and this is what He has used me for. And so I'm going to impart upon you what the Lord's taught me. In Galatians 4, 6, the Lord says that if, if, if you'll ask My Son to be your Lord and Savior, I'll take His Spirit and I'll put it within you and you'll cry out, Abba, Father, which means My Daddy. Daddy. And He says in Romans eight fifteen that I'll take the spirit of bondage, of fear, away from you and I'll put a spirit of adoption within you whereby you'll cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy, Daddy. So when you realize that He's your Daddy, and all He wants to do is bless you and teach you His ways so that He can use you, you start crying out, Daddy, Daddy, will you speak through me? Will you love through me? Will you use me? And when you get rid of the, the, the I, and change it to you, that's when things start happening. When you start letting the Holy Spirit flow through you, the Lord can get things done that He wants to get done. So that's the first thing I want to teach you and tell you. He's your daddy. And if you don't know Him as your daddy, then ask Him. Ask Him to reveal Himself to you. He says that you'll understand when I adopt you and you'll be led by My Spirit. And those who are led by my Spirit, they are the sons of God. They are the daughters of God. Jesus taught us in, in John 4.23 that time is coming when those who will worship the Father will worship Him in spirit and in truth. Because Daddy is spirit and He's seeking those that will worship Him in the spirit. So when you realize that and you start crying out, Daddy, Daddy, you'll... Draw near to the Lord, and He'll draw near to you, and He'll start revealing things to you. He said, if you abide in My Word, you're My child, My disciple indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. So when you ask Him to be your Lord and Savior, and that joy, and that love, and that peace came upon you, it's still available every day. And those that draw near to the Lord will have that love and that joy and that peace and that gentleness and that kindness and that self-control, that faithfulness, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So now that's the second thing I want to teach you about that the Lord taught me. After I got born again, the Lord took me back in Actually, I'd been born again as a little boy. I'd strayed away from the Lord. And in 1991, 
I asked him to take back over my life, and he did. And a few weeks later, I'd gone to church with a friend of mine. I had another doctor who had cancer. And this doctor was dying of cancer. He had exploratory surgery, and they told me there wasn't anything that they could do for him. So my wife had been telling me about about this Jesus that could heal. And I, and I didn't know Jesus that way. But she had been telling me about Him. So one night, after we'd finished treating the dogs I, and, and cats, and I told this old doctor, I said, Lyle, let's go up there to this church where these, these people are preaching healing. He said, maybe, maybe we're lucky, you know, you'll get healed. You won't die. <laughs> and that's how much I knew about that, you see. So we, we sat there and, and uh, talked about it for a while. So I guess it hurt if we went up there. So we got, jumped in my truck and we drove up there and, and walked in the very back. And of course, nobody knew us there and we, we were just watching. And, and, and this was uh, the Hunters, Charles and Francis Hunter. That's who it was. And so... They said, well, anybody who wants to be baptized by the Holy Spirit, come up here. You need, you need the Holy Spirit to help you get healed, to keep you healed. So I said, well, come on, Lyle, let's go up there. He said, what? I said, no, come on. So it won't hurt anything. I didn't want this guy to die because he was a good doctor, see, <laughs> and a good friend. <laughs> we wanted to get our healing and go home. <laughs> so, so, so I drove old Lyle up there, and, and they... They started talking, and people started talking in tongues and in strange languages, and and people were falling on the floor. And we thought, man, these people are crazy. <laughs> and, and so we said, we got to get out of here. <laughs> we got to get out. We started listening. See, my sheep shall hear my voice, and they'll flee from all other voices. But well, we were hearing voices, but they weren't a God. It was the devil saying, "Get out of here, quick!" <laughs> So Lyle and I started back and back and back up to get out of there. And about that time, Charles and Francis Hunter said, I want everybody to form a line. We're going to lay hands on you. Well, before we knew it, there was a line between us and the door and we couldn't get out. So we were looking at each other. So we just sort of got over here on the the side. And so they started laying hands. At this end, these people started passing out. I said, man, they must be hypnotized, Lyle. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, you stay here. I'm going to go over and see. So I got up about this close to them, and I was watching them as they were going down the line. I, was, I went around the other side. I was looking in their eyes. I said, what is going on here? I couldn't figure it out. So they get down in, and Lyle's the very last one in line. And she comes up to Lyle, and she lays hands on him, and she says, whoo. She says, you have cancer. Lyle looked at me and says, Ty, you told her. <laughs> I said, no, I didn't, Lyle. I promise. He said, Ty, I know you told her. I said, I didn't. But that time Charles came up. He laid his hands on him. They both laid hands on him. You got liver cancer. Well, now Lyle knows I told him. He said, you told him, Ty. And I said, I promise you. I'd lie, how'd they know that? And I really was fascinated because they'd made a diagnosis and at this point in time he had not turned jaundice yellow. So I was looking, I said, man, these are good doctors. How did they figure that out? <laughs> so 
So I was trying in the natural to figure out how they figured out what was going on. <laughs> and so she said, oh man, my feet are tiny. She pulled her shoes off. Stinky old feet. I remember that. <laughs> Excuse me, Francis, if you hear this. <laughs> but she said, I said, she started rubbing her feet. And she says, Charles, you pray for him. I was so tired. So Charles prayed for, for Lyle. <laughs> Again. I don't know, honey. And so she gets up and she prays for him. She says, you're going to have to come back. <laughs> and so they just left us. So we go home the whole time, old Lyle, you know, he said, Ty, you told him. I said, no, I promise you, Lyle, I didn't tell him. <laughs> well, Lyle now, he'd been, he had been uh, elected the, the head uh, Grand Dragon or whatever it is of the Masons. I mean, he was going to be one of the top guys in the whole Mason of all the United States. Which, those of you that know a little bit about Masonry, there's some stuff that's really not of God in, in what they're doing and what they believe. But that's not what I'm here to talk to you about. The point is, God was going to heal this man so he could use his influence to influence the whole Mason just like he used this man that, that Thurman was telling us about earlier, who's in the Mormons. So Daddy loves everybody. Daddy loves everybody. And he doesn't want anybody to perish. And he loved Lyle and I. I mean, we were just two sorry old cowboys and we didn't think much of him. <laughs> I mean, he even knew why we were there for one reason. We wanted to eat heal so we could get home and get back to the old, our old stuff. <laughs> so, so the next day, boy, the day goes by and all, and I'm, I'm really excited. You know, some come sundown, I'm ready to go. I got to get back. I want, I want Lyle healed, and Lyle would not go. He had listened to the voice of the enemy. He'd listened to the voice of the enemy all day long. The devil telling him this is not real. Ty told him, "Don't go." So when sundown came, he wouldn't go. And I, I literally begged him to go. And, and he said, Ty, it's not real. You told him. And I, and I, and I said, Lyle, you just have to trust me. I did. So he wouldn't go. I said, well, I'm going to go anyways because I'm going to find out more about, about this Holy Spirit. And so I went back and I learned more about, about the Holy Spirit. And that gave me a desire to, to start finding out what's going on. I had lay hands on me. Nothing happened to me that I knew of, that I could feel. And in the flesh, I couldn't tell anything. But in the Spirit, big things were happening. And so I, from that point on, I started reading God's Word, studying all about the Holy Spirit. Everything I could find about the Holy Spirit, I wanted to know. I wanted to know this power that, that they had. I wanted to know what it was. And I probably was like Simon the Sorcerer. I had, I had a, the reason I wanted to know is I could use it for, in medicine to, to, for healing. Because I've always had a gift of mercy. I love people. And I've always felt sorry for people that were hurting. And animals. So I, I was trying to find out about the Holy Spirit. And, and then when I did, I fell back in love with the Lord. And Daddy took me back in. And so He'll take, he'll take the sorriest old varmint and He'll bring them back home. And He'll, he'll dust you off. And you know, the Lord is, is really beautiful. He'll take you. No matter how dirty you are, how sorry you are, He'll take you back. And He'll clean you up. That's not our job to clean up. It's His job. Our job is to love Him. Our job is to love Him. 
Today, there was a maid that came into my room. And this maid, I asked her, I said, do you know Jesus? And she said, what do you, she asked me what I was doing. I said, well, I'm reading, reading God's Word. She said, she said, oh, I, I said, I used to read that. She said, I used to be a Baptist. And I said, well, what, you're not anymore? She says, no, no, I, I got tired of, of people condemning me all the time and telling me how, how terrible I was. And she said, you know, I, I saw these people come to the, hotel, to, the, to the motel that claimed they were Christians, and I saw the way they acted. And I said, I didn't want that. I didn't want that. And, you know, that really, really hurt me because I, immediately the Lord brought Matthew 5 to me where He says, you're the salt and the light of the earth. And, and if the salt loses its flavor, you're not good for anything but, but to be tossed out. And I'm sure that when I started going back to church and, and, and seeking God, I'm sure there were people that were saying, Yeah, look at that. Look who's here. I'm sure they were shaking their head. <laughs> I mean, Cheryl's, Cheryl had been praying a whole lot. And she was shaking her head in amazement that I was there. <laughs> that was my sister, praise God. I had a sister and a mama and a wife that they're always praying for me, even when I went astray. And I just want to thank my wife, Cheryl, right now for that. Thank you, darling, <laughs> for praying me back into the kingdom. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous woman made us much. I'm standing proof. <laughs> so, so all you women in here that are praying for your husbands, I can tell you right now, don't stop. Don't stop. Because I've seen a lot of people brought back men and women and with, with the other one praying. The other side praying. You know, I told I had a, some people that came over to the house here. Oh, it's been about a month ago now. And, the, and they were... The husband was dying of cancer, and this light, this wife had had stopped loving him, and she just she didn't want to be near him. She was always telling him terrible things. And so, as as we sat there talking, I, I explained to her the power of the tongue. And when Daddy says death and life are in the power of your tongue, he meant just that. He said, "Those who understand this will eat of its fruit." Even when I was young and I didn't understand it, I said I was going to be a doctor. And I said it, and I said it, and I became a doctor. I said I was going to be a rich rancher and retire when I was young. And I said it. Yeah, thank you for ranchers. <laughs> and I said it. The point is, it came out of my mouth. Now here we have a principle that the Lord teaches us in Mark 11. 23, He tells you, say it. Now, I... I didn't know Mark eleven twenty three, but I said it. I said it and I said it until I believed it, until it happened. Well, Daddy's word's real clear. And so if you want to see what's going on in, in the supernatural world, you say it. And you say it. We don't have no idea what's going on in the spiritual realm. I was telling this couple they'd come to our house and they wanted us to pray for him because for his cancer. I was telling her how how important what she said was. And I said, I can start saying something right now and it'll happen. She said, what do you mean? I said, well, I can start saying, I want a friend to call me. And I can start loving upon that person and asking the Lord for the, to have them call me. And that person will call me. Now, this was a miracle. 
as I was telling this, I said, I said I'm, I'm praying right now for this rancher to call me that I want to come down and visit me from Wyoming. Now, this guy's in Wyoming and we're outside of Dallas. As I'm speaking to these people, the phone rings and it's this cowboy wanting to come down and visit me. Yeah. Yeah, that's the kind of miracles we all love. <laughs> and, and I wish I could say I saw them all the time. Like that, but Most of them were perseverance. Most of them were effectual, fervent prayers to bring them. But this happened right then. And so I was telling Cheryl about that. And uh, I said, hey, I, I told her, I told, she said, did you really do that? I said, yeah. I said, I'll show you. So I got this preacher I want, I want to call me. I can't think of his name. I mean, his telephone number. I lost his telephone number. He's an evangelist. And I really love this guy. I need him to come out and go fishing with me. And I want him to teach me more about what, what's happening in his ministry. So Cheryl said, okay. So I said, no. So I prayed. Two days later, he called me. So see, when you speak it out with your mouth, you have no idea what's happening in the heavenlies. So I spoke this, just like when you speak, blessings or curses are in the power of the tongue, death and life. If you want to get set free, if you want to be healed, if you want to see somebody saved, what do you got to do? You start saying it, don't you? You start saying it. You start asking. Daddy says you want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He says you got to ask. You got to ask and you got to seek and you got to knock. He says you want to be intimate. You want to draw near to me. Start asking me. Start seeking me. If you'll draw near to me, then I'll draw near to you. So I, I was reading this and I said, well, okay, Lord, I said, I want, I want to know your spirit. I want to know the Holy Spirit in, in, a, in an intimate way. Because your word tells you in John 14, it says you wouldn't leave us alone. When you were getting ready to leave, you said, I'll, I'll ask the Father and He'll send you another helper, the Spirit of truth that the world doesn't know nor does it understand. Because see, the devil will tell you he's not real. The devil will tell you, hey, this, this, is, this is not real. I'm here telling you he is real. Very real. And those of you that don't know him intimately, all you got to do is start asking and seeking and knocking. He says, if you ask me, I'll give it to you. If you, if you knock, I'll open the door. If you seek me, you'll find me. So start asking and seeking and knocking. Start asking for a greater anointing in your life. If you want to be used, Daddy tells you, stir up all the gifts. Stir up all the gifts. Don't ask for just one. You want all of them. All of them. The most important one of all, tell people about Jesus. most important one of all, He says, is prophecy. Because true prophecy in Revelation, he tells us, is the revelation of Jesus Christ. He wants you to tell everybody about Jesus. And Jesus will tell everybody about Daddy. He'll lead you to Daddy. Because He's the way, the truth, and the life. Now I want you to think about, let's just say this is a, as an electrical power plant over here on this table. And that's the power plant that's producing electricity for this building. And, and this power plant is hooked up to this. And this is the power line coming into our house. And this is our house right here. Now, if I want this power that comes from that power plant over there, I've got to plug in. I've got to plug in 
I have to do it. I have to put this plug in. I got this vacuum cleaner. I want power to vacuum this floor. I can go up and down this floor all day long and nothing's going to happen if I don't plug it in. See, I want the power. I need the power. I'm getting tired doing this by myself. And nothing's happening. I'm praying. Nothing's happening, see. I ain't plugged in. There's only one way to the Father, and that's through Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the power line. He's the power line from here to Daddy. So if I plug into Jesus, now that power, that electricity can flow through that power line and right into me. And now I've got power. Now my vacuum cleaner is working and I've got power. Well, that's the way the Holy Spirit is. If you want that power, you've got to plug into Jesus. It's that simple. And it all goes back to asking and seeking and knocking. And as you do that, Daddy teaches us a parable in Luke chapter 11. He says this, this tavern keeper had gone to bed. And about that time, his friend came and went knocking on the door. said, come down here and give me some bread. i got some friends that came in from out of town. No, no, go away. I've already got in bed. Get out. I'm not coming down. Well, he kept knocking. And he kept knocking. You know, somebody knocking on your door and you find says, oh, I'll get up and go answer it. The phone's ringing at night in the other room. So he gets up and he comes down. Now, this is Daddy coming down. He says, not because you're my friend, but because of your persistence, I'm going to give you this gift. I'm going to give you these three loaves of bread. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So I want to encourage all of you to, to ask and seek and knock. Now, here's the, here's the secret. If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. And then I'll ask the Father to send you another helper. Now that's, the, that's the secret. If you love me, keep my commandments. Impossible by yourself, isn't it? So you say, Daddy, I need help. Will you help me keep your commandments? I need you to help me. And let's see, Daddy, your word said in John 16 that the whole purpose of the Holy Spirit is to tell me when I'm going astray, when I'm going to the left or I'm going to the right. I need the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit. He's your best friend. He's your counselor. He's your teacher. And He teaches you, just like I said earlier in John 14, 26, that He'll teach you all truths and lead you into all truths when you need to know Him. When you're ministering to somebody, the Holy Spirit will tell you the Scriptures you need. The Holy Spirit will tell you. And He tells you in 1 John 2.27, He'll teach you all things that man need not teach you anything. If you'll invite Him into your heart, He'll teach you in the morning when you get up and you start reading the Word. I was talking to Janie earlier before we started tonight. She said she has this friend, this pastor, and he, he gets up every morning before the sun comes up. He's my kind of man. And he goes to reading the Word, and the, and the Lord gives him a Word. Well, that Holy Spirit will give you that same Word if all you'll do is get up in the morning and seek Him before you do anything else. He will prepare you, and He'll give you the Word that you need for today. It may be about love. It may be about forgiveness. It may be about not judging somebody. But the Holy Spirit will do it. He'll do it if you ask Him. Just get up in the morning and say, Daddy, 
What do I need for today? And he'll, he'll teach you. He'll show it to you. So that was the second thing I wanted to tell you about. Just start asking and seeking and knocking with persistence and ask Daddy for the Spirit. Ask Him for the Spirit. Ask Him for His Holy Spirit. Say, I want to know you, Daddy. I want to know you intimately. And I want you to love through me. I want you, Lord Jesus, to start loving others through me. I want you, Lord Jesus, to start speaking to others through me. When you do that, you're plugging in. And the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And you shall receive power. And this is how you'll know. You have a burning desire to tell everybody about Daddy and His Son, Jesus Christ. That's how you'll know when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so then the last thing that He wanted me to tell you is this is what He told the wisest man in all the world. This man asked for wisdom. He saw God twice. He saw Jesus Christ twice. The first time he saw the angel of the Lord, which had to have been Jesus, because we know nobody can see God and live, the Lord told him, what do you want from me? He says, I I want wisdom and knowledge. Godly wisdom. Godly knowledge. So I can understand your ways. So I'll know what to say, what to do. How to be kept clean. How to be led by your Spirit. He said, alright, I'll give it to you. He said, I'm going to make you the wisest man in all the world. There'll never be another king like you. You'll be the wisest leader there ever was or ever will be. The second time he came to him, he said, now I'm going to teach you something else. Now that you have this wisdom, I'm going to teach you how to get set free when you're in bondage. When you have a disease or when you are afflicted by evil spirits, when you're tormented maybe psychologically or physically, either way, this is what you do. He says, when, when I cause the heavens to shut up and there is no rain, or when I cause the locusts to devour your land, or when I cause diseases to come up on my people, if my people will do four things, these are the natural things. I'll do the supernatural. He says, if you'll humble yourself and pray and seek my face and repent and turn from your wicked ways, then I'll do three things. I'll do the supernatural. I'll hear your prayers from heaven. I'll forgive you. And I'll heal you. So now when you get afflicted, whether it's a psychological affliction or a physical affliction, whether he's attacked your soul or whether he's attacked your body, this is what you have to do. The first thing is you have to humble yourself. And he tells us in Matthew 18 that if you want to understand humbleness, this is what you've got to do. He takes a little child and he says, unless you humble yourself like this little child and become like a little child, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. I mean, you've got to be like a child. Daddy, Daddy, I need your help. Daddy, I can't do it by myself. You've got to get rid of your pride, don't you? So now we understand what he meant in James 4, 6. God resists the proudful. If you're proud, he says he hates a proudful man. I resist the proudful, he says. 
but I give grace. Grace means my favor to the humble. Therefore, he says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. But you've got to get rid of your pride and humble yourself like a little child. What's he tell you to do? He says, enter my courts with thanksgiving and praise. You know, when, when you're hearing a, someone singing and the Holy Spirit says, oh, it's beautiful. Praise the Lord. Don't be shy. Raise your hands to the Lord and thank Him. It's when you get rid of your pride that Daddy can do things in your life. It's when you get rid of your pride that Daddy can mold you and use you. But you've got to get rid of your pride first. You've got to bring that into captivity. Because pride's what brought Satan down and pride's what brought Adam and Eve down. Oh, we can eat this fruit. God won't do anything to us if we eat it. And we can be like God if we do eat it. Pride brought them down. So you've got to get rid of your pride. The second thing he said you've got to do is you've got to pray. You've got to pray and pray and pray. It's during times of prayer, when you're on the floor, when you're laying in the bed, when you're at work, when you're driving down the highway, it's when you're praying and talking to Daddy. Daddy, i got this problem. Daddy, will you show me what to do here? Daddy, will you tell me how to fix this? Daddy, i got this boss at work that's giving me a hard time. Daddy, help me. My, my brother called, I mean, my son called me up last week and says, Daddy, i got a problem. He said, my wife's getting ready to get fired. She works for this big insurance company and she, she got a high position with them, but they're getting ready to fire her because the guy that's above her doesn't like her. And I said, huh? I said, what do you mean you're going to fire us? Don't speak yet. You're speaking curses. I said, let's pray. So we started praying, and I rebuked the devil. I, I rebuked all the assignments that the enemy had, and I quoted God's Word to him. He tells you that if you'll listen to his voice and obey his commandments, that his blessings will come upon you and overtake you. And one of those, he says, is that you're going to have the favor of both God and man. That you'll walk into a room one way and the demons will flee seven. He says your bread basket will always be full. Your herds will increase. Your flocks will increase. you have the favor of both God and man. You'll be the head, not the tail. You'll be the one that loans the money, not borrowing it. So I spoke Daddy's Word. The next day when she went to work, the boss called her in, said he was going to give her a promotion, said, you are really good in our, in our office. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. Daddy did it. Daddy did it. You know, that's another one of those prayers, you know, you, they don't, you know, they don't all get answered. Sometimes things don't get answered the way I thought they ought to get answered, see? But they always get answered, but not the way I thought. You know, it's not what I thought I was praying for. One thing you got to remember, Daddy is in charge and He knows what He's doing. <laughs> Daddy is in charge and He knows what He's doing. No matter how bad it looks, no matter how bad it feels, Daddy is in charge and He knows what He's doing. So don't ever forget that. He always, is, always knows what's going on because He's your Daddy. He's the perfect Daddy. The perfect daddy that never makes a mistake. The perfect daddy that always loves you. 
The perfect daddy that's always there when you need him. Always there. Always there. So that's your daddy and you want to know him as your daddy. So now he says the next thing he says is you have to seek my face. In John 8.31, Jesus teaches you, if you abide in my word, you're my son or my daughter indeed. And you'll know the truth and the truth shall set you free. The New King James says He'll make you free. So what's the secret? Abiding in Daddy's Word. If I guess if we had to tell you anything that we've learned in this ministry that God has us in as a group, is if you don't abide in God's Word, you're not going to get your prayers answered. If you don't abide in God's Word, if you do get them answered when you come up here and we pray for you, but you don't abide in His Word, then you'll lose what you what you received. You have to abide in Daddy's Word. That's so important. How much time you spend with the Lord determines your walk with the Lord. If you want to know Him as your Daddy, you got to get to know Him. It's like the story that Thurman was telling about last night about the old guy that's gone for a month or two and he comes back to his wife. Daddy's the same way. If we come back to him, we haven't been over there to see him in a month or two. What do you think he does? I always tell my girls when they come over to see me, I say, who are you? They haven't seen you in a week or two. <laughs> to make them feel bad, so they come see me more often. <laughs> no, I love them all. <laughs> and, and lucky they all have five grandsons and they all want to come to the ranch. So I say, it's all good. <laughs> Okay, so let's get back to seeking Daddy. So I want to seek His face. I want to seek His face. So I I seek His Word. I seek His Word. And it's real simple. You start reading in Scripture. Just open the Bible up. Pray. Say, Daddy, what do you want me to read? Open it up. And then wherever you start, there, start right there. As you're reading through that, all of a sudden, something will catch your eye. You'll say, that's what He wants me to read about. Then... If, if you don't know the Word, you can, you can go to the index or you can get on, there's, there's, a, there's a site called the blueletterbible.com. And in this Blue Letter Bible, let's say that you run across faith. I want to know more about faith. Well, I can type in the word faith, click a button, and it shows me every time the word faith is used in the New and the Old Testament. Then I can click another button and it shows me all these different Interpretations gives me the New King James, the Old King James. He'll even give it to you in Latin if that's what you want. So sometimes there will be scriptures where the Holy Spirit will tell you, Ty, I want you to understand what I really mean here. And so when he does that, I'll go look it up in the Greek or the Latin, usually the Greek or the Hebrew, to find out because the Holy Spirit's telling me there's more to this than what you're reading. And most of the time, you know, you'll just read the Word. But there'll be times when the daddy says, Stop. I want you to learn more about this. What this Word means. What this sentence means. It says, You abide in My Word. You'll know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So you seek His Word, and that's how you do it. That's blueletterbible.com. You'll love it. You can also click another button that gives it to you in audio. If you don't like reading, you can just click a button and it'll give it to you 
And it's really neat. It's a really it's, it's an awesome place. So now let's keep going. Now we're to the last part. The fourth thing is repent and turn from your wicked ways. Repent and turn from your wicked ways. Now the Holy Spirit, if you're reading John 16, He has three purposes. And I want you to write it, just write down while you, if you're taking notes, Matthew 12 also. In Matthew 12, it tells us that no, if you want to take away the strong man's goods, if the devil's got you in bondage, he says you've got to bind him. Before you can take away the goods that he's stolen from you and get them back, you've got to bind the strong man. You've got to bind the strong man. So you've got to know what to bind, don't you? You've got to know why, I'm in, why am I in bondage? Why am I sick? One time I'd gotten sick. I'd been fasting and praying for three days straight. Just literally that's all I was doing, praying and fasting. And at the end of the third day, I started getting sick. I said, how in the world can I get sick? There's no way, Lord. Your Word tells me in Psalm 91 that if I walk holy before You and make You my Lord, my rock and my refuge, that no evil shall befall me, nor any plague come near my dwelling. This is, this is a plague. Now, Daddy, what's going on here? Didn't get an answer. Daddy, again. Started talking to him again. Cheryl, come lay hands on me. Cast these demons out of me. Didn't work. I go back and start praying again. Daddy, what's going on here? Lord says, Ty, you're a whore. Spoke to me. I said, whore? How can I be a whore? I'm a man. He <laughs> says, you're a whore. I said, oh, Lord, that's how I can't be a whore. He said, go read Hosea. So I went and wrote, read Hosea, and it says, if you put any idols before me, you're a whore. Yeah. So, when he told me that, I got. Well, I said, "What well, now? What idol have I put before you?" And and this was during recruiting season. And I used to play football when I was young. I really liked football. And so, I'd been watching the Aggies every day. I'm a Texas Aggie. I'd been watching the Aggies to see who they were recruiting. It was during, you know, and I every morning I'd go in there and I'd I would turn on the, the uh, computer and I'd read about the Texas Aggies and then I'd start reading God's Word. And then when I'd get in from the ranch working cattle, I'd run in there and turn on the computer. We're seeing who they'd signed up for recruits that week. And then, then, I, then I would read God's Word. So see, I was putting God second. Such a little thing, but yet important to Daddy. Because He wanted to teach me a lesson. So I'm in here and I said, Oh Lord, I'm so sorry. I said, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I ask you to forgive me. I ask you just to cleanse me with your blood, Daddy. I destroy this idol. I won't ever do it again. I repented because the Holy Spirit had told me to see what was going on. And as soon as I did, all of a sudden I felt something start to come up out of my stomach and I knew I was going to throw up. So I ran into the bathroom and threw up. Uh, and then I had this warmth come over me. I felt great. I jumped up. 
went running in there and told Cheryl what had happened. And I was healed. And I went in there in the kitchen, praising God, made me a big banana split, ate it, and went to bed. <laughs> so, what was the secret? I repented. I repented, see? And I turned my wicked way. But it wouldn't have worked if I had not known Daddy as my Daddy and known the Holy Spirit and allow the Holy Spirit to talk to me. I've learned, and you too, you can do that. God's no respecter of persons. What I'm telling you, every one of you can do. I have learned how to plug in. And the power, the Holy Spirit, comes through and He convicts you of sin and of righteousness. What would Daddy do? And when you allow Him to do that, now we can understand how the strong man is bound. Because the third thing is judgment. Now the God of this world stands judged. Now the God of this world stands judged. And He has to get His filthy hands off of you. To get to the last part, you have to be obedient to the first two. You have to allow the Holy Spirit to search you and show you where you're going wrong. And then you'll get set free. It's that simple. It's that simple. So I just want to thank you tonight. I want, I want to tell you all one more story. The greatest miracle I've ever seen in my life. I was in, in uh, Tanzania. And the Lord had taught me of this about Second Chronicles 7.13. And I was going to preach it. And the preacher that, that I was with got real upset and said, you cannot preach this, Ty. And I said, what's God's Word? He said, if you preach this, I'll never let you come with me again. And I had been traveling all over the world with this, with this preacher as his associate. And so I told him, I said, I love you, but this is what God's Word says. He says, well, that's Old Testament. And I said, it's New Testament too. So he said, well, you can't say the first part, which is, if I cause the heavens to shut up and there is no rain, or if I cause the locusts to devour the land, or if I cause diseases to come up among my people. If you say that, I'll sit you down right then. You can say the next part, but not that part. So I said, okay. When I finished the sermon, I asked these preachers, there was about 400 preachers that I was preaching to, I said, I want all of you now to join with me and we're going to repent. We're going to pray and we're going to seek God's face. And they had not had rain for over a year. And there was no rain to forecast. And all these preachers got up and began praying, humbling themselves, praying, seeking God's face, and repenting. That night it started raining, and it rained about three inches, and it kept raining after we left. So. God just confirmed His Word when these ministers humbled themselves and prayed. He sent me as the messenger that they did it. And I'm the messenger today to tell you, if you want to get set free, if you want to start being used by the Lord, 
this is what you got to do. So now let's just all pray right now. And we're going to do just what, what these other ministers did. And He set them free. And I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to just be imparted upon each one of you. And whatever your desires are, just tell the Lord. It's between you and Daddy. It's between you and Daddy. And you just ask Him. Remember, you've got to humble yourself like a little child. So let's just start praying. And just ask Him. Set you free. Daddy, we just come praising and worshiping You, Lord. We come before You, Daddy, led by Your Son, Jesus Christ. And Daddy, Your Word says that if we confess our sins to You, and that if we pray and seek You, Daddy, and we repent, Daddy, that You'll set us free. So now, Lord Jesus, I'm just asking You to sprinkle each person in this house with Your blood. Sprinkle each one of them, Daddy. Your blood upon each one, Daddy, as they confess to You, Daddy. As I ask You to take over their lives, Daddy. To lead them and to guide them, Daddy. I ask You, Father, that You touch each person in this house, Daddy. Sprinkle Your blood upon each one of them, Lord Jesus. And now, Daddy, I ask that You cleanse them and wash them pure, pure, Daddy, with pure water that flows from Your throne and that of Your Son, Jesus Christ. Just wash each one, Daddy. We come praising and worshiping You, Daddy. Father, let Your Spirit just fall upon each person in this house, Daddy. Let your anointing fall upon each one, Daddy. Give each person in this house a burning desire to be, to be used by you, Daddy, and to be led by you, Daddy. Father, we want to be the salt and the light of this world. We don't want to condemn people. We want to love them, Daddy. And then let you do the rest, Daddy. So we just come praising and worshiping you, Daddy. And I thank you, Lord, and I praise you, and I thank you. The Holy Spirit, just touch each person in here. Just touch each person, Daddy. Let them never be the same. Life them, Lord. Your words are spirit and they are life. Life them, Lord. Life each person in this room, Lord, with your spirit. And I thank you and I praise you, Dad. May they never be the same. May each person in this room have a burning desire to be used by you, Daddy. Make each one of them a spirit warrior for you, Lord. And I ask that in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Already, uh, before we get started on the second session of this, uh, we're going to take up our offering. Uh, we support our ministry through your giving. Uh, God blesses us in many ways, and that's the way we do it. So the girls are and uh, them are getting envelopes. If you need an envelope, if you want to give a, a gift to our ministry, if you want to give cash and you want a receipt, just hold up your hand. We will give you one of these uh, envelopes. And uh, if you don't want to give, that's okay too. That's not a requirement. But uh, the Lord, and that's why we give away everything we do, because God said in His Word, Give and it shall be given unto you. And uh, I will have to say, I told some of you last night, if you weren't here last night, you didn't hear this wonderful story that God did for us this last week. Uh, we needed some new printers to print these CDs. The ones we've got, we've got three, but they cost about $7,500 for all three of them. But they're good and everything, but I needed some better ones and some faster ones. And so I thought, Dave and I done some research, and he especially done the research. He's a computer science engineer, and he really knows that stuff much better than I do. But anyway, we done a lot of seeking, and uh, we found the best, and we bought... 
two of the best printers out there, and there was uh, fourteen thousand five hundred and seventy dollars for two printers. You know that sounds like a lot of money for two printers, doesn't it? But they're really great. They'll print a CD in ten seconds. You know, so that's pretty fast. And when you start giving away ten to fifteen thousand of them every week, you need some pretty fast printers. You know, you can't afford to sit around and hand feed these things. You got to be able to do it. So I made a comment at church Sunday. I said, you know, we bought two printers, cost over $14,000, and I said, you know, God's good. He always meets all of our needs. Little did I know one person in a congregation was going to write a check to more than pay for all those printers. You know, so you just never know what God's going to do. You know, it just blesses your socks off whenever you know, you know, that it really does. It blesses your socks off when you're serving God and you're about His business and everything you're doing is Jesus and you're giving away everything you do and the Lord just pours out blessings like that to meet all of your needs. It just blesses me. I don't even, I'm not even concerned about the money that we need for the ministry because I know God's going to bless us with it. I know He's going to take care of it. He always has. So I never, I'm never, I don't ask or beg anybody for money. You know, if you want to give to our ministry, great. If you don't, that's great, too. But we give to you, free and postpaid. You know, in fact, one of the articles I was reading today on the Internet, I, I went into the Internet and typed in my name. I thought I'd see uh, what happens there. And uh, I was on there hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. I just typed in on Google, Thurman Scrivener, and wow. And uh, there was a lot of good things said and a few bad things. <laughs> <clears throat> the good things was a lot more than the bad ones. So, but anyway, one of the men that a PhD that wrote something about me, uh, he said I was wrong in what I was teaching. You know that God didn't do miracles and healings anymore. You know, and I, that's so sad. You know that the enemy has deceived him like that. But he said one thing about him, he gives away his media, so he's not teaching or trying to get rich by what he's doing. He's not selling his stuff said he will send it to you free if you'll just pay the postage. And I thought, you know, this guy hadn't ever ordered anything because we don't even charge for postage. You know, we pay for the equipment and the CDs, DVDs, or cassettes, and we pay for the postage. So we don't ask you for nothing. And I will have to say, now you're talking about a faith walk, the people in Africa, of course, we're international now. We're all over the world. We're on t TV in about two-thirds of the world, six times a week, 30 minutes at a time, and when I leave here this week, i got to go home, and we've been home uh, over the weekend, church and everything, and then uh, I've got to leave early Tuesday morning. We've got to fly out to uh, uh, Odessa, and I have to make 15 30-minute television shows. We're going to be on live television two hours Tuesday night, and Christy and Cheryl will be with us. And so, you know, we usually we'll leave early at 7 o'clock. We'll be airborne at 7 o'clock uh, uh, Tuesday morning. We'll be in the studios before 10 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Christy, she'll sleep on the airplane. She won't even go to bed. <laughs> Did you hear what? 7 o'clock in the morning? <laughs> oh, no, she said. But she'll have to sleep with her mother on the way out there. And then uh, during the day, the, uh, Cheryl won't get to sleep because Christy can, but Cheryl won't get to. She has to be with me in the studio because... We have to make shows all the time, and then I have to change clothes every show. You know, I mean, me, you know, normal man, put on one suit, go out there and make 15 shows, and it's over. I, you know, and I never dreamed when we went out there the first time, Cheryl says, what are you taking? I said, well, a couple of changes of clothes. She said, a couple of changes? You're going to make 15 television shows? you got to have 15 outfits. 
I said, oh, no. She said, oh, yes. She said, these people are not going to see you wearing the same black suit every, every day. And we had no idea they were going to put us on five and six times a week. I thought they were going to put us on one time a week. But they put us on, well, they started putting us on a couple of times a week. And they had so much tremendous response to what I was teaching that they went to four times and now they're six times. So we're on 30 minutes uh, a day, six times a week, and they're covering about two-thirds of the world. And the beautiful thing about it is God had spoken to this television ministry and told them that they were going, there was going to be a healing ministry come along beside them. And when that person came, that they would be sent by the Lord, and the Lord said, you are to put them on your network. And so when I met Al and Tommy, and he saw what God was doing through our ministry, he said, you're it. And so they pay for the production, and they pay for the airtime, and it doesn't cost us a thing for six 30-minute television shows a week. So <clears throat> all I can say is thank you, Jesus. You know, I couldn't, I mean, I say I couldn't, but God can. He can afford anything. You know, he is in control, so you don't sweat it. You know, did, little did I know that a few years ago, that I would come from, just like Ty was talking about a while ago, an old cowboy. You know, I mean, who would dream that God would take an old Texas cowboy and do what he's done with him? Or me, you know, I mean, I'm even lesser a Texas cowboy. At least he graduated from A&M. <laughs> you know? So anyway, but God can take the simplest of people, and he doesn't care if you graduate from A&M. <laughs> he doesn't care where you graduated. He doesn't care what school. He don't care if you went to school. There's only one school God's interested in, and that is, have you studied my word? Have you made me Lord of your life? And I think of one of the most awesome men of God that I ever heard about. Uh, he was alive while well, I was alive, but I didn't have the privilege to know him. He did pass away in, at the age of 87 in 1947, and I was born in 1938, but I, of course, never heard of him until many, many years later. But this man never went to school a day in his life was totally, completely illiterate, and he only, after he married a beautiful girl, and when he was about 20 or 21, whatever it was, he, he met this beautiful lady. She was a, fairly educated. She was a preacher, and she taught him how to read, and she taught him how to read the Word of God, and he had a burning desire to teach people about Jesus. Now then, he didn't see any healings or any miracles until he received what Ty talked about a while ago, the infilling power of the Holy Spirit. When he finally, in fact, he went over to a city, he took the people from his church over to another church where they taught about healing like Francis and Charles Hunter does. Now, if you've never met Francis and Charles, they were a tremendous team. I know them personally. I've been in their, their sessions. I've been down to uh, Houston to see them, and they have a tremendous, but they're old now. I mean, they're really old, Francis and Charles, and uh, uh, Francis, uh, you know, she's in fact, she's been old for a long time, you know, you know, uh, you know she's, and she's a, she's a little bit overweight, too, you know, so that makes it hard on her feet, you know, but uh, she's a great lady, and he's a great man, and I've, I've seen God do more miracles through them, and they've lived in my time, and I have known them, and he does wonderful things, but this other man, <clears throat> a lot of people don't know him, I didn't know him, very few people in the church today especially if you're raised up in a Baptist church, nobody knows this man because we don't talk about him in our Baptist church. We don't talk about any of the healers, you know, in our Baptist church. I never learned these things in church. It's such a devastating thing to think about. 
that I didn't learn these things in church. I learned them with God reading His Word. I should have learned them in church, but unfortunately I didn't. But anyway, as this man, uh, up at about 47 years of age or 49, whatever it was, he was taking his people from his church to another church where they were laying hands on the sick and people were getting healed. And so finally one day he took a load over there and the man that was there wasn't there. And he said, gee, I wish I'd have known this. I wouldn't have brought these people all the way over here to get them healed since the pastor is not here. And the pastor's wife was there and she said, well, you have the same power in you that he has in him. He said, what? He said, all you need is the infilling power of the Holy Ghost to go with it. He said, I got the Holy Ghost. She said, no, you don't. You don't have it. You have the Holy Ghost, but you don't have the infilling power of the Holy Ghost. And so he got plumb indignant with her and said, I have the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And she says, no, you don't. And so finally she brought him in and she said, come in here and humble yourself before God, just like Ty was talking about. So he came in, humbled himself before God, and let a woman lay hands on him and pray for him. And when he did, God gave him a vision of the cross, and the Holy Ghost came upon him, and for the first time in his life he spoke in tongues. That was the first time, and the power of God hit that man so. I mean, when he went back home, he went back home and told his whole family. In fact, he telexed them and said, Praise God, I've received the infilling power of the Holy Ghost, and I spoke in tongues. He said, God gave me a vision and a revelation of the cross. He went back home, walked in his home, and he had several children. And one of his sons said, Daddy, speak to us in tongues. And he couldn't. He couldn't. Uh, he, could. he tried, but nothing worked. So he went to the Lord and sought God and said, God, I don't understand. I spoke in tongues over at that other church. I don't understand why I can't do it now. But he sought God for about, I think it was about nine more months until the Holy Spirit finally fell on him without measure. And when that Holy Spirit fell on him, he not only gave him the gift of tongues, he gave him the gift of interpretation of everything he said. Now, that doesn't happen to a lot of men or women. But this man got all of it. And after that, this man became such a powerful minister of the Word of God, he walked so holy and so pure. This man would not even read a newspaper. I mean, he would not read a newspaper. In fact... One of the men that I was on his television show a couple, two or three years ago up north, uh, and he was telling me that said, when I was a young man, I went to England and I visited in this man's home. said, I actually went to church over there and he was preaching. said, when he walked out, he walked up to me and told me, son, you need to come to my house. And he said, sir, I'd be happy to come to your house. Because he said, anybody that walks in that kind of power, I'd love to come to your house. So he said, I went to his house. So when I walked up to his front porch and knocked on the door, the old gentleman opened the door, which was well up in his 80s at the time. He said he opened the door, and he said, I had a newspaper under my arm. He said the minute he opened the door, look, he started screaming, you can come in, but that lies, lies under your arm, can't come in my house. He said, I backed off, thought, this guy's crazy. He said, sir, all I got is a newspaper. He said, everything in that newspaper is a lie. He said, you can come in my house, but that newspaper cannot come in my house. I will allow nothing unholy in my house. So he said, I laid my newspaper down. I walked in. He said, come in, son. And this boy, this man was only in his 20s. He said, I walked in and said, I, he said, what do I do? He said, sit down right there. So he said, I sat down right there and said, that old man walked up to him, put his hand on my head and said, God fill him. God bless him. God bless him. God bless him. And I thought, see, after about 30 minutes, I thought, this guy is crazy. 
He was just hollering, God bless him. And so all of a sudden he said, you've had all you can stand today, son. You can go home. <laughs> That's not exactly the way most people treat people when they walk in their house. So sometimes men of faith, you don't understand what they do and how they do it, but just roll with it. You know, they know what they're doing. God's using them in a mighty way, and it's fun, you know. But this man got up, he said, I walked out and thought, yeah, I guess I won't ever go back and see that old guy. He said, I picked up my newspaper on the way out. It was laying on the front porch. And he said, I got about two blocks down the street. And he said, the power of God hit me, and I have never been the same ever, 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 ever. And he said, I spent many hours in that man's house after that. And he said, that is the only man I've ever known that could walk up and preach somewhere for 30 minutes and then say, now then, Everybody here, repent of your sins, and I'm going to wave my hand, and everybody here is going to be healed. And he said, there's been masses as large as 20,000 people at a time. 20,000, not 20 or 200. And he said, when he would get people to repent of their sins, and he would wave his hand and say, in the name of Jesus, be healed. And said, everybody in the congregation would be instantly healed. How would you like to be a man like that? That man's name was Smith Wigglesworth. Smith Wigglesworth. I mean, he died in 1947, but when you read, now Smith Wigglesworth was technically illiterate. He never wrote a book. Now, there's many books written about Smith Wigglesworth, but he never wrote one, not one single book. There's been people that have written down his outlines, his little short teachings, and they put those in books and everything else, and many a man has been inspired to walk holy and see God do miracles because they could walk in with Smith Wigglesworth, and I'm not even close to where that man is yet, you know. But I want to get there. I want to be able to see. I mean, I've seen God do wonderful things, wonderful things, and I'm I'm on the track. I'm going to tell you that when you get to see God do these things, like I told you a while ago, when I saw Him heal, you know, Dr. Gary Young over the telephone, that, that those are awesome things. That's not normal things that I used to see in the Baptist church, I'll tell you for sure. But since I have believed God, I've seen him do those kind of things. Now then, just a couple of two or three years ago, uh, I got to see God do another awesome miracle. And I had been asked to come to a little church that had just about this many people in Manny, Louisiana. My, maybe there wasn't even this many. But I drove for five hours four or five hours uh, to drive to Manny, and when I got there, uh, I was an hour late. They'd been singing for an hour when I got there, just a little church. And I came in, and as soon as I walked in the door, I called the pastor on the phone, and I told him, I said, I'm about 30 miles away. I'm sorry I'm late. I got tied up in Dallas, couldn't get away, but I said, I'm going to make it. And so he said, come on, we're waiting for you. He said, we're singing. We're going to be okay. So they'd been singing about an hour when I walked in the back door, when I walked in, he run back and handed me a mic and said, it's yours. And they stopped singing right there on that song. And <clears throat> so I taught that group for two hours the Word of God, the promises of God. I told them things that we could stand on. I told them about holiness and how we had to stop sinning and that you, God doesn't allow you to sin at all if you want, to, want Him to see do miracles. And I love to see Him do miracles. I love God to do that. He don't hear your prayer. You know, if you don't walk in obedience to His Word... And confess your sins. If you're not willing to humble yourself, just like Ty said a while ago, like a little child, and come to him, forget it. He's not going to do anything for you. But if you'll humble yourself and say, Lord, I realize you're God. You're my dad. I'm just one of your little children. And I want to repent of all my sins. And I want to walk holy in obedience to your word. 
Now, Lord, I'm asking you to touch me. I said, he will. Well, that night after I spoke down in Manny, Louisiana for a couple of hours to that group, and I, I said, well, now then uh, that I've taught on faith for a couple of hours, I said, anybody that would like to receive anything from the Lord, if you are sick or have a need or whatever it is, you'll come down this aisle, I'll pray for you. Well, the first lady got up, and there were several people got up, but the first one that was coming there was a lady that was shaking real bad. And when I walked over to her, I said, ma'am, what's wrong with you? And she said, I have Parkinson's and lupus. Well, when, I mean, here's a daughter of the king, you know, and I told him, I said, now before you come, be sure that you've repented of every sin. Don't come to God expecting him to heal you with, with sin, known sin in your life. Because I said, he won't heal you. I said, he will not hear your prayer. But I said, if you'll humble yourself before him and repent and ask him to be merciful to you, I said, when I touch you, he will heal you. I don't do it. He does. At first lady, when she walked down there, when I said, what's wrong with you? She's doing like this. And I reached up and laid my hand on her shoulder, and I said, in the name of Jesus. When I did, her hands went solid as a rock. I said, wow. I said, God, this is awesome. I said, it... I just believe with all my heart the gift of miracles that just come upon me. Because I got to see an instantaneous miracle. All I, all I did was lay my hand on her, one hand, and say, in the name of Jesus. And she was instantly healed. You know, that's not normal. That don't happen very often. But it did then. And so sitting right over here, about where Ty is sitting right now, well, here was a man sitting over there on the row all by himself on the very front row. And he had two steel braces wrapped around his legs from his ankles. So I turned her loose and I ran over here. And I said, sir, what's wrong with you? He said, 21 months ago, a big tree fell across the tractor I was driving and crushed my legs. He said, now the doctor's done surgery on them, but they said, there's no hope. Uh, they said, they're crushed so bad, I'll never be able to walk again. And he said, without this steel holding my legs straight, he said, I can't do anything. I said, but Jesus said in John 14, 13, and 14. Now see, Jesus said in John 14, 13, and 14, Anything you ask the Father in His name, He will do. Isn't that an awesome promise from God? So I said, Sir, do you believe that? He said, I do. So I knelt down in front of Him, and I laid my hands on those knees with that steel wrapped around them. I said, Now, Father, in Jesus' name, according to John 14, 13 and 14, I ask you to give this man a brand new pair of knees. Now, first of all, i got to believe that my Jesus is big enough to do that. That's where Cheryl got this song. I, you know, how big is your Jesus? Well, you know, some people will say, well, I believe Jesus is wonderful, but I know he can heal, but I don't believe he heals everybody every time. Well, ain't no use you come and ask him for something because you ain't going to get nothing. If you don't believe he can, he's not going to do something for you if you don't think he can. You know, he's not going to go over your head. You know, if you say, well, I believe Jesus can heal him, but I don't think he'll believe me. He'll heal me. Well, you might as well go home sick because you ain't going to get nothing. You know. But that man, he said, I, if God said it in his word. Now, that guy was a Baptist. He had come there because he'd seen, heard about another woman I'd prayed for a year before that I was down there, got out of a wheelchair and was still walking. He said, if there's power, if God hears that man's prayer, I got a need. And so that night when he was over there, he came to that little non-denominational church as a Baptist. Because... Whenever I talked to him later, I found this out. But when I asked him, I said, Now, Jesus made this promise in his word. Do you believe it? He said, If God said it in that book, that's good enough for me. Well, see, that's where we need to be, right? If the Lord said it in that word, you don't need a rocket scientist to interpret the word of God. 
If Jesus said it, all you got to do is believe it and humble yourself like a little child, just like Ty said a while ago. I knelt on the floor, put my hands on that man's knees, and asked the Lord to give that man a brand new pair of knees. Now, can you have that kind of faith? I mean, if you can, I said, now, sir, do you believe Jesus has given you a new pair of knees? He said, absolutely. I said, well, you don't need that steel in. I said, let's take it off and stand up and walk. He started unstrapping the stuff. You know, he's undoing them straps and bending down and everything. And we're getting it. I said, will you help me down there on the bottom? I said, yeah. So I helped him unstrap all that stuff, and we threw all that stuff on the floor. I said, now bend your legs. And then he pulled them up under the chair. And I said, get up. And I, I, you know, I reached down, I thought about Peter when the man says, Can you be, do you want to be healed? He said, I need some money. Peter said, I don't have any money, but I got something better than money. I got the Holy Ghost. You know, he didn't say that in the scripture, but that's what he had. He said, by faith in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. So I reached down, took the man by the hand. I said, sir, stand up and walk. And he bent those knees. And when he did, I started up. He said, oh, 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 it hurts. I said, I know it's going to hurt. But I said, don't you believe that devil? I said, you believe Jesus. I said, come on. And I jerked him up. And I thought about Peter jerking that guy. So I jerked him. I said, come on. I give him a jerk. And he, he was forced to take a step. I said, come on. And I jerked him again. And a third time, and by this time, he's way out here, you know, and he's walking. I said, you're on your own. You're healed in the name of Jesus. He walked up there and walked around that podium three times, and it's like we're in a, a dream world. This is like a dream world. He walks around the podium three times, and he breaks down that aisle, and he starts running, and he throws his hands straight up screaming, God is awesome. Well, let me tell you, he is awesome. He run all the way to back in the front, and we got that on video even. You know, we got that on video where the guy's running down that aisle screaming, God is awesome. Now, let me tell you, I don't get to see many of those kind of things. But it don't take many of those to confirm to me that the king is, he is honoring what I teach from his word. Because that's awesome to see God do those kind of things. I mean, I, we have seen God do several things like that. You know, I mean, those are just so awesome. But I couldn't even tell you the number of times that I have prayed for backs. I mean, I have seen hundreds of backs healed in my life. How many of you in here have ever heard of a gentleman by the name of Bill Gothard? Well, wow, praise the Lord. Nearly everybody has. Well, only a few years ago, y'all were way ahead of me. I had been in church circles all my life, but I didn't know who Bill Gothard was. I had no idea who Bill Gothard was. In fact, when my phone rang one morning, he said, Is this Thurman Scrivener? I said, Yes, sir. He said, This is Bill Gothard. I said, Okay, sir, how can I help you? You know, I didn't know who he was. And uh, I'd never heard of him. And then I thought, Oh, he, he said, Well, he said, I have a big ministry. And I thought, Maybe he's the guy I heard on, tele, on uh, uh, radio, uh, something. I thought I heard a name similar to Gothard, but I couldn't. I said, Oh, okay, sir. I said, I'm sorry that I don't know you, but I said, I said, how can I help you? And uh, he said, uh, one of the people that worked for me came down to your healing school. I said, yes, sir. And he said, they got healed. I said, well, praise the Lord, sir. <laughs> praise the Lord. I said, so, so uh, what, what can I do for you? He said, well, I want to know how you do this. I said, how do what? He said, I want to know how you get people healed. I said, sir, it's Jesus and the Word. That's how I get them healed. I said, I just tell them what Jesus said. I get them to repent of their sins. 
And then I build their faith with the promises of God. And then I pray for them just like Jesus said. And I said, he does the rest. I just do the natural things and he does the supernatural. I said, I've learned that it's sin that brings sickness and disease upon us. And then I learned this gracious and mighty God that we serve. He is so gracious and mighty that whenever I can get the pens to repent of their sins, people to repent of their sins, it makes no difference what they've done. He forgives them. I said, he's a whole lot more forgiven than I am. I said, you know, he'll forgive you no matter what you do. And I said, then he'll restore you. And I said, after you repent, then you come to him on behalf of his promises and you take a man of faith and he prays for you. I said, he healed them. He said, you know, he said that it's awesome this person that works for me got healed down there. But he said, you know, he said, uh, would you consider speaking at one of my conferences? I said, well, I don't know. I said, I might. I said, uh, where are they? And he said, well, the next one's going to be down at Big Sandy, Texas, down close to Tyler. I said, okay. I said, uh, how big of a group of people do you think you might have? He said, oh, I check at least 3,000. I thought, wait a minute, 3,000? I mean, 300's a big group for me. You know, I mean, if I had 300 in a healing school, I'd think there's something else, you know. But I'd never spoken to a group that big. And I told him, I said, sir, if you're in a ministry that big, uh, you've got to have a lot of board members and a lot of people you're responsible to and all that kind of stuff. So I said, I'd like to send you and your board some of my teaching and you listen to them first. He said, you're a Baptist, aren't you? I said, oh, yes, sir, I'm a Baptist, but I'm definitely not a normal Baptist. <laughs> you know? So I said, I don't teach a normal Baptist doctrine. I said, that, I never got anybody healed when I believed a normal Southern Baptist doctrine. But when I started believing the Word, I started getting people healed and set free. And so he said, well, okay, go ahead and send it to me. So I chose several different tapes and stuff, and I sent them to him and, and to his board. And within the next couple of weeks, they started calling me, asking me questions. What about this? You know, what about Paul's thorn in the flesh? Everybody asked that. What about John 9, 1, 2, and 3 about the blind man? They all got all these questions. You know, they're not willing to study them out for themselves. Or, so anyway, they don't, they don't understand. They didn't know. And so I tried my best to answer their questions. And then Bill said, I have a problem. I said, what's that? He said, I'd have to change the whole Baptist doctrine for you to preach at one of my services. I said, well, that's what I thought, Bill. So he said, I'd love for you to do it, but he said, I can't. I said, I know that. So that's why I wanted you to listen to my stuff first. I said, I didn't want to come down and speak there, and then you throw me out after about 30 minutes. So (laughs) I I didn't want to do that. So I said, I I don't know you really, but I'm sure if you've got a big ministry, you're a great man of God. I didn't realize how great a man of God Bill Gothard is. You know, he's spoken to thousands for the last 50 years. You know, he's a great man of God. So, but I told him, I said, Bill, you and, you and me work for the same king. You know, we work for Jesus. He's the CEO of the universe, of the church. And if he wants me to speak there, he'll make a way because he's our boss. So I said, I have no concern. So Bill said, well, okay. Well, a few weeks goes by, and one day my phone rang. It's Bill Gothard. He said, I'm going to have a problem. He said, Andy Warner, he works for me. And Andy come in this morning. He's a young man in his 20s. He's already had back surgery once. And now then, he walks in in a walker this morning telling me he's just come from the doctor's office and the doctor gave him three options and all of them lead to surgery. He said, I thought we'd call you and see what you said. I said, well, I give him a fourth option and it's Jesus. I said, now, 
Is he there? He said, oh, yeah, he's right here. I said, well, can you put him on the phone? He said, sure, I'm going to put him on a speaker phone so we can all hear what you say. I said, okay. I mean, he had a whole office full of people. So I said, Andy, I said, Andy, are you a Christian? And somebody said, why would you ask him that? Because, you know, I said, there's a lot of people that don't know. I said, are you sure you're a born-again Christian? Oh, yes, sir. I know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I believe he's the King of Kings. And he's my Lord and my Savior. I said, okay, no problem. I said, now then, if you're down in your back, you've got some kind of sin. I said, do you know what kind of sin you're living in? Now, this is something else people don't want to hear. You know, they just don't want to hear. I'm sick and I'm sinning. Oh, yeah, you are. Without sin, the Word of God says, just like Ty said there a while ago, Daddy promised to take all sickness and disease away from you in Psalm 91. Nothing will come near your house. And he knew that. And that's why he was crying out, God, what have I done wrong? See, he didn't know he was doing nothing wrong, but you heard what the Lord told him, didn't you? I mean, and just like nobody wants to be called a whore, do they? Nobody, especially not God. You know, you don't want to hear the king. Now, if you call me one, that wouldn't be too bad. But if God calls me one, that's going to break my heart. Because I don't want to be called that by the king. Well, Ty didn't want to be either. Well, I'm going to tell you, after he got that revelation, he straightened his act up too. Didn't you, Ty? Guaranteed he did. So God answers his prayer again, see. But anyway, I begin to go down through Andy's life. And I, because, see, we don't know what sin is. We don't realize the things that are sin. So I started down through the, the list of sins, you know, all the things I could think of that the Lord was convicting me of. And, of course, everybody's listening on the phone, and we're going sin after sin, different things. And the answer is no. He, I didn't do that. I didn't done that. I have not done that. I don't do that. You know, have you ever had sex with some girl out of wedlock? Nope, don't do that. Do you ever lust after a girl? No, I don't do that. I'm a clean, pure virgin. I've never had sex with nobody. I'm going to stay clean. You know, or do you lie? Do you steal? Do you, all, all the normal stuff. No, 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 no. I said, okay, Sandy, you seem like a very fine young man. Now I know why, now I know why you work for Bill Gothard, you know, because Bill Gothard is a very fine man. I said, he's got a great ministry. I have now learned a lot about his ministry, and he has a great ministry. And some of you may have followed him for years, and some of you may have been in his teaching. He's a very good teacher of the Word. But anyway, I told him, I said, you have something wrong, and now then I can only come down to one final conclusion, and your problem is you have not met 2 Timothy 2.15, where the Lord told you to study his Word, to show yourself approved unto God. He says, sir, I study the Bible a lot. I said, okay. Then if you study like 2 Timothy 2.15 says, then you don't believe what you read. And that's your sin. He said, sir, I believe God's Word. I said, okay. Then let's come down to this. And if you believe God's Word, then you don't know it. He said, what do you mean? I have studied and I do believe it and I do know it. I said, okay. If you do then I want you to turn to one promise in God's Word, and that promise is Matthew chapter 18, verse 19. I want you to turn to Matthew 18, 19, and I said, Andy, I want you to open your Bible. I want you to read that great and awesome promise God made you in His Word. He turned over there and he said, Matthew 18, 19 says this, If two of us on earth agree about anything we ask Him for, it shall be done for us by our Father which is in heaven. I said, what do you not understand about that? He said, what do you mean? I said, you didn't know that. 
Well, he said, well, I do know that. I said, no, no, obviously it has not become a revelation to you that Jesus Christ made you a promise right there that if you would call upon the Father in the name of Jesus with somebody else, as long as there's two of you and you're on earth, he made you a promise he would do so if you believed. But you've got to believe. Is that what he said? See, that's why I told you the other night. I think we're going to have to have an English class on what all and everything means. Because, you know, I was the same way now. Don't get me wrong. You know, I was the same way. But I said, now, now I know that Jesus meant what he said. I said, now, you've, you meet all the criteria. You're a fine young man. I have not found any sin in your life. And this is great for a 21 or 2 or 3 year old young man. You find very few of them that's that clean and pure. But see, God knows respect your person. If you don't know his word, don't believe his word, you can still walk sick. Now, here's this boy who's already had surgery once, and now then he's ready for it again, walking with a walker. I said, now then, read that scripture to me one more time. And he said, if two of us on earth agree about anything we ask him for, it shall be done for us by our Father which is in heaven. Is that awesome? Now, who is that a promise from? From God, from the King of Kings. Now then it boils down to this song, How Big Is Your Jesus? How Big Is Your? You think He can do that? Well, see, I used to not believe that, but one day my Jesus got a whole lot bigger. Now I believe my Jesus can do anything He said in His Word. Anything. And so after finding no sin in this young man's life, He's clean, He's pure. All I got to do is find a promise that he can believe and we can get him healed. So I said, first of all, will you repent now that you've learned it? Will you repent and tell God you're sorry that you didn't have that verse hidden in your heart? So see what? That was a sin. He didn't have the word hidden in his heart. He was a child of God. He's supposed to study it. He's supposed to know it. God said in his word in Leviticus 5.17, whether you know it or not, I hold you accountable for every word in this book. That's scary, isn't it? Especially for preachers. He holds me and you accountable for every word in that book, whether we know it or not. But that's written. So anyway, the young man repented. He said, Lord, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, Lord, that I didn't know that. He said, I've tried my best. But he said, Lord, I am young. You know, I've studied your word. I've done the best I could. But Father, I'm asking you to forgive me for not knowing that scripture, especially for not believing it. And I said, he's now forgiven you because in 1 John 1, 9, the king says, when you come and confess your sins, I am righteous and just to forgive your sin and to restore you to righteousness. What an awesome God, huh? So I said, now then, I can pray the prayer of faith for you. I said, Father, in Jesus' name, on behalf of Matthew 18, 19, I ask you to reach down and touch Handy Warner with the power of the Holy Ghost and completely heal that back right now. I said, Lord, thank you. It's done. I said, you agree with me, Andy? He said, I do. I looked at my watch. I said, good grief. I got 15 minutes to get the Bible study. I've been with you a long, too long, time too long. I said, I got to hurry. I said, call me in the morning with your praise report. You hear any faith in that? I didn't call it. I didn't say, now, hopefully, maybe God will do something if it's his will. No, I used the word and stood on the word in faith. I hung the phone up. I mean, after all, did Jesus say if two of us on earth agreed he'd do it? So why does it not work for the most of us? Unbelief or sin. That's absolutely right. We've got something wrong, and he won't. It doesn't work because it's never God that's the problem. The problem's always right here. You don't have to go very far to find the problem. 
It's real close to you. And it's probably in your mouth. <laughs> probably. But anyway, I prayed the prayer of faith for him. Told him to call me in the morning with a praise report. Hung up the telephone. God instantly healed Andy over the telephone. Bam, he was instantly healed. His pain went away in his back. He began to run around Bill Gothard's office screaming, I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm healed. Well, the next morning at 7 o'clock, my telephone was ringing. It was Bill Gothard with Andy Warner. He said, Dominic. Andy was instantly healed yesterday when you prayed for him. I said, well, praise God. That's what I expected. You know, I expected the Lord to do it. He promised it. I just prayed in faith. I told you to call me this morning with your praise report. He said, this stuff you teach really works. I said, hey, isn't that amazing? You know, it's God's Word. So anyway, uh, we go along there a couple of weeks, and he calls me and says, I got another boy here down in his back. I said, okay, what's his name? And that was either, I believe it was Robert something, but I can't think what his name was. But anyway, I start going through this boy's sins. I ask him if he's a Christian. Oh, yeah, he's a Christian. I start covering all of his sins. And it's not long I get down. It, have you lied? You stole? All cheated? All these things? No, 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 no. I'm walking obedient. I said, have you ever committed fornication? Uh, no, no. He said, I'm, I'm 25 years old, but I've never been to bed with a woman. I don't do that. I said, okay. Have you ever thought in your mind about going to bed with a girl? Have you ever looked at one and said, Ooh, I'd love to go to bed with her? There was dead silence for a minute. And he said, I said, Now don't lie to God. <laughs> he said, Yes, sir, I've been guilty of that. You know, it's not a whole lot of young men hadn't been guilty of that. You know, not, hadn't been a whole lot of young women hadn't looked at some boy, too, and said, I wonder what that would be like to go to bed with him. See? So you're lusting, and when you lust, when you do that, you're guilty of sin. That's sin. Somebody said, but I didn't commit the act. So you didn't read the New Testament very good. The New Testament says under the New Covenant, if you even think about killing your brother, you're guilty of murder. It says if you think about having sex with somebody out of wedlock, you're guilty of adultery. So that's how easy it is to sin. So he said, well, I've done that. I said, okay, then that's your sin. That's what has brought this sickness and disease upon your back. I said, now, will you repent? Now, Bill's listening to all this, and everybody in the office is listening to all this. You know, so they're seeing how I do this. And so the young man repents of his sins. He asks God to forgive him. Now, then, does God say he'll forgive you? Absolutely. Do we serve a gracious and mighty God? I'm so grateful that he'll forgive Yes. All of us. I mean, my wife holds her hands up. Praise God. Because we know where we've all lived in our life. You know, we know what we've done wrong in our lives. And, I mean, my wife's favorite verse is Psalm 103, verse 12, where he says, I put my sins as far as the east is from the west and never remember them again. He said, thank you, Jesus, because I've committed too many things that I don't want to be remembered. One, can, you, can you imagine, Ty? See, he, he only come back to the Lord in 91, so he lived in some bad places before 91. Can you imagine coming to heaven one day and a king in front of everybody say, Okay, Ty, let's list all your sins for all these people. Oh, no, we don't want that, do we? No, because so see, when he repented in 91 and come home, how many of his sins did he wash away? Oh, so now he's got a clean white robe. So now when he goes home, the Lord says, Oh, look at my clean white boy there here. His clean gown, no black spots on it. Praise God, he says, come in because of the blood. And that, I'm going to tell you, that's all of us want to be there, right? You don't want to go to heaven with no unconfessed sin in your life because you don't want to have that black spot on your robe when you get there. 
You want to make sure every day you repent of every sin that that robe is clean and white because you might die today. And if you know you got some kind of sin in your life, don't carry it through the day. I mean, get rid of it. Get that, get that robe clean and white because you might die today. You don't know. You have no idea where the king's at in this walk with you. So, and, and you can die in a heartbeat. You know that? Today, I mean, you can be, say, I ain't going out today. I might get killed on the Autobahn or on the car. I mean, on the Autobahn. We come from Germany. <laughs> I might get killed on the highways, the freeways or whatever. And then you might go in to take a bath. You say, I'm totally safe here. And your foot slips, you break your neck and kill yourself right there in the bathtub. You know, so you can get killed in the bathtub. I'm telling you. You know, or you can die. Your heart can stop, you know, watching television. Can you imagine you're staying home? I'm going to be really good today. I'm going to stay home, but I'm going to watch a soap opera. And ain't nobody here, so nobody will know that I'm watching a soap opera. But you're sitting watching a soap opera, and you're going through all kinds of sexual sins, and you're watching all the junk that's on there, and all of a sudden your heart stops, and you show up to God, and somebody says, Oh, what were you doing just before you came home? Can you imagine having to tell them I was watching a soap opera? <laughs> That would be devastating, wouldn't it? Wow, would that be devastating? I don't want to go there. I mean, I want to, I want, I want to, when they said, what were you doing? I said, man, I was preaching the word. I was, I was getting people saved and people were coming up accepting Jesus. We were casting out demons and healing the sick. That's what we were doing just before we come home. That's the way we want to go home. We don't want to go home with any kind of sin. But this young boy, he had repented, Robert. He had repented of all of his sins and everything. And I used that same verse, Matthew 18, 19. It, I mean, it works. I've used that verse, I don't know how many times, for how many people's healing. So I told Robert, I said, Robert, now I want you to read the same verse that I had Andy read a couple of weeks ago. And I want you to see, now that you've repented of all your sins, the Lord made you a promise. I want you to believe that. And he read it. He said, I believe that. I said, okay, now that you've repented, you're walking in obedience. Jesus has washed you. You're clean and pure. I'm going to take this verse, I'm going to pray the prayer of faith for you, and God's going to heal you. Now see, you've got to know what His will is. Do you think it's God's will that He wants to heal His people? Yeah. Sure, you've got to believe that. Now a lot of people will tell you, in fact, this is some of the writings that's on the internet against me, that this guy Scrivener says God heals everybody all the time, but that's not right. He, is, he doesn't promise in His Word to heal everybody all the time, but He does. It's there. It's written. Because, see, He's a faith God. I know that I thought when I read that this afternoon about this man, one man said, Scrivener's teaching that God heals everybody all the time, but it's not his will to heal everybody all the time. I thought, you know, he must not have never, and he's a Ph.D. in a seminary, but he must not have never read the promise in Psalms 103. Psalms 103, if you don't know what that psalm says, this is just one of the many places the Lord says in Psalms 103, Bless the Lord. Bless the holy name of the Lord. Bless the Lord with all your heart. Bless the Lord. And he said, and then after you've blessed him for two verses, bless him, bless him. And if you walk into your church and you're not willing to say, praise the Lord. <laughs> Some people come in church like this and they sit down. And when the pastor said, or the song leader said, let's stand and sing, they stand and sing and they won't raise their hands. They look like a cow eating a pickler pear, you know. You know, got burrs all in it and all that kind of, no smile, no nothing. They won't get excited about Jesus. Well, let me tell you, that's, the Lord says, bless me. He says, come into my house with dance. He says, come into my house rejoicing and praising me because I'm your Lord and your God. 
or when you do it his way. Then he says, if you bless me, he said, then forget not all of my benefits. Number one, he says, I'm the God that forgives all of your iniquities. Then I'm the God that heals all. Oh, but you know God don't heal everybody. Didn't you know that? He don't heal everybody. So that's got to be a misprint, right? No, it ain't a misprint. God said it. If he wasn't willing to heal everybody, then he wouldn't have put it in his book, would he? But he's willing. But then if he don't heal everybody, where's the problem? With God? No. No. Guess where he's at? Right here. We're the problem. But when we believe, he heals all of us every time. When we repent of our sins and come to him in belief and total confession, he does. Well, little, little Robert... After he repented of his sins and we stood on the Word, stood on that same promise in Matthew 18, 19, I prayed the prayer of faith for him. I said, now, Robert, if you believe that, I, I said, can you agree with me in that prayer? He said, I agree. I said, then I guarantee you in the name of Jesus, you are healed. The King of the universe cannot lie. He settled his Word forever in heaven. It cannot be broken. I said, he can't lie. So you are healed in the name of Jesus. And we thank the Lord and I hung up the telephone. The next morning, Bill Gosser called me back. He said, Thurman, this stuff works. He said, the minute you prayed for Robert, he said, you hung up that phone, and that boy was on a bed, and he said, Bill, all my pain just left. And he, I, Bill said, well, get up. He said, I crawled over to the edge of the bed and got up, and Bill said he started doing handsprings. He took a hike up in the mountains, come back and played basketball till 2 o'clock in the morning this morning. He said, if I ever seen the boys healed, he's healed. He said, this stuff you teach really works. I said, well, after all, Bill, it's only God's Word. You know, I said, God's the one who does this. Here, I'm down here in Justin, Texas, and you're in Chicago. And he's doing it over the telephone. So a few weeks later, I won't call the pastor's name, but the pastor has since deceased, but he was a pastor of a huge church, and he had a son. And the son was extremely sick, and he had a daughter that was extremely sick. And so Bill called me. And said, Thurman, can I set up an appointment with you and this preacher? Now, when he told me who it was, I thought, wow, this guy is nationally known. I've known this. I mean, I don't know him personally, but I've seen him on television. I've listened to him on radio. This guy is a big boy in the church. He said, he's got a son that's sick and a daughter that's sick. He said, I want to get with you with his son. He said, his son's the sickest. I said, okay. He said, can we call you next Thursday morning at 10 o'clock? I want to set up a conference call where you can talk to him. I said, sure, no problem. So the next Thursday morning, I think that was Monday or Tuesday. Well, Thursday, the phone rang exactly at 10 o'clock. And it was a conference call from Bill Gothard. And he had this big preacher on there and his son. They were in his office in another state. And he introduced me to him. Of course, this big guy had never heard of a little insignificant guy like me. You know, He didn't know who I was. But I knew who he was. But I knew Jesus knew both of us. So that's the only thing that makes any difference. You know, the king, he knows. And so I, you don't matter whether we know each other or not. So, and I, Bill began to tell him, he said, now this is the man I told you that prayed for these two young men in the last few weeks of my office and both of them were instantly healed. And so anyway, we began to talk and I talked to the young man and I said, uh, son, uh, I don't know you or anything about you. But if you're sick and afflicted with a serious pain in your body, all over your body, you've got some kind of sin, and we've got to find out what it is. And so I began to ask him, are you a Christian? He said, well, yes, I'm a Christian. I said, well, okay. I said, sir, don't be you know, intimidated with the questions I ask you. 
I just got to know something because I don't know you. So I said, I can't assume anything with the Word of God. So I've got to know, are you a born-again Christian? Have you got sins? And so I said, well, no, I don't have any sin. And I said, well, no, I know that's a lie because you're sick. He said, are you telling me that because I'm sick i got to sin? I said, sir, that's what the Word says. The Word says if you don't sin, if you keep yourself, I said, 1 John 5.18 makes you this promise. Now, the first time I read 1 John 5.18, I thought this cannot be true because if it was true, I couldn't be a child of God. Because 1 John 5.18 makes this statement. My children do not sin. Do not sin, it says. Well, I knew I had sinned since I'd been a Christian. So I thought, I must not be a Christian. I mean, you, you understand where I'm coming from? I thought, there's got to be a misprint here somewhere. Because I feel sure I am a born-again Christian. But 1 John 5.18 says, my children do not sin. They keep themselves from evil, and the evil one, which is the devil, cannot touch you. Isn't that an awesome statement? So, what if you do sin, then what is the flip side of that? If you don't sin, the devil can't touch you. Then what if you do sin? He can. That's absolutely right. That's what that means. So I went and researched that. I mean, I researched that scripture. And finally, one day, I found out that the meaning in the Greek of those words along there, it says, my true children do not practice sinning. Now, that made a whole new, give me a whole new revelation. Now, I don't practice it, but that means I can make a mistake once in a while. Because we know we all do that, don't we, brother? I don't care how good a Christian we are every once in a while, due to the flesh or the devil, we'll do something that's not exactly according to the Word. We'll make a mistake. But see, the beautiful part about it is when we sin, we've got the Holy Ghost that's telling us, don't do it, don't do it, and we still do it. And then after we do it, He said, now you need to repent. I mean, is that right? I mean, when you start, when you start to sin, for you, for you that are born again Christian, when you start to do something, do you have a little something in there saying, don't do that? You've heard that too, hadn't you? Don't do that. You know, but you're thinking, that's got to be just me. You know, that couldn't be God trying to tell me no. But it is. Now then, it all depends on where your walk is and how blinded you are and how far into sin you are as to whether you can hear that voice or not. Now, if you just keep on sinning, I mean, and keep on sinning, first they know you're in such sin. And, and I use this uh, relation since I was an engineer and I've designed a lot of plumbing systems and everything else like that. If you've got a plumbing pipe and that pipe, say you've got a four-inch conduit and you look through it and it's a brand new pipe, man, it's slick. There's no, no restrictions in that pipe. Boy, you can look through that pipe, you see everything in through that pipe. But if that pipe's been in that hole a lot of years and a lot of crud and junk and everything else has come through that pipe and one day it gets stopped up, maybe at a corner, but something starts hanging there first thing, more stuff hang, more, more, all kinds of stuff, and then all of a sudden that pipe's totally blocked up. When it's blocked up, there ain't no water flows through it. I mean, it's plugged. Well, that's what happens to us. That's between us and God. When we stop up our conduit between the Holy Ghost and our spirit with crud, which is sin, we get to where we can't hear him no more. He's up there screaming, Thurman, you're sinning. But I ain't hearing him. You know, he, he can't just say, Thurman, you, you don't do that. Now, if my pipe is clean and i got every sin repented of and I'm walking holy before him, all he's got to do is say, Thurman, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. 
I can hear him. You know, uh, one night, just talk about hearing the Lord's voice like that. One night after God had told Cheryl and I to get married, I mean, after the wonderful dream he gave her, and the next morning he spoke to me and told me we were to get married, and, and that night I asked her to marry a woman. I mean, I asked a woman to marry me that I'd never had a date with, never knew nothing, and she accepted. I mean, I mean, isn't that awesome? If you haven't heard that story, it's an awesome story. It really is. You know, I was not going to get married. She wasn't going to get married. She hadn't been married 24 years, and my, and my first wife, the one that got killed in a car wreck, you know, I was never planning to be remarried again, never. Christy even tried to get her mother. Mother, date with some of these guys. Get, mother, you got to find your husband because I don't want to take care of you when you get old. That's what she <laughs> I know, I know, I know why you tried to get rid of mama. You didn't want to have to take care of her all your life. I know. But anyway, Christy tried to get mama to date, but mama wouldn't. She hadn't been married in a long time. And so she, she got healed at one of my meetings. And uh, she repented of her sins and got right with God. And I touched her in the name of Jesus. And he healed her. And she started coming to my church. But I had no contact with her. But after a couple of years, uh, she'd been coming. And then one day, uh, actually happened on the 26th of uh, April of 04, she had a dream. And in that dream, she woke up the next morning in that dream. And she, in the dream, the Lord told her she fixed to marry me, her pastor. And she woke up saying, this has got to be from the devil. I rebuke you, devil, in the name of Jesus. (laughs) You know, she just couldn't fathom the fact that if she ever did get married, it would not be to a preacher. Although she was a godly woman that, you know, that was ministering to people, but she just didn't dream God had ever put her with a preacher. So the very next morning after you have heard that dream, I woke up. When I woke up, I was looking at Cheryl right in the face. I mean, I'm laying there in bed, open my eyes, and there she was, about 12 inches from my face. I jumped out of the bed, and it was such a real vision. I jumped out. I said, "God, what are you? What was the vision of this woman in my bed?" And he said, "He said, son, Cheryl's going to be your wife." I said, "Cheryl's going to be my wife." I thought, "What do I do now, God?" But he didn't say nothing else. And, you know, that's all he said. I mean, you know, he gave her a little simple dream, and he spoke to her and told her she's going to be my wife. I guess he thinks, well, you two know what to do after that. Now, all y'all got to do is get together, and you got to ask her. And so that was Tuesday morning. We had Bible study Tuesday night. And after the Bible study was over Tuesday night, I hadn't seen her. Well, I had a, a group at least this large in Bible study that night. And so it had a, had a bunch there. Uh, what happened? The battery went dead on her, on her mic. Have we got another one, Dave? We'll see what we got. I didn't. I guess when it went dead, it went dead. This is the one. Uh, praise the Lord. Okay, let's stick it in there. This is where it came out of. Praise the Lord. Okay. That worked, didn't it? Praise the Lord. We'll try it again now. Okay, so when the batteries die, they just die. That's the way things are. But anyway, we got power again now. So anyway, as we were uh, going through this little story about Cheryl and I, uh, I had Bible study that night, and she was not there. Uh, I had ne- normally did not look for her on Tuesday night, but tonight I at least looked for her, and she was not there. So I thought, oh, well, you know, who knows what God's doing here. So anyway, uh, after church was over, in about 1015, we started at 7, just like we did here tonight, but about 10:15, we were through teaching and through praying for people, and I turned, and there she stood at the counter, and I said, oh, 
I said, I didn't see you tonight. What are you doing here? She said, I have your keys. I said, what are you doing with my keys? She said, well, Marcia gave them to me and told me to give them to you. And I said, well, okay. So she handed me my keys. I said, Cheryl, uh, I said, have you ever thought about working for me? And she said, I have. I said, do you think you might like to work for me? She said, I would. I said, well, we're fixing to close the building up, and there's only one man left here. I said, when he leaves, I don't want to be in the building with a lady by myself. I don't ever put myself in that condition. So I said, why don't you follow me in your car? I didn't even offer to let her go with me. I said, you follow me in your car, and we'll go down and we'll find a little restaurant. We drove down to a little IHOP because they're open 24-7, you know. We pulled in there to a little IHOP, went in, and we were drinking a cup of tea, and we're sitting there, and she's sitting across the table from me, and I said, uh, why would you want to work for me, Cheryl? I said, did you have a word from God about this? She said, I did. I said, well, would you please share it with me? And she said, oh, no. She said, it, 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 she said it was too personal, and I'm afraid it might offend you. She said, I couldn't, ever, I couldn't tell you. I said, now, look, if you had a word from God about working for me, I want to know what God told you. And I said, I've been a pastor for a few years now, so I don't think I'm offendable. I try to be unoffendable anymore. Well, okay, she said, I'll tell you. She said, last night I had a dream. She said, in the dream, I wasn't just working for you, I was married to you. I said, oh, you did? I said, I had a vision of you this morning, the Lord spoke to me and told me you were going to be my wife. So I said, how would you like to come to work for me as my full-time helpmate? And she said, I'd love it. And she reached across the table and held my hand for the first time. That's not a normal way to get engaged, is it, young lady? If this man had walked in, I guess he's your husband. If he had walked in and asked you to marry me, you ain't never been on a date or ain't never held your hand, you'd have probably said no, wreck it. <laughs> yeah, sure. But Cheryl said yes, because she had had a word from the king. I'd had a vision and a word from the king. And so uh, a week later, that was on Tuesday night, and the next Sunday night after church, uh, her and her daughter were singing at a place, and we went out there, that little restaurant where they were singing together, and I walked up there, and Christy, you know, she told me that night, she said, can I tell my daughter? I said, no, no, not yet. Let's wait till I can get a time where we can tell her, and then I can tell my son, because if you tell her tonight, call her, and then I won't be able to see Tim until next Monday. And I said, if something might happen, and I don't want somebody else to tell my son, I want to tell him myself. And she said, okay. So, because my son had just asked me a few days before, Dad, you ever going to get married again? I said, oh, no, son, never, never. I, you know, no marriage for me. And so he said, well, okay, Dad. So anyway, when we walked up there that night after they got to singing, uh, I walked up and uh, we were loading equipment and everything. And uh, Cheryl, you know, Christy knew me. Uh, she knew who I was, that I was a pastor and everything. And uh, I said something to her. I said, uh, I said, she, I forget now. She asked me a question or something, and I answered it. And then I said, by the way, Christy, uh, how would you like to be my daughter? She looked at me and she said, how, be your daughter? What do you mean? I said, your mother and I are fixing to get married. And her jaw fell this far. <laughs> she said, Mama, I didn't even know you and Thurman had been dating. She said, we haven't been. <laughs> that really, it fell the rest of the way to the floor of this. Oh, but same thing. So I went home the next night and told my son when he came in, I said, son, uh, Dad's fixing to get married. 
He said, married? He said, I just asked you the other day and you said you wasted dad. I didn't even know you was dating a lady. Married? He said, I just asked you the other day and you said you wasted dad. I didn't even know you was dating a lady. I said, I'm not. I haven't been on a date yet. He said, what do you mean you had not been on a date and you're going to get married? I said, I have not been on a date yet, but I asked a woman to marry me and she said yes. <laughs> and again, my son liked to fell out. You can imagine. You that. So anyway, this was a supernatural thing. So, but I've come to realize that God don't do nothing normal in my life. And so I'm grateful to serve a supernatural God. And now back to the story of this pastor. And, and, and now that all that has fit in here, we'll go back. I'm on this conference call now with this pastor and his son. And we're talking about sin and how it affects you and it makes you sick. And so, I mean, I try to find every kind of thing I can imagine. And this boy will not acknowledge any kind of sin. He says, that's not what makes me sick. I said, sir, I'm telling you, that's what makes you sick. And I said, if you don't repent, I said, I'm going to tell you, I don't know you, and I, I only know your daddy from television and radio, but I said, he's a very godly man, what I see on television and radio. I highly respect your daddy, but I said, I don't know you. But I said, I'm going to tell you, God is no respecter of persons, and you're sick because of your sin. And he finally, after about two, two hours, he said, I've had all this nonsense I'm going to listen to. I am in pain. I'm gone and he hung up his phone and he walked off and his daddy turned to me and said Thurman you are preaching a very condemning gospel I said sir the word of God answers that in first John it says when the word of God condemns you not you know you have the petition you ask of God first John three what is that first John three something I don't know exactly, 1 John 3, 10, 12, my honey bunny will find it here in just a minute, 1 John 3, something, it says there that when we ask the Father, anything we, huh? 8, 8, 1 John 3, 8, wait a minute, she's looking, not 8, 1 John 3, what? Yeah, well. No, no, that's not it. Beloved, if our heart condemns us not, then have we confidence toward God? Yeah, that's it. That's 21. 21. Okay, verse 21. 1 John 3, 21. I don't have my glasses on and I'm reading. Hey, praise the King. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. But see, the Word of God says, When our hearts condemn us not, we know the Lord hears our request and He answers our request. Now see, if your heart condemns you, in fact, talking about that right here, I was up in the, the Baltimore area a few years ago, and there was a man that after church went home with me and the pastor. He said, he was a good friend of the pastor's, and he said, I, I was staying at the pastor's house that night because it was just me. And he said, uh, I've got some questions I want to ask you. And he had a family, and I didn't know he was getting ready to divorce his wife. Wow. Had a wife and three children, and he was getting ready to divorce her. And he said, here's the man, come to church, come to our meeting. And so we went home, and when we went to the house, he said, you know, I had a dream the other night. And he said, I dreamed that I was, I saw myself fixing to ask God for something. And when I did, said, my heart jumped out of my chest. It's like another person. It ran out there in front of me and began to scream, murderer, liar, adulterer. And I thought, 
what is it? He said, every time I'd start to ask God something, he said, I had this dream several nights in a row. Every time I'd ask him for something, he said, I'd have that dream. And said, out of my chest would jump my heart like another human being and turn around and put his finger in my face and say, liar, cheat, adulterer, murderer. He said, what does that mean? I said, well, that, I, I don't do a very good job on dreams very often, but I think I got that one. <laughs> he said, what do you mean? I said, the Word of God says, I know where the answer is because it's in 1 John 3, and it said, when your heart condemns you not, then you know you have your petition. So I said, you obviously have been lying, cheating, committing adultery or something on your wife. Or what? I said, are you married? He said, yes, I am. I said, have you been doing those things? He said, unfortunately, I have. And he said, I'm fixing to divorce my wife. I said, God's trying to warn you. Well, what you're fixing to do is wrong. Or what you've been doing is wrong. And every time you come to him asking something, he's not going to answer your prayer because you're living in sin. I said, he ain't going to hear you. I said, you, in God's sight, you have not repented. You've not turned from your wicked ways. And I said, if you divorce that woman, you probably, after all that warning, I said, you might never get another prayer answered in your life. I said, you don't want to go there. I said, you want to repent. You want to tell God you're sorry while He'll still hear your prayer. I said, you want to repent. You want to go home and tell your wife you're sorry. And you want to repent and you want to love her like God loved the church. And I said, you want to walk holy in obedience to the king and in love your wife. That man listened to me that night. He repented before God of everything he'd done. Went home, repented to his wife. And his wife forgave him. And last time I heard from them... They were walking in a wonderful love relationship and their family, their children were all there. Well, see, God was trying to warn him in dreams. God says, I terrify my people in dreams. He comes to us trying to get our attention. But see, when your heart condemns you not. Now, this is what this preacher said. Thurman, you're preaching a condemning gospel. Well, hey, I mean, if somebody says, you bunch of stiff-necked people here, you don't never tithe... Hey, that don't affect me at all. You know, I'm a tither. You know, I don't affect me. He ain't talking to me. You know, but if that convicts you of sin, hey, you're not doing what God says. You're not, you're, in other words, if you're stealing from God, you're not tithing, you're not giving Him the first tenth of your increase, you're stealing from God, and God calls you a thief, and He said, I will curse you with a curse. Did you know that is the only place in the Word of God that the Lord says He will curse you with a double whammy? Everywhere else, he said, you sin like this, and I'll curse you. You do this, and I'll curse you. He even said, if you commit adultery, I'll curse you. I mean, over and over and over, he talks about what he will do to curse you. But when it comes to giving money, he says, you're a thief. Now, how would you like to be a thief before God? I mean, if you've got a man or a woman working in your office, and they just steal a couple of bucks from you every once in a while, or they just steal, I mean, stuff that maybe it's little stuff. I mean, they take a case of Cokes with them home out of the office every night or every once a week for their family. They stole it. And if they come and ask you, says, can I take this? I mean, we don't have enough money to do so-and-so. Could I have a half a case of, or a six-pack of Cokes to take home to my family? Hey, you probably say yes. Then they don't steal it, right? But if they don't ask and they take them, they're stealing them. Now, if you catch them stealing, are you going to bless them? You're going to bless them, let them find another job somewhere, right? That's the kind of blessing you're going to give them. How many of you, how many of you like to have a thief in your home? Okay, so nobody held up their hand. 
If nobody likes a thief, obviously God don't like it either, right? So then why don't the church tithe? God says, if you don't tithe, I'll curse you with a curse. You want to know why people in the church don't have their needs met? Because they're under a curse from God because they don't tithe. I mean, I, I, I lived there. I mean, when I heard the preacher preach that the first time years ago, I, I went home and said, hey, I am not tithing. I said, there is no way. Back in those days, this has been a lot of years ago, this one I was working for $40 a week. Now today, y'all would think, $40, that's nothing. But this is 50 years ago. You know, almost, 50, yeah, what, 50 years ago? Over 50 years ago. And I was working for $40 a week. And when the offering plates passed, I'd put a dollar in there. I'm thinking I'm doing something wonderful. You know, I'm giving God a dollar. Well, I would never forget the Sunday over in Sherman, Texas, that I was in the military over there, and I was making this $40 a week. And when the offering plate was passed that Sunday, I put my dollar in there, you know, and it went on down the line. In a little while, there's a preacher, but he said, there's people that will come to this church and accept the grace of God and get saved, and all the wonderful promises of God are theirs. And when the offering plate passed, he'll put a lousy dollar bill in the offering plate. And I looked up when he said a dollar bill, and guess where that finger was pointing? Right straight at me. I thought I slid down under the seat. But can you hide from God? No, the king knew. I wonder how many other people in that church saw that finger pointing right at them that day, too. Or he don't tell it. But he pointed it at me, that's for sure. I went home and I said, hey, I said, Lord, there's not any way I can give you $4 a week. I don't have enough money to make it now. Now, lots of people are there. You're right where I was. If you're not tithing, you can't meet your needs. If God says, if I can't trust you with a little, I certainly can't trust you with a lot. So I think, okay, God, I, I, I first kind of tried to rationalize this. I was like, okay, Lord, I'm giving a dollar now. I'm making 40 and giving a dollar and I can't make it. So, if, Lord, if you'll increase my pay to 60, then I could give you four. You know. Now, that, that don't compute either, does it? Well, see, you try to rationalize it. I said, okay, God, I can't do it. I, I realize, I look at this book, I realize that your word, that preacher wasn't just talking to me. He was talking right out of the word. I believe the word. I have been raised as a Baptist. In the few years I've been in the Baptist church, which is all my life at that time, they taught me to at least believe it if God said it. So I said, okay, I've got to give you $4. So I said, Lord, I ain't no way I can make it. Now, boy, that's a wrong concession, isn't there? I mean, but I didn't know these things back in those days. See, I didn't know the power of the confession. Just like Ty was telling you a while ago, he confessed he was going to be a doctor. He said it over and over. He became a doctor. Then he confessed he was going to be a wealthy rancher. And let me tell you, he's become that. In fact, in I believe it was 1995, he had the grand champion Red Angus Bull at, the, at one of the stock shows. That means he's had a lot of way up there to top. He's been a very successful rancher. And he's raised some beautiful cows. How? His confession is right. He walks in obedience to God's Word. He learned his principles even before he knew Mark 11:23 was in the book. He learned, he confessed the right thing. And the Word of God will work for you even if you don't know the promises as long as your speaking is correct. And his was. Well, mine was wrong. I didn't know the truth. And so I was saying the wrong thing, but I did start being obedient. I said, Lord, I ask you to forgive me, and I'm going to give you this $4. Well, lo and behold, next week, for the first time in my life, I had enough paycheck to pay all the bills. I had never happened. Well, slowly but surely, as I get, things started getting better and better, 
and I had to have a little more money left over, and another, maybe it's only a dollar or two, but I had a little more money left over, and then slowly I began to make a little bit more money, and I started giving God the money. And of course, as, as things went on in life, I started investing more, giving God more. And by the time I was ready, no, I wasn't going to retire till I was 65 or 70 from the workplace, but God had a different plan. So after 29 years in the workplace, Somebody had asked me, how long are you going to work? I said, man, I'm healthy. I'm going to work till I don't feel good. I'm going to work forever. But God said, oh, no, you're not. I have a different plan for you, and you cannot be an engineer and work in these places and go and do what I've called you to do. So he said, I'm going to get you fired. <laughs> and so the company started coming to me and saying, Thurman, you sign your emails Praise the Lord. You're going to have to stop that. And you also run around here all the time saying, Praise the Lord. And you pray with people. You've got to stop that. I said, No. That's my right to say, Praise the Lord. It's my right to say grace over the meals out loud in the cafeteria if I want to. And they said, You have to stop it. I said, Nope. I ain't stopping it. So, in May of 2002, there was a little Spanish lady, and I don't know if she was saved or lost. All I know is she's a little, probably 50-year-old woman, and I knew she was a human being. She, she, was in, she worked in the cafeteria, and she was a cafeteria lady there on the airport where I worked, and one evening about 5 o'clock, I heard somebody screaming. And I didn't know who it was. I go running down the corridor to the hot food section where I heard the screams come from, and here's this little Edelina, the cafeteria cook. She is screaming, and everybody's gathered around her. She has one of those great big ovens that's cooked the meals in. She had opened that big steel door, and the thing had been 350 degrees inside, so that door is extremely hot. Of course, they cool off pretty quick when you open them down, but it's still way hot because it's a steel door. And she had reached in with her big gloves and got a sheet pan and turned when she did her foot slipped on something and this arm fell on the door of that oven. Now from where the glove was to where her shirt sleeve was, that door had to be 200 plus degrees. What do you think it did to the lower portion of that arm, brother? Fried it. I mean, just fried it. I mean, her arm was big blisters were coming up. It was black and it looked awful. And she was screaming. Some of you were just gritting your teeth thinking about this. You know, but this lady it happened to. So I go running down there, and you know, it's amazing how we as Christians, we always look to the physical things of the world. Call 911. Get the first aid kit out. Nobody thinks about the Word of God. Isn't that amazing how we don't ever think about God? But He's the greatest power source we got. Like Ty said, well, I go plug into Him. Man, when you plug into Him, He's awesome. So, I go running down there to where this woman's screaming where everybody's trying to doctor, pour cold water on her and everything else to cool her arm off. And I grab hold of this arm and I quote Isaiah 53, 4 and 5. And in verse 4, he clearly says when you translate that word, he bore our grief. That means pain. In the Hebrew, that word is also translated many other places in the, in the Hebrew text as pain. So if Jesus bore your pain, then technically he doesn't plan for you and me to have to bear it. He bore our pain. 
So I said, I've quoted, though, and then verse 5 says, By his stripes we are healed. So I quoted Isaiah 53, 4 and 5 right quick. Now this is where you don't have time to go get your Bible. You know, you've got to have the Word hidden in your heart. You know, you don't have time. That's kind of like if you go out there in the field and, a, and an enemy sh- get, uh, there is going to shoot you and you're over in Iraq and you left your gun in the barracks, you're in trouble. You better have that baby on your hand. You better have your hand on the trigger. Because if you've got to reach to get it, he's going to kill you before you get there. But that's the way the devil is. If he gives legal right, and of course, their foot had slipped, she had burned her arm. I quoted Isaiah 53, 4 and 5. And then I quoted this magnificent promise in Mark 16, 17 and 18, where Jesus said, in verse 18, Jesus said, And these signs shall follow those that believe. Now, you've got to be a believing believer, and not an unbelieving believer. Now, I've come to realize there's too many unbelieving believers in the church. We have not studied God's Word. He made us these promises, and He's no respecter of persons. He'll use them with anybody that will walk in obedience to His Word and quote His Word back to Him. That's what He requires. So I said, Jesus said in Mark 16, 18, These signs shall follow those that believe. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall get well. But I said, I don't know how long it will take Him to do that. If I do that, it may take a week. So I, I'm going to go to Mark 11:23 that says, Whatever I say with my mouth, if I believe with my heart, I can have it. So I said, Ma'am, with that verse, I am guaranteeing you that the King of the universe, His name Jesus, will do a supernatural healing on your arm. Now see, that's what I want. So I praised him and thanked him and turned her loose. I said, now I guarantee Jesus will do it for you. And I turned and walked off. Instantly her pain stopped. The pain stopped. I mean, she stopped screaming. And her arm don't hurt no more. It's still got them big old blisters all over it. And she says, well, it don't hurt. Somebody said, well, we'll call 911. She said, no, 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 you don't need to call them. I said, it don't hurt at all. And the pain's totally gone. So she just went ahead and got her sheet pens, put it on the rack and went upstairs and served the evening meal. I went up there and had dinner with a couple of guys there that worked there. And whenever we walked in, one of them said, Adelina, what happened to your arm? Oh, she said, I burned it down there in the oven a while ago. He said, good grief, gal. Go to the doctor. She said, well, it don't hurt at all. He said, well, it looks awful. I said, that's what we go by, what we see. We'll never go by, it is written. But see, I looked at it and I thought to myself, praise God, I don't know what you're going to do, Lord, but I know you're going to do something wonderful for her because I quoted your word three different verses. I know you're going to do something wonderful for that woman. Well, she went home that evening, and of course, everybody got to see her arm. God's leaving it there, tucked the pain away, letting everybody see that bad arm. Everybody come through the cafeteria line saw that big old burned arm. Well, she got home that evening, and her husband saw it. He said, what happened to you? She said, I fell in an oven down at work. And she said, I'm taking you to the emergency room, girl. And he said, she said, no, 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 honey, it don't hurt. She said, I'm too tired now already. I've worked all day. So she said, if it bothers me tomorrow, we'll go to the doctor. Well, see, she's not a woman of faith. She don't know nothing. God's going to use my faith totally. Well, the next morning when she wakes up and looks at her arm, her arm is brand new, perfect, without a single mark on it. Now, what kind of Jesus do we serve, brother? He's an awesome God, isn't he? I'm telling you. When you walk in obedience to His Word, and you call Him in remembrance of His Word, I don't care what anybody tells you, that Jesus that was here 2,000 years ago and did miracles, He's still alive and well today. And He's still doing them same kind of things. But you know where the problem is? It's right here. This is the problem. We don't believe. Or we've got some kind of sin in our heart. You know, it's just a little sin. 
but not a big one. But Paul told us, your little besetting sins, your little tiny ones, is the ones that defile you. Maybe you just like to tell jokes. God clearly said in his word, in Ephesians 5, let no coarse joking be found among my people. He said that, didn't he, brother? You were shaking your I thought, you read that before. Do you think he meant that? And he also said in Philippians 2.14, do all things without grumbling or complaining. Do you think he meant that too? So if you grumble and complain about everything, you might as well forget about God answering your prayer. Oh, that's over in Romans something. Uh, I know the verse you're talking about, but I don't know where that one's at, brother. I have to look that one up. I started to bring my computer down here tonight, and I didn't. Uh, but Dave, we got one anyway. We could look at it for you after a while. But the little fox that spoiled the vine? That's one, yeah. I, I don't remember where that's at. Uh, Dave, do you remember that? No. It's where? Oh, that, oh it's, he said that's in the Song of Solomon 250, but that's somewhere else in the New Testament too. Okay, Luke 9:58. Okay, praise the Lord. He's got it. Amen. That man's got it. I don't know whether he's got it on a computer. Yeah, there it is. Praise the Lord. Okay. I thought he'd say, if he's got that all in his heart, man, this guy's something. <laughs> but he's honest. He held up his computer and let us see. But at least he had a computer. Praise God. And that's great. That's great. But you're, you're right. Those things are the little sins. It's what defiles us with God. And sometimes just a tiny little wrong thing comes out of your mouth. Or, if you're married, sometimes it's just that you're not loving your wife like Christ loved the church. Now see, that's something, you know, so you get mad at your wife. I mean, you come to church, but just before you come to church, you got, you got mad at her. You said, you didn't do something just like I wanted, and so you get mad at her. And so you didn't love her like Christ loved the church. So you come to church and you pray over somebody, and nothing never happens when you pray. And if you get serious with God, you say, God... Why is it that you never answer my prayer? He'll tell you. You know that day you got angry with your wife? Well, yeah. I, maybe I... Oh, God says it was back three years and three months and 12 days ago you did this. He, he remembers. He remembers. He don't ever forget. Oh, God. Is that what's blocking my prayer? Yes, I clearly told you in First Peter... That if you want your prayers answered, you've got to love your wife like I love the church. Anybody ever read that? Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church so that your prayers are not hindered. Oh, that girl quoted that. She knew that. She's heard that. I mean, I thought we see, I hear her, her lips are moving. So she's heard that. So if God said that, you know what the word hindered means? It mean, let me make it clear to you guys. He won't answer your prayer. Not so that your prayers will not be hindered. In other words, they will not be answered. So let me tell you, it will make your life better at home if you love that girl. And the more you love her, the better things are at home. Now, if you're all upset with her all the time, you ain't going to have a good life. Because she ain't going to be submissive to you. And then you really got a problem because when the woman don't submit to the husband, the husband don't love the wife, you got a conflict in the home and you got all kinds of sin and you two might as well forget coming to God and asking Him for anything because He ain't going to do it till you two straighten your act up. Because He's a king. Isn't that something? But when you walk holy, walk in obedience to His Word, and you walk in faith, 
then you can have so much fun when any little thing happens. I mean, just to give you an idea, the other day Cheryl had a little attack on her stomach. Something happened, and she wakes up in the morning. Actually, wakes me up in the morning at two o'clock. Uh, that's that was kind of unusual because usually we don't get in bed before two o'clock. But just now we were in bed a little bit earlier. But anyway, we were there a little bit earlier, and when she woke up, you know, she woke me up, brother. She hadn't been asleep, and she tapped me. She said, "Honey, wake up." you got to pray for me. I said, what's wrong with you? She said, I have this burning in my stomach. She said, I just can't sleep. I said, well, how long you had it? <laughs> oh, two days. I said, two days? I said, why didn't you answer? Why didn't you ask me a long time ago? She said, well, I've been praying for myself. I said, woman, don't you know you're in total rebellion to God? <laughs> what? I said, you, did you not read in the Word where the Lord said you are to submit to your husband in all things? Well, she said, I read that. I said, well, then what did you not understand about that? <laughs> she said, well, but can I pray for myself? I said, no. You cannot pray for yourself. You have to come through me. I said, God has not heard your prayer because you're trying to go around me, your priest, and he tells there's a line of order and I'm the priest, and you're to come to me, and when I pray, he will hear, and he will answer the prayer, and he'll heal you. I said, now you tell the Lord you're sorry. Here we are laying in the bed, two o'clock and more flat on our backs. She raises one hand and said, Lord, I'm sorry, I didn't know this. Do you think God was in that bedroom with us? I guarantee she knows he was there. She said, Lord, I repent. Lord, I didn't know this. I mean, I knew you said submit, but I didn't know you meant everything when you said Everything. I know now you mean everything. So I repent. And I reached over and just laid my hand on her stomach and said, In the name of Jesus. And the king instantly healed that stomach. I mean, instantly. And in five minutes she was sound asleep. Now see, who would ever dream the king was right there all the time? But if you're there, he's there. Because in Colossians 1, this is a mystery that was hidden before the foundations of the world. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Where is Christ now? If you're a Christian, He's in you. You can't get rid of Him. Wherever you go, you take Him. So everything you say, do, think, He's in there already so He knows everything you say, do, and think. So that Spirit that's in you of Christ, it communicates directly with the Father in Heaven. And so anytime you sin, He automatically knows it. I mean, you ain't never seen a fax machine this good. I mean, this is a good fax machine. You know, it's awesome, you know, with, with this, this what, the way it works. But anyway, we come now back to the story still again with this pastor and his, you know, we got off, we chased lots of rabbits on this story. Some of you forgot the story, but I haven't forgotten it. We come back and this young boy hangs up the phone and the pastor tells me I'm preaching a condemning gospel. And I tell him, you know, the Word of God answers that. You know, if the Word of God condemns us, we live in sin. I said, now, sir, I don't know what your son has done. You probably know what his sin is because you're his father. You probably know. And I said, I know he knows. But I said, he's not willing to tell. He does not want me to know. But I said, I'm going to tell you, your son is sick because of a sin. And so he said, well, can I pray for you? I said, yes, you can. He prayed for me, and then I prayed for him. And we hung up the phone two and a half total hours later. I mean, instantly my phone rang again, and it was Mr. Gothard. He said, Thurman, I have now seen it work both ways. 
Every one of these people that I've called you with that humble themselves before God, it's like Ty said a while ago, when you humble yourself before Daddy, say, Lord, I'm sorry, I'm a sinner. I've missed it. I've done this. Forgive me. What will He do? He'll forgive you. He said, I've seen it both ways. Every one of these people I've called you with, every one of them has humbled themselves and repented, and you prayed for God, instantly healed them. But he said, this boy didn't repent. He wouldn't humble himself. And he said, he didn't get nothing. He said, I've seen it both ways. And he said, now I know why some get healed and some don't get healed. He said, now I know. Bill said, you speak it in my conference. I said, okay. He said, I, I don't have, we're going to make a way. He said, you're going to speak at Big Sandy. I said, okay. In fact, he said, I'm going to sign you up for about five of them. <laughs> so he did. He signed me up. And I went down there, and the first day he said, I'd like for you to talk about the story of your granddaughter. And so, and how you got her healed. Well, I told that story in an hour and a half. And it's called, and I told several other stories, too, uh, that happened. And it's called God's Power. And I think we have it back there. Yeah, there's two of them. Okay. One, the first day I spoke, and it was called God's Power. And it's an hour and a half long, the teaching is. And, and it's on the, only on CD. That's right. We don't have it. They didn't film it. They just had it on CD, on audio. So we filmed that. And I caught all kinds of flack for what I taught. I mean, they the next morning at the men's breakfast, they crucified me with the words that I spoke on that CD. And so, Bill, when we come back, he says, Thurman, he said, I don't know what we're going to do. So I thought that would be such a simple thing, nobody would complain. But he said, we had so much flack. He said, what I asked you to speak about this morning, he said, you're going to be so careful how you present that. I said, don't worry, Bill. I'm not even going to talk about what you said. He said, you're not? What are you going to talk about? I said, this morning at 4 o'clock, the king woke me up and told me exactly what to teach you on today. He said, what did he say? I said, Bill, we've got to be on the air in five minutes. He said, Thurman, you're not going to tell me? He was sweating bullets. I said, Bill, look, don't you and me both work for Jesus? Can't we trust the king? Oh, he said, okay, okay. Bill Gossett was sweating. And he's a great man of God. And he's about five years older than me. So we walk out, and he, or he walks out, and he takes 25 minutes of my hour and a half explaining to the people, now Thurman is a man of faith, and you really can't always tell exactly what men of great faith are going to say. So, you know, you know he's kind of, you know, softening them up for me, he thinks. And so he comes back off and he said, okay, it's yours. I walk out there, in an hour and five minutes, I talk about how to get a lost person saved. That's what God had taught me that night. He taught that to me many years before. I'd seen multitudes of people saved that nobody could get healed or nobody could get saved. And I taught how to get a lost person saved. And when I walked off that platform, Bill grabbed my hand. He said, that's one of the greatest messages I ever heard in my life. That night, that dinner with five PhDs around the table, he sat right beside me and he said, when I get the message you preach today in the hands of 5,000 young people, we'll win the world to Jesus. That's what he thought about it. But within one week, they had required him to pull both of my teachings off of that seminar, and you can't buy those teachings through Bill Gothard this day. When I told that, Ty said, good grief, if they come against you like that, I want to know what you taught. And I told him, he took those two CDs home, the next Sunday he came back to church, he said, good grief, now I know why they didn't like it. 
He said, that's two of the most anointed teachings you've ever done. So see, when, when God moved in that day, there was miracles happened all over the place. In fact, for months, Bill called me, Thurman, I'm still getting praise reports of people that got healed from that seminar in Big Sandy that believed God after you prayed for them. But one little girl that I told a story about Philip, the young man that works for me, that uh, 11 years, 12 years ago, we prayed for Philip and all of his warts and scars went away. His body was covered with them. And I prayed for him 11, 12 years ago, a little 11-year-old boy. His body was covered with warts and scars where they had burned them off. And I built his faith, prayed the prayer of faith again around Matthew 18, 19. Matthew 18, 19, two or three agree. And the Lord took all of his warts off of him, all of his scars off of him. And today the fine young man works for us and him and his wife. And he's a great young man. But when I told the story on that CD about how God did that for Philip, there was a man and his little daughter, little bitty girl. They came up after the service. He said, i got to tell you what happened out there. He said, my daughter heard you tell that story. She's just a little bitty girl, probably eight. And she said, Daddy, if Jesus done that for Philip, he'll do it for me. And she had it was either 13 or 16 warts she had on the back of her hand. And he said, I looked down as my daughter said that, and every one of them rolled off her hand and fell onto the floor. Every one of them. The faith of a little tiny child. Aren't we grateful that we serve an awesome God? I mean, He's the God that saves us, heals us, and delivers us. And it's so difficult to, for me to comprehend anymore that God wrote us this magnificent book with all these wonderful promises in it and said, Now, purify yourself and be holy. Yeah. I mean, be ye holy, for I am holy. We read that, haven't we? But we don't take Him to heart. He says, those that have this hope in them, they purify themselves from all evil. First Peter 2.21, Jesus said, this is the example that I left for you to follow. In fact, from First Peter 2.21 through 2.24, this is what he says. This is the example I left for you to follow. In me, there was no sin. So what is your example? How much? Zero. Then he says, and there was no deceit in my mouth. Boy, you'll have to watch your mouth, won't you? How much deceit? None. That's difficult for us to do. I don't care if you're a man or a woman. It's difficult to control that tongue. Then he said, there was no guile in me. And he says, when they threaten me, run up and grab you, shake you and slap you twice and say, I threaten you, and just not to retaliate. What kind of a man does that take? When they threaten me, I didn't even threat them back. Just think, Jesus, they took him, they beat him, they scourged him, and they nailed him and hung him on a cross. And he looked down after beaten beyond recognition, nailed with spikes bigger than your finger through his hands and arms and his feet. And he looked down and said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That took a man, didn't it? So see, that's the example he left for you and me to follow. We're to be just like that. Then he says, in verse 24, then you are to die to sin and live unto righteousness. Now, we don't stay dead very well. We don't stay dead well at all. You know, I mean, it's real easy I used to have a beautiful woman in my Sunday school class, and she had a very nice-looking husband. And this little tiny, petite thing, 
I was teaching on that one day, and she said, you convicted me of such sin. She said, when somebody don't do something just like I want, she said, I can read them the riot act. I thought, man, to look at her, I would have never dreamed she could have ever done it. I didn't think there was a mean bone in her precious little body. But see, you don't know. Only God knows the heart, right? But she said, you convicted me that day, and you told me what Jesus said. And I thought, you know, I've got to get control of this mouth. I've got to stop this nonsense. I don't care what anybody says to me. I'm just going to tell them, Jesus loves you. And it totally changed her life. Then it says, you should die to sin. You should die. It doesn't say you have to, but it says you should. Now, it says, where it says, you should die to sin and live unto righteousness. And then it says, by my stripes, you're healed. So, if you die to sin, and no guile, no deceit, don't threaten people, and die to sin, then he says you're healed. Isn't that wonderful? So, if you do what God says and you get rid of all your sins, if you haven't known this, like I didn't know it most of my life. I didn't know it. So, when I had to come to him and receive him as my healer 20 plus years ago, I'd had many sickness and disease in my life. But when I received Jesus as my healer over 20 years ago by faith, and I have done everything in the power of the Holy Ghost and in my power to walk without sin. I have sinned a few times, but when I do, I try to immediately repent before God. Say, Lord, I'm sorry. I missed it. I'm sorry. And I have been able to walk without any sickness and disease in the last 20 plus years. I don't know many 67, nearly 68-year-old men that can say that. I don't know many. I don't know. When I was 45 years old, I couldn't have said that. 45 years old, I'd been down in my back six or eight times. I'd had double pneumonia a couple of times. I'd had all kinds of sickness. I had a flu or a cold at least once every year. Who would ever dream you get upset with somebody? You know, after I learned how to walk in faith, one day I thought, you know, God, this is too simple. This couldn't be this. I'm walking totally in divine health, and I thought, I'm going to put this to the test. Now, what I did this day is dangerous. Don't you try this. You know, I walked into a young man that was one of my purchasing agents. I was the director of engineering, a regional engineer for a corporation. I walked into his office one day and I said, asked called his name. I said, have you done what I told And there was a man sitting there with him, a salesman, and he was trying to sell him some stuff. And I said, have you done so-and-so? And he said, no, sir, I hadn't had time yet. I said, what? I told you to do that yesterday. I can't believe you had I said, now get off right now. Get off that phone. Get it done right now. And the guy sat there and said, boy, you're hard on me. I said, shut up. I didn't ask you nothing. <laughs> and this young man, and I thought, okay, God, we're going to find out. I just stepped totally out of love. We're going to see what happens. I walked out of it and didn't get to the top of the stairs till my head's already stopped up. Already. I said, okay, Lord, I repent. I rebuke this devil, and it's over. And I got to my office, and I couldn't breathe. I said, Lord, I repented. He said, oh, yeah, you did to me, but you didn't tell them two men. You made a fool out of yourself. Huh? He said, you go back down and repent. I went back down there, and the man was already gone. I repented to the young man. And I said, you've got to forgive me. I said, will you forgive me? He said, Thurman, I've never seen you do no such a thing as that. He said, I don't know whether I can forgive you or not. Oh, no. I said, you got to. you got to. He said, well, you promise me you won't ever do that again? I said, I'll, I'll explain it to you someday, what I did. 
He said, okay, I forgive you. I said, what's that guy's name? He said, well, here's his business card. I went and called the guy and told him I'm sorry. He said, man, I ain't never had nobody do this before. He said, to make, do what you did. Then called me a few minutes later and said, you're sorry. But he said, sure, I'm a Christian. I forgive you. I said, okay, thank you. And then I said, I hung the phone up. I said, okay, you devil of hell. In the name of Jesus, out. My head just cleared right up instantly. Okay, I said, Lord, it's just as simple as you said it. And you're no respect to a person. What you said, it'll attack me, and I'm not beyond it. I lost my, I intentionally did this, just putting God to the test. That's a dangerous thing to do. He says, don't do that. But I did. I just wanted to know if it really worked as simple as the Word said it, and it does. Now then, I know we're a little late tonight, and I think it is really 10 o'clock tonight. It is really five minutes after 10. I've got the time down pat now. So I'm going to close this thing with a word of prayer. And then any of you need to be prayed for, we will pray for you. And if you don't need to be prayed for and you want to get media back there, you can load up your sacks, take it home with you, whatever. And we come back again tomorrow night at 7 o'clock and we'll start again. Tomorrow night's the last night. So tomorrow night we're going to talk about some more things and some power of God and the promises of God and all these wonderful things. And if you can believe God, just like this little lady back here. This little lady is sitting back here beside her husband. The first thing she said when I walked by, she said, Last night when you prayed for me, today I'm healed. Praise God. See, she had two things wrong with her. I prayed for her. She told me, she said, I'm healed of both of them. So the king is, the, is God and he's awesome. And some people he does instantly. And some people it takes a little while, a day or a week. But don't give up. If we prayed for you and your manifestation is not there today, continue to thank him. Lord, it's done. Praise God. You don't need to be prayed for again. All you need to do is begin to praise Him and worship Him. Lord, thank You. They prayed the prayer of faith for me last night. I am healed. Praise God. But if you haven't been prayed for and you want to be prayed for, then we will pray for you as soon as this prayer is over. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank You for this blessed evening we've had. We thank You, Lord, for the privilege to talk about You, our wonderful Lord and our God, how great and mighty You are. Thank You for all the wonderful things You do for us. Thank You for the healings last night. And thank You for what You're going to do tonight. And, Lord, thank you for what you're going to do tomorrow night. We praise you and thank you because only you know. But, Lord, you're our mighty God, our King, and we know that nothing is impossible with you. So, Lord, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. I didn't know the truth. And so I was saying the wrong thing, but I did start being obedient. I said, Lord, I ask you to forgive me, and I'm going to give you this $4. Well, lo and behold, next week, for the first time in my life, I had enough paycheck to pay all the bills. I had never happened. Well, slowly but surely, as I get, things started getting better and better, and I had to have a little more money left over, and another, maybe it's only a dollar or two, but I had a little more money left over, and then slowly I began to make a little bit more money, and I started giving God the money, and of course, as, as things went on in life, I started investing more, giving God more, and by the time I was Ready? No, I wasn't going to retire till I was 65 or 70 from the workplace, but God had a different plan. So after 29 years in the workplace, somebody had asked me, how long are you going to work? I said, man, I'm healthy. I'm going to work till I don't feel good. I'm going to work forever. But God said, oh, no, you're not. I have a different plan for you, and you cannot be an engineer and work in these places and go and do what I've called you to do. So he said, I'm going to get you fired. And so the company started coming to me and saying, Sermon, you sign your emails 
praise the Lord. You're going to have to stop that. And you also run around here all the time saying, praise the Lord, and you pray with people, you've got to stop that. I said, no. That's my right to say, praise the Lord. It's my right to say grace over the meals out loud in the cafeteria if I want to. And they said, you have to stop it. I said, nope, I ain't stopping it. So, in May of 2002, there was a little Spanish lady, and I don't know if she was saved or lost. All I know is she's a little, probably 50-year-old woman, and I knew she was a human being. She, she, was in, she worked in the cafeteria, and she was a cafeteria lady there on the airport where I worked. And one evening, about 5 o'clock, I heard somebody screaming. And I didn't know who it was. I go running down the corridor to the hot food section where I heard the streams come from, and here's this little Edelina, the cafeteria cook. She is screaming, and everybody's gathered around her. She has one of those great big ovens that's cooked the meals in. She had opened that big steel door, and the thing had been 350 degrees inside, so that door is extremely hot. Of course, they cool off pretty quick when you open them down, but it's still way hot because it's a steel door. And she had reached in with her big gloves and got a sheet pan and turned when she did her foot slipped on something and this arm fell on the door of that oven. Now from where the glove was to where her shirt sleeve was, that door had to be 200 plus degrees. What do you think it did to the lower portion of that arm, brother? Fried it. I mean, just fried it. I mean, her arm was big blisters were coming up. It was black and it looked awful. And she was screaming. Some of you were just gritting your teeth thinking about this. You know, but this lady had happened to. So I go running down there, and you know, it's amazing how we as Christians, we always look to the physical things of the world. Call 911. Get the first aid kit out. Nobody thinks about the Word of God. Isn't that amazing how we don't ever think about God? But He's the greatest power source we got. Like Ty said, well, I go plug into Him. Man, when you plug into Him, He's awesome. So, I go running down there to where this woman's screaming where everybody's trying to doctor, pour cold water on her and everything else to cool her arm off. And I grab hold of this arm and I quote Isaiah 53, 4 and 5. And in verse 4, he clearly says when you translate that word, he bore our grief. That means pain. In the Hebrew, that word is also translated many other places in the the Hebrew text as pain. So if Jesus bore your pain, then technically He doesn't plan for you and me to have to bear it. He bore our pain. So I said, I've quoted, and then verse 5 says, by His stripes we are healed. So I quoted Isaiah 53, 4 and 5 right quick. Now this is where you don't have time to go get your Bible. You know, you've got to have the Word hidden in your heart. You know, you don't have time. That's kind of like if you go out there in the field and and an enemy there is going to shoot you and you're over in Iraq and you left your gun in the barracks, you're in trouble. You better have that baby on your hand. You better have your hand on the trigger. Because if you've got a reach to get it, he's going to kill you before you get there. But that's the way the devil is. If he gets legal right, and of course, their foot had slipped, she had burned her arm. I quoted Isaiah 53, 4 and 5. And then I quoted this magnificent promise in Mark 16, 17 and 18. Where Jesus said, in verse 18, Jesus said, And these signs shall follow those that believe. Now, you've got to be a believing believer. And not an unbelieving believer. Now, I've come to realize there's too many unbelieving believers in the church. We have not studied God's Word. 
He made us these promises, and He's no respecter of persons. He'll use them with anybody that will walk in obedience to His Word and quote His Word back to Him. That's what He requires. So I said, Jesus said in Mark 16, 18, These signs shall follow those that believe. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall get well. But I said, I don't know how long it will take Him to do that. If I do that, it may take a week. So I, I'm going to go to Mark 11:23 that says, Whatever I say with my mouth, if I believe with my heart, I can have it. So I said, ma'am, with that verse, I am guaranteeing you that the king of the universe, his name is Jesus, will do a supernatural healing on your arm. Now see, that's what I want. So I praised him and thanked him and turned her loose. I said, now I guarantee Jesus will do it for you. And I turned and walked off. Instantly her pain stopped. The pain stopped. I mean, she stopped streaming. And her arm don't hurt no more. It's still got them big old blisters all over it. And she said, well, it don't hurt. Somebody said, well, we'll call 911. She said, no, 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 you don't need to call them. I said, it, it don't hurt at all. And the pain's totally gone. So she just went ahead and got her sheet bins, put it on the rack, and went upstairs and served the evening meal. I went up there and had dinner with a couple of guys that worked there. And whenever we walked in, one of them said, Evelina, what happened to your arm? Oh, she said, I burned it down there in the oven a while ago. He said, good grief, gal. Go to the doctor. She said, well, it don't hurt at all. He said, well, it looks awful. Now, see, that's what we go by, what we see. We'll never go by it is written. But see, I looked at it and I thought, I thought to myself, praise God, I don't know what you're going to do, Lord, but I know you're going to do something wonderful for her because I quoted your word three different verses. I know you're going to do something wonderful for that woman. Well, she went home that evening and of course everybody got to see her arm. God's leaving it there. Tucked the pain away letting everybody see that bad arm. Everybody come through the cafeteria line saw that big old burned arm. Well, she got home that evening and her husband saw it. He said, what happened to you? She said, I fell in an oven down at work. And she said, I'm taking you to the emergency room, girl. And he said, she said, no, 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 honey, it don't hurt. She said, I'm too tired now already. I've worked all day. So she said, if it bothers me tomorrow, we'll go to the doctor. Well, see, she's not a woman of faith. She don't know nothing. God's going to use my faith totally. Well, the next morning when she wakes up and looks at her arm, her arm is brand new, perfect, without a single mark on it. Now, what kind of Jesus do we serve, brother? He's an awesome God, isn't he? I'm telling you. When you walk in obedience to his word, and you call him and remember him or stuff his word, I don't care what anybody tells you. The Jesus that was here 2,000 years ago did miracles. He's still alive and well today. And he's still doing them same kind of things. But you know where the problem is? It's right here. This is the problem. We don't believe. Or we got some kind of sin in our heart. You know, it's just a little sin. But not a big one. But Paul told us your little besetting sins, your little tiny ones, is the ones that defile you. Maybe you just like to tell jokes. God clearly said in his word in Ephesians 5, let no coarse joking be found among my people. He said that, didn't he, brother? He was shaking your I thought, you read that before. Do you think he meant that? And he also said... In Philippians 2.14, do all things without grumbling or complaining. Do you think he meant that too? So if you grumble and complain about everything, you might as well forget about God answering your prayer. Oh, that's over in Romans something. Uh, I know the verse you're talking about, but I don't know where that one's at. But I have to look that one up. I started to bring my computer down here tonight, and I didn't. Uh, but a day, we got one anyway. We could look at it for you after a while. But the little fox is spoiled the vine. 
That's one. Yeah, I, I don't remember where that's at. Uh, Dave, do you remember that? No. It's where? Oh, that, oh it's, he said that's in the Song of Solomon 2.50, but that's somewhere else in the New Testament too. Okay, Luke 9.58. Okay, praise the Lord. He's got it. Amen. That man's got it. I don't know whether he's got it on a computer. Yeah, there it is. Praise the Lord. Okay. I thought he'd say, if he's got that all in his heart, man, this guy's something. <laughs> but he's honest. He held up his computer and let us see. But at least he had a computer. Praise God. And that's great. That's great. But you're, you're right. Those things are the little sins. It's what defiles us with God. And sometimes just a tiny little wrong thing comes out of your mouth. Or if you're married, sometimes it's just that you're not loving your wife like Christ loved the church. Now, see, that's something. You know, so you get mad at your wife. I mean, you come to church, but just before you come to church, you got, you got mad at her. You said, you didn't do something just like I wanted, and so you get mad at her. And so you didn't love her like Christ loved the church. So you come to church and you pray over somebody, and nothing never happens when you pray. And if you get serious with God, you say, God, why is it that you never answer my prayer? He'll tell you. You know that day you got angry with your wife? Well, yeah. I, maybe I... Oh, God says it was back three years and three months and 12 days ago you did this. He, he remembers. He remembers. He don't never forget. Oh, God. Is that what's blocking my prayer? Yes, I clearly told you in First Peter that if you want your prayers answered... You got to love your wife like I love the church. Anybody ever read that? Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church so that your prayers are not hindered. Oh, that girl quoted that. She knew that. She's heard that. I mean, I thought we see I hear her her lips are moving right. So she's heard that. So if God said that, you know what the word hindered means? It mean, let me make it clear to you guys. Ye won't answer your prayer. Not so that your prayers will not be hindered. In other words, they will not be answered. So let me tell you, it will make your life better at home if you love that girl, and the more you love her, the better things are at home. Now, if you're all upset with her all the time, you ain't going to have a good life. Because she ain't going to be submissive to you, and then you really got a problem because when the woman don't submit to the husband, the husband don't love the wife, you got a conflict in the home, and you got all kinds of sin, and you two might as well forget coming to God and asking Him for anything, because He ain't going to do it till you two straighten your act up. Because He's a king. Isn't that something? But when you walk holy, walk in obedience to His Word, and you walk in faith, then you can have so much fun when any little thing happens. I mean, just to give you an idea, the other day Cheryl had a little attack on her stomach. Something happened, and she wakes up in the morning, actually wakes me up in the morning at 2 o'clock. Uh, that's... That was kind of unusual because usually we don't get in bed before 2 o'clock, but this night we were in bed a little bit earlier. But anyway, we were there a little bit earlier, and when she woke up, you know, she woke me up, brother. She hadn't been asleep, and she tapped me. She said, honey, wake up. You've got to pray for me. I said, what's wrong with you? She said, I have this burning in my stomach. She said, I just can't sleep. I said, well, how long you had it? Oh, two days. I said, two days? I said, why didn't you answer when you asked me a long time ago? She said, well, I've been praying for myself. I said, woman, don't you know you're in total rebellion to God? What? I said, did you not read in the Word where the Lord said you are to submit to your husband in all things? 
Well, she said, I read that. I said, well, then what do you not understand about that? She said, well, but can I pray for myself? I said, no. You cannot pray for yourself. You have to come through me. I said, God has not heard your prayer because you're trying to go around me, your priest, and he tells there's a line of order, and I'm the priest, and you're to come to me, and when I pray, he will hear, and he will answer the prayer, and he'll heal you. I said, now you tell the Lord you're sorry. Here we are laying in the bed at 2 o'clock and we're flat on our backs. She raises one hand and said, Lord, I'm sorry. I didn't know this. Do you think God was in that bedroom with us? I guarantee she knows he was there. She said, Lord, I repent. Lord, I didn't know this. I mean, I knew you said submit, but I didn't know you meant everything when you said everything. I know now you mean everything. So I repent. And I reached over and just laid my hand on her stomach and said, in the name of Jesus. And the king instantly healed that stomach. I mean, instantly. And in five minutes, she was sound asleep. Now, see, who would ever dream the king was right there all the time? But if you're there, he's there. Because in Colossians 1, this is a mystery that was hidden before the foundations of the world. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So where is Christ now? If you're a Christian, he's in you. You can't get rid of him. Wherever you go, you take him. So everything you say, do, think, he's in there already so he knows everything you say, do, and think. So that spirit that's in you of Christ, it communicates directly with the Father in heaven. And so anytime you sin, he automatically knows it. I mean, you ain't never seen a fax machine this good. I mean, this is a good fax machine. You know, it's awesome, you know, with, with this, this what, the way it works. But anyway, we come now back to this story still again with this pastor and his, you know, we got off, we chased lots of rabbits on this story. Some of you forgot the story, but I haven't forgotten it. We come back, and this young boy hangs up the phone, and the pastor tells me I'm preaching a condemning gospel. And I tell him, you know, the Word of God answers that. You know, if the Word of God condemns us, we live in sin. I said, now, sir, I don't know what your son has done. You probably know what his sin is because you're his father. You probably know. And I said, I know he knows. But I said, he's not willing to tell. He does not want me to know. But I said, I'm going to tell you, your son is sick because of a sin. And so he said, well, can I pray for you? I said, yes, you can. He prayed for me, and then I prayed for him. And we hung up the phone two and a half total hours later. I mean, instantly my phone rang again, and it was Mr. Gothard. He said, Thurman, I have now seen it work both ways. Every one of these people that I've called you with that humble themselves before God, it's like Ty said a while ago, when you humble yourself before Daddy, say, Lord, I'm sorry, I'm a sinner. I've missed it. I've done this. Forgive me. What will he do? He'll forgive you. He said, I've seen it both ways. Every one of these people I've called you with, every one of us humbled themselves and repented, and you prayed for God, instantly healed them. But he said, this boy didn't repent. He wouldn't humble himself. And he said, he didn't get nothing. He said, I've seen it both ways. Now, he said, now I know why some get healed and some don't get healed. He said, now I know. Bill said, you speak it in my conference. I said, okay. He said, I, I don't have, we're going to make a way. He said, you're going to speak at Big Sandy. I said, okay. In fact, he said, I'm going to sign you up for about five of them. <laughs> so he did. He signed me up. And I went down there, and the first day he said, I'd like for you to talk about the story of your granddaughter. And so 
and how you got her healed. Well, I told that story in an hour and a half. And it's called, and I told several other stories too uh, that happened, and it's called God's Power. And I think we have it back there. Yeah, there's two of them. Okay. One, the first day I spoke, and it was called God's Power. And it's an hour and a half long, the teaching is. And, and it's on the, only on CD. That's right. We don't have it. They didn't film it. They just had it on CD, on audio. So we filmed that. And I caught all kinds of flack for what I taught. I mean, they the next morning at the men's breakfast, they crucified me with the words that I spoke on that CD. And so, Bill, when we come back, he says, Thurman, he said, I don't know what we're going to do. So I thought that would be such a simple thing, nobody would complain. But he said, we have so much flack. He said, what I asked you to speak about this morning, he said, you're going to be so careful how you present that. I said, don't worry, Bill, I'm not even going to talk about what you said. He said, you're not, what are you going to talk about? I said, this morning at four o'clock, the king woke me up and told me exactly what to teach on today. He said, what did he say? I said, Bill, we've got to be on the air in five minutes. He said, Thurman, you're not going to tell me? He was sweating bullets. I said, Bill, look, don't you and me both work for Jesus? Can't we trust the king? Oh, he said, okay, okay. Bill Gossett was sweating. And he's a great man of God. And he's about five years older than me. So we walk out, and he, or he walks out, and he takes 25 minutes of my hour and a half explaining to the people, now Thurman is a man of faith, and you really can't always tell exactly what men of great faith are going to say. So, you know, you know he's kind of, you know, softening them up for me, he thinks. And so he comes back off and he said, okay, it's yours. I walk out there, in an hour and five minutes, I talk about how to get a lost person saved. That's what God had taught me that night. He taught that to me many years before. I'd seen multitudes of people saved that nobody could get healed or nobody could get saved. And I taught how to get a lost person saved. And when I walked off that platform, Bill grabbed my hand. He said, that's one of the greatest messages I ever heard in my life. That night, that dinner with five PhDs around the table, he sat right beside me and he said, when I get the message you preach today in the hands of 5,000 young people, we'll win the world to Jesus. That's what he thought about it. But within one week, they had required him to pull both of my teachings off of that seminar, and you can't buy those teachings through Bill Gothard this day. When I told that, I said, good grief, if they come against you like that, I want to know what you taught. And I told him, he took those two CDs home. The next Sunday, he come back to church. He said, good grief, now I know why they didn't like it. He said, that's two of the most anointed teachings you've ever done. So see, when, when God moved in that day, there was miracles happened all over the place. In fact, for months, Bill called me, Thurman, I'm still getting praise reports of people that got healed from that seminar in Big Sandy that believed God after you prayed for them. But one little girl that I told the story about, Philip, the young man that works for me, that uh, 11 years, 12 years ago, we prayed for Philip and all of his warts and scars went away. His body was covered with them. And I prayed for him 11, 12 years ago, a little 11-year-old boy. His body was covered with warts and scars where they had burned them off. And I built his faith Prayed the prayer of faith again around Matthew 18, 19. Matthew 18, 19, two or three agree. And the Lord took all of his warts off of him, all of his scars off of him. And today the fine young man works for us and him and his wife. And he's a great young man. But when I told the story on that CD about how God did that for Philip, there was a man and his little daughter, little bitty girl, 
they came up after the service. He said, i got to tell you what happened out there. He said, my daughter heard you tell that story. She's just a little bitty girl, probably eight. And she said, Daddy, if Jesus done that for Philip, he'll do it for me. And she had, it was either 13 or 16 warts she had on the back of her hand. And he said, I looked down at my daughter said that, and every one of them rolled off of her hand and fell onto the floor. Every one of them. The faith of a little tiny child. Aren't we grateful that we serve an awesome God? I mean, He's the God that saves us, heals us, and delivers us. And it's so difficult to, for me to comprehend anymore that God wrote us this magnificent book with all these wonderful promises in it and said, now, purify yourself and be holy. Yeah. I mean, be ye holy for I am holy. We read that, haven't we? But we don't take Him to heart. He says, those that have this hope in them, they purify themselves from all evil. First Peter 2.21 Jesus said, this is the example that I left for you to follow. In fact, from 1 Peter 2.21 through 2.24, this is what he says. This is the example I left for you to follow. In me, there was no sin. So what is your example? How much? Zero. Then he says, and there was no deceit in my mouth. Boy, you'll have to watch your mouth, won't you? How much deceit? None. That's difficult for us to do. I don't care if you're a man or a woman. It's difficult to control that tongue. Then he said, there was no guile in me. And he said, when they threaten me, run up and grab you, shake you, and slap you twice, and say, I threaten you, and just not to retaliate. What kind of a man does that take? When they threaten me, I didn't even threat them back. Just think, Jesus, they took him, they beat him, they scourged him, and they nailed him and hung him on a cross. And he looked down after beaten beyond recognition. Nailed with spikes bigger than your finger through his hands and arms and his feet. And he looked down and said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That took a man, didn't it? But see, that's the example he left for you and me to follow. We're to be just like that. Then he says, in verse 24, then you are to die to sin and live unto righteousness. Now, we don't stay dead very well. We don't stay dead well at all. You know, I mean, it's real easy. I used to have a beautiful woman in my Sunday school class, and she had a very nice-looking husband. And this little tiny, petite thing, I was teaching on that one day, and she said, you convicted me of such sin. She said, when somebody don't do something just like I want, she said, I can read them the riot act. I thought, man... To look at her, I would have never dreamed she could have ever done it. I didn't think there was a mean bone in her precious little body. But see, you don't know. Only God knows the heart, right? But she said, you convicted me that day, and you told me what Jesus said. And I thought, you know, I've got to get control of this mouth. I've got to stop this nonsense. I don't care what anybody says to me. I'm just going to tell them, Jesus loves you. And it totally changed her life. Then it says, you should die to sin. You should die. It doesn't say you have to, but it says you should. Now, it says, where he says, you should die to sin and live unto righteousness. And then it says, by my stripes, you're healed. So, if you die to sin, and no guile, no deceit, don't threaten people, and die to sin, then he says, you're healed. 
Isn't that wonderful? So if you do what God says and you get rid of all your sins, if you haven't known this, like I didn't know it most of my life. I didn't know it. So when I had to come to Him and receive Him as my healer 20 plus years ago, I'd had many sickness and disease in my life. But when I received Jesus as my healer over 20 years ago by faith, and I have done everything in the power of the Holy Ghost and in my power to walk without sin. I have sinned a few times, but when I do, I try to immediately repent before God and say, Lord, I'm sorry, I missed it. I'm sorry. And I have been able to walk without any sickness and disease in the last 20 plus years. I don't know many 67, nearly 68 year old men that can say that. I don't know many. I don't know, when I was 45 years old, I couldn't have said that. 45 years old, I'd been down in my back six or eight times. I'd had double pneumonia a couple of times. I'd had all kinds of sickness. I had a flu or a cold at least once every year. Who would ever dream you get upset with somebody? You know, after I learned how to walk in faith, one day I thought, you know, God, this is too simple. This couldn't be this. I'm walking totally in divine health, and I thought, I'm going to put this to the test. Now, what I did this day is dangerous. Don't you try this. You know, I walked into a young man that was one of my purchasing agents. I was the director of engineering, a regional engineer for a corporation. I walked into his office one day and I said, asked, called his name. I said, have you done what I told And there was a man sitting there with him, a salesman, and he was trying to sell him some stuff. And I said, have you done so-and-so? And he said, no, sir, I hadn't had time yet. I said, what? I told you to do that yesterday. I can't believe you had it. I said, now get off right now. Get off that phone. Get it done right now. And the guy sitting there said, boy, you're hard open. I said, shut up. I didn't ask you nothing. <laughs> and this young man, and I thought, okay, God, we're going to find out. I just stepped totally out of love. We're going to see what happens. I walked out of it and didn't get to the top of the stairs till my head's already stopped up. Already. I said, okay, Lord, I repent, I rebuke this devil, and it's over. And I got to my office and I couldn't breathe. I said, Lord, I repented. He said, oh, yeah, you did to me, but you didn't tell them two men you made a fool out of yourself. Of. He said, you go back down and repent. I went back down there and the man was already gone. I repented to the young man. And I said, you got to forgive me. I said, will you forgive me? He said, Thurman, I've never seen you do no such a thing as that. He said, I don't know whether I can forgive you or not. Oh, no. I said, you got to. You got to. He said, well, you promise me you won't ever do that again? I said, I'll, I'll explain it to you someday, what I did. <laughs> he said, okay, I forgive you. I said, what's that guy's name? He said, well, here's his business card. I went and called the guy and told him I'm sorry. He said, man, I ain't never had nobody do this before. He said, to make, do what you did. Then called me a few minutes later and say you're sorry. But he said, sure, I'm a Christian. I forgive you. I said, okay, thank you. And then I said, I hung the phone up. I said, okay, you devil of hell. In the name of Jesus, out. My head just cleared right up instantly. Okay, I said, Lord, it's just as simple as you said it. And you're no respecter of persons. What you said, it'll attack me, and I'm not beyond it. I lost my... I intentionally did this. Just putting God to the test. That's a dangerous thing to do. He says, don't do that. But I did. I just wanted to know if it really worked as simple as the Word said it. And it does. Now then, I know we're a little late tonight, and I think it is really 10 o'clock tonight. It is really five minutes after 10. I've got the time down pat now. So I'm going to close this thing with a word of prayer, and then any of you need to be prayed for, we will pray for you, 
And if you don't need to be prayed for and you want to get media back there, you can load up your sacks, take it home with you, whatever, and we come back again tomorrow night at 7 o'clock and we'll start again. Tomorrow night's the last night. So tomorrow night we're going to talk about some more things and some power of God and the promises of God and all these wonderful things. And if you can believe God, just like this little lady back here, this little lady is sitting back here beside her husband. The first thing she said when I walked by, she said, last night when you prayed for me, today I'm healed. Praise God. See, she had two things wrong with her. I prayed for her. She told me, she said, I'm healed of both of them. So the king is, the, is God and he's awesome. And some people he does instantly. And some people it takes a little while, a day or a week. But don't give up. If we prayed for you and your manifestation is not there today, continue to thank him. Lord, it's done. Praise God. You don't need to be prayed for again. All you need to do is begin to praise him and worship him. Lord, thank you. They prayed the prayer of faith for me last night. I am healed. Praise God. But if you haven't been prayed for and you want to be prayed for, then we will pray for you as soon as this prayer is over. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for this blessed evening we've had. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege to talk about you, our wonderful Lord and our God, how great and mighty you are. Thank you for all the wonderful things you do for us. Thank you for the healings last night. And thank you for what you're going to do tonight. And, Lord, thank you for what you're going to do tomorrow night. We praise you and thank you because only you know. But, Lord, you're our mighty God, our King, and we know that nothing is impossible with you. So, Lord, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. To start out tonight, I want to ask the question, is there anybody here so far in the last two nights that has received a healing from the Lord that would like to tell you about what Jesus has done? Anybody received anything miraculous you'd like to tell? Oh, you what, young lady? You want to tell us what Jesus done? Come up here and tell us what Jesus done for you. Is it on? Well, I've gotten um, incredible deliverance, and I, the first night I was speaking with um, your co-pastor, and um, just had received a lot of deliverance, and then Pastor um, Thurman and his wife prayed for me last night, and I woke up this morning, and I was praying in the Spirit, and um, I felt some some not love towards my stepmother, and so I repented of that. I thought I had repented for everything, but that came up, and I repented for that, and I prayed to have a spirit of love like the Lord Jesus the Christ has, and I just had just... I went and started throwing up and just had a major, 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 major deliverance. <laughs> and also my vision um, improved. You know, I didn't wear my glasses at all today. And um, then when I was driving here, I felt like um, I couldn't really see the sign, so I put them on. But, but I'm believing the Lord for total vision. And also um, I went today out twice. Um, telling people about Jesus and giving out tapes and and CDs and and I felt a. I mean, I love telling people about the Lord and He is so good and and He has changed my entire life, and um, so of course you want to give that back. But today, it had a new feel to it, and and I feel blessed, extremely blessed. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Anybody else? Anybody else? This young... Oh, you right here on the front row? Okay, come on up here. You come up next. 
We'll get all of you to do our Could you hear this on this mic? Yes. Okay. Um, hi, everyone. My name is Rhoda. Um, this event has changed my life completely. Um, my husband and I are starting a ministry, and we have a group of people that we weekly contact that are really all over the world. And what I have learned from you um, has changed me. And I was sharing just a little bit about repentance and how it's a blessing blocker. Um, when we have sin in our life and that we really need to focus. And so I had them commit to me um, that they would stop today and that they would um, ask the Holy Spirit to just lead them and show them areas in their life that they need to be repentant of and ask God to forgive them so that he could restore them and bring in blessing and manifestation of his power and presence in their life. And I got a phone call from a friend in Oklahoma crying at 7 o'clock in the morning. I had sent it last night so that it would be there first thing this morning, and she was crying. She goes, I've been a Christian for 15 years, and I never knew that I could have a demon. She goes, and I can't believe I'm even saying this. She says, I read that, and I stopped, and I asked the Holy Spirit to lead me. And he showed me that I had unforgiveness in my heart towards my mother. She goes, I was laying on the floor, and the Lord said, flip on your back. She goes, and I did that. And she goes, immediately I felt a hand pressed down on my throat. And she says, I struggled for 15 minutes just trying to say, forgive me, Jesus. She goes, when I finally said it, she goes, I convulsed. And she goes, I physically felt this demon leave me. And she wanted me to thank you all for Praise coming. The Lord. So that's my miracle. And Amen. I'm seeing God moving in my children. The Lord had me lay hands on my daughter this morning, who's nine years old, that has severe allergies or had. Thank you, Jesus. And he says, tell her I love her and show her that it's through my love that I'm going to heal her. And I said, honey, let me pray for you. This morning Jesus says he's going to show you how much he loves you. Let me pray for you. And I did, and immediately her sinuses cleared up, and she went running through the house telling everyone, I'm healed, I'm healed. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, amen. Praise the King, praise the King, praise the King. The Word of God really does work. I don't care what anybody says, the Word of God works. Now, this young lady here, she looks a little different tonight than she did two nights ago when I prayed for her. Hi. Hold I'm the so, mic up close. I'm so thankful. I'm, and I want to be very brief. I don't like long, long talks. <laughs> I came with a cross the first night and a boot. The second night, I came just with a boot. And today, my shoes fit. <laughs> <laughs> you have diabetes, right? I have. You had, had, not have, I had diabetes. Jesus has healed her. Her leg was all swelled up. She was walking with a swelled up foot and an open boot of her foot showing and her toes showing and walking with a cane. Last night she came without the cane, but the foot was still swelled. She couldn't wear her shoe, but today she comes back normal feet, no cane, her foot. Thank you, Jesus. That's all we can say. Praise the Lord. Thank the Lord Jesus Christ. We are so grateful. Yes, ma'am. Come up here. No, no. Well, okay. Um, I have a lot of folks that still and, you know, all that, but <laughs> nevertheless, I went home last night and I told my husband all about, you know, the confession and all that stuff. And, and my husband has four injured gifts that he's been a lot of things for two weeks, two and a half weeks. And so I told him about that. So I've been driving on my 
around to the job site to contact her. And in the car, all of a sudden, like, George, and very humbly, she started, you know, and confession and this and that. And I'll tell you what, my last people did not stand there. And they drove and stuck around. So I'm leaving a feeling, and it just kind of felt like it would work out, you know, with the next. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. I will, it's amazing, uh, you know, I will have to say that today uh, I had been asked to call a lady in Colorado, and uh, yesterday I was asked to call her, and I tried, and she wouldn't answer the phone. Today I tried twice to call her, and she finally did answer the phone. The first time she didn't answer the phone, and I thought, well, I realized it's just the enemy. So I rebuked the devil and command him to get his hands off of the phone. And I called again. And that time she answered the phone. When she answered the phone, she said, I didn't recognize that number. And I had said, there's no way I'm going to answer a phone call from anybody I don't know. But she said, for some strange reason, I just picked it up when you called. And she said, you're the one I've been waiting for your call, but I thought you were going to come from your ministry center, and I knew what your number was, and this is not your number. Well, I wasn't in the ministry center, and I was using my cell phone. That's why she didn't recognize the number. So I talked to the lady about Jesus, and she said, well, I believe in God. I said, ma'am, everybody believes in God. But I said, there's only one way to the king, and that's through his son, Jesus Christ. She said, well, I don't believe in Jesus. I said, ma'am. If you want to get healed, you've got to become a Christian. You've got to accept Jesus and produce fruit for his kingdom. Well, she said, you see, I don't believe that. I said, okay, let me make it, put it to you this way. I'll pray the prayer of faith for you, and the king heals you. Will you serve him? She said, in my way. I said, no, ma'am, that don't work. I said, I will not even pray for you. If you tell me you're going to serve God your way, and it's another way, and it's not Jesus Christ, I said, I will not pray for you. I said, because God is not, he didn't come to tell us there's more than one way to the kingdom of God. There's only one, and it's through his son Jesus. And anybody that tells me they're going to try to serve God, they are going to serve God, even if he heals them, they're still going to serve him their way. I said, there ain't but one way, and it's his. Amen. It's his. And so she said, well, that, then you can't help me. And I hung, she hung up the phone. I said, okay, that's okay. You know, I'm not a good, I'm not a feel-good preacher. Amen. I tell you exactly what God's Word says. Because you know there's only one way to heaven? There's not two. There's not 500. There's not a thousand. There's one. And if you're not willing to serve Jesus His way, there is no way. Now, a lot of people will want you to believe that there's more than one way. And when I ask somebody... If I pray for you, because I've seen God heal a lot of people, miraculously heal them that were lost. But when I ask you, if he heals you, I pray for you, and if the king heals you, will you serve him? If they say yes, then I'll pray for you. And then it's in God's ballpark. But if they say no, I'm still going to serve him my way, it ain't going to do no good for you to pray for that person. Now then, one last testimony before we get into the teaching tonight. I'm going to tell you a testimony about a man that's a director of a camp in Wisconsin. A Christian camp, yeah, a Christian youth camp. 
this man is in his 40s, and he has been a Christian the last 13 years, and he has been having seizures since he was 15. Now then, he didn't understand when he came and he heard my teaching. Somebody sent him some CDs or DVDs, and he started listening to them. And when he wrote me the letter, I mean, I read the first sentence of the letter and began to cry. And I cried through the whole letter, it was a whole page as I read that whole letter. And he said, somebody sent me some of your DVDs and CDs, and I listened to them. He said, now, I have had seizures since I was 15. And he said, I've been to the finest doctors, the finest counselors, both Christian and non-Christian, and said, nobody, they've tried everything known to man to heal me, and nothing worked. He said, there's nothing more intimidating to be a Christian director of a youth camp and you're up there on stage or in a classroom trying to teach a group of young people, and you come under a seizure. I mean, it's nothing more intimidating than to come under a jerking seizure. Well, that's a demon. That's a demon. And that demon, of course, I learned that totally in the Scripture, because the Scripture, Jesus, some of his own men, couldn't cast a demon out, and when they couldn't, it was a demon of seizure or epilepsy. And when they came to the Lord... After he cast it out, they said, Lord, why could we not cast it out? He said, because of your unbelief. And he said, this kind comes out only by prayer and fasting. So the longest fast I've been on, I, first time I did a three-day fast, then a seven-day fast, and then a 10-day fast, and a 12-day, and a 14. And finally, after Cheryl and I got married, we did an 18-and-a-half-day fast. Now, when you go 18 and a half days and you work every day, 14 hours a day, that's a long time to go without any food. That's a long time. Nearly three weeks. So when you say, or you hear somebody say that I'm starving to death because I haven't eaten since 7 o'clock this morning, it's only 3 o'clock in the afternoon, they're lying. You know, They're not starving to death. They may be hungry, but they're not dying. And even the, if they hadn't had anything to eat in two days, they're still not going to die. Because Cheryl and I went 18 and a half days without a bite, and we didn't die. You know, it's obvious we're still well alive. But as you fast and pray, God increases your anointing. That's what he, if you want to increase your anointing with God, you've got to learn how to pray and fast. Now, don't ever start on a fast unless you ask God first. Lord, I want you to give me the strength to go through this fast because I want to do this for you and for your kingdom. Not me, you know, but for you and for your kingdom. I want to gain strength so I can have that anointing so when I speak in the name of Jesus, you will show up and do great and mighty signs and miracles and wonders. Now, and, and when you pray and fast, the Lord will increase your anointing. Well, he increased mine to the point that not only have I been able to cast out many demons of epilepsy, I mean, many times I've seen people come to a healing school, I have rebuked the demon of epilepsy and seen them heal over and over and over. But I've never seen one healed off of one of my DVDs. But I got to see that with this man. This man, Patrick O'Brien was his name. He was the director of a Christian camp, and he said, and all the doctors and all the counselors and everything I've been to, nobody has ever said the reason I have epilepsy is because of sin. He said, I never heard that. 
He said, I've been a Christian for 13 years. I'm a director of a youth camp, Christian youth camp. I teach the Word of God. But he said, I've never picked up in the Word where it's sin that causes the problem. But he said, I learned that on your CDs and DVDs. I learned that sin. And he said, then I went to God and I said, Lord, what did I do? What did I do wrong that allowed this devil to come into me? And so the Lord immediately took me back to when I was 15 years old, when Daddy was lost and I was lost. And he told me, said, right there when you were 15 years old, you wanted to go to a rock concert. Your Daddy told you no. Said you manipulated your Daddy and you lied to your Daddy and you did everything you could until your Daddy finally said yes. He said, you didn't honor your father. You lied to him, and you sinned many ways. And he said, you remember, right after you went to that rock concert, you begin to have your epileptic seizures. He thought, wow, that's what I did all right. He said, when I manipulated my dad, that was my sin. See, the Word of God says, children, honor your parents, that your days may be long on the earth. Well, we read that, but we don't really believe that. If we really believed that, we'd honor our parents. We would do what they ask us to do because we don't realize that it's cutting our life short, not honoring our parents. Well, he certainly didn't honor his, but he was lost and his daddy was lost. So they were both lost, but God still held him accountable to his word. So the epileptic seizures came upon him. All these years, 27 years, he had had epileptic seizures, 27. He was on some of the strongest medication, but it still didn't curtail these seizures. He would still have them on a regular basis. And he said, I never knew when I went into the youth camp to teach, I never, I lived in fear all the time, thinking that during this session, I may come down with another one of these crazy seizures. And he said, it's nothing more intimidating to be trying to teach a bunch of young people the Word of God, and all of a sudden you come down under a jerking seizure. I can understand but he said, when I learned from your teaching that sin was what did it, and God took me back to when I was a 15-year-old boy, he said, I repented. I repented to God and asked him to forgive me of what I did when I was 15. He said, although my daddy had died six years ago, I asked daddy to forgive me also too, even though daddy was dead. I said, Lord, I asked my father, I repent to you, I repent to my dad. And he said, Dad, I ask you to forgive me. For my sin, although daddy's been dead six years. He said, the Lord spoke to me and told me that now then, since there was no one there that was a spiritual deliverance ministry, that since he had repented, God says, I'm going to deliver you and I'm going to heal you. He said, you do not need any medication anymore. Patrick O'Brien said, I heard God tell me that. He said, six months ago, Thurman, I lay down my medicine and thank God for my healing. And he said, I've not had a single seizure in the last six months with no medication. Then he said, I wanted you to come out and teach this to our youth camp. I told my director, we want to have Thurman come out and teach us these principles. And at first, after I told him about my healing, he said, sure, call him and tell him he can come. So he called us and asked us if we would come. And we said, yes. And so we set up a date in the future. And then he gave his director some of our teachings to listen to. And he listened to them. And then he came back to Patrick and said, this man can never come teach in our camp. He said, I guess he disagrees with God's word. 
Because I've listened to all of your teachings and I've never heard you teach anything that wasn't written in God's Word. So he said, I guess my director don't believe God's Word. That's why I cried all through this letter. My heart breaks at the men that are in positions of power that don't believe what God said in His Word. All I got to say, I wouldn't want to be one of them one day when I stand before the King, when I die. I don't want to be there. I don't want to be one of those men. I want to be one. In fact, I'm going to tell you a story, and I don't want you to think I'm pulling my string by no means. But there was a man came to my church here a while back. He said, Thurman, I went to seminary, and I graduated from seminary, and I became a pastor for a few years, and I couldn't make it. So he said, I'm a truck driver now. He said, I'm driving a truck, but I'm studying God's Word intently. And he said, as I'm studying it, God is revealing great things to me. One day I said, Lord Is there anybody in the area around here that really believes your word? And he said, God spoke to me audibly. And he said, my son Thurman Scrivener does. (laughs) He said, Thurman Scrivener, who is he? He said, who would you say, Lord? He said, Thurman Scrivener believes my word. He said, a little later, I said, God, I never heard of this. What did you say that name was? He said, a third time. He said, Thurman Scrivener. He believes my word, just like I wrote it. He said, I never heard of you. So he says, oh, who knows who this guy is? <laughs> so anyway, he said, just a few days later, somebody walked up to me and said, here's a CDD. Here's a CD. you got to listen to this. And he handed it to me. And I looked down and it says, Thurman Scrivener. He said, I'm going to listen to this, I guarantee. <laughs> and so he listened. And then he came to my church. And he looked, come a couple of times. And then he came up one Sunday afternoon after church, and he said, he told me the event, the experience he'd had with God, and he said, I've been here two or three times, whatever it was, and he said, now I know why God said what he did, because he said, you teach it just like it's written. He said, I have a boss I work for that's a diabetic, and he's going blind, he's having problems with his feet, he can't hardly walk, he has all kinds of problems. I said, is he a Christian? Well, he said he says he is, but he really doesn't walk the walk. Well, that's why he's sick. See, that's why he says he's not putting God first. He said, would you go over and pray for him this afternoon after this church service? And I said, sure. So we as a team, all four of us, Ty and me and our two wives, we got in the car and followed him way over to Fort Worth. I mean, it must have been 40 miles over there. But we followed him over there. And we went into this house and met this man, and he could not hardly see at all. We told him we come, and we just come in the name of the Lord Jesus. And because God loved him, that's why we came. We asked him if he went to church. He said, not much. You know, he was honest in everything he did. I said, well, the Lord Jesus told us freely he has given this power to save the lost and heal the sick. And he told us freely to give it away. So, so I want to pray for you, brother. I want to lay my hands on you, and I want to believe God will do something wonderful for you. And so I laid my hands on him and prayed for him. Ty and we all prayed for him. We all laid hands on him and prayed for him. And then he invited for us to sit down and talk with him a few minutes. So we did. And it, within 30 minutes' time, all of a sudden he says, That's your wife. Your wife's sitting over there in that chair. I said, Yes, sir. She's been sitting there ever since we come in. He said, I couldn't see her till just now. But he said, just now I see her sitting over there in that chair. He said, wow, I'm beginning to see a lot of things in the room. 
And by the time we got ready to leave, he said, well, let me walk you all outside. He got up and he said, hey, my legs don't hurt. He walked outside with us and stood out there for 30 minutes. He said, man, this is awesome. The next morning, he called the ministry center and said, where is this guy's church? He said, I'm coming to this church. He said, I woke up this morning. I am completely healed. I can see. I can walk. I can do everything. I'm going back to work today. But you know how long it took him to forget God's miracle? Before Sunday, he forgot it. He never did come to church. How quick we forget God's miracles and his wonderful love and grace, huh? I'm telling you, we're pretty dense, you know it? But nothing's changed. You go back and read the Old Testament and you'll see. I'm going to tell you an awesome story from Numbers chapter 16. How many of you have ever heard the story of Korah? Anybody know him? There's one back there, one here, but very few. Now, Korah was one of the men that came with Moses. How many of you heard of Moses? Everybody's heard of Moses, right? I mean, if anybody, if you hadn't heard of Moses, you ain't been in the Bible at all. Everybody knows about Moses. But Moses was the, chosen by God to be the leader of the Israeli people and to bring them out of Egypt into the promised land. Now, this was no little chore. I mean, how many of you saw the Ten Commandments on the movie? I mean, you know, that's pretty awesome, wasn't it? But how many people do you think they had on that set? 5,000? I mean, you know, when they crossed the Red Sea, what do you think there was? 5,000? Maybe? You know, a lot of people, wasn't it? But it was just a handful. There was really somewhere between 3 and 5 million. See, the Bible says there was 650,000 adult males. Now then, if there's 650,000 adult males, that's the grown men. That's not the kids. These are grown men, adults. I mean, you know, they're 20 years old and older, and there's 650,000 of them. Well, those 650,000 adult males probably had 650,000 adult female wives. And back in those days, most of the men and women that had been married more than three or four or five years, or especially been married 10 or 15 years, had anywhere from one to a dozen children. Is that right? Many of those people. So if you just round that off to 1.1 million men and women, that's a pretty good group, isn't it? But we know that. We had 650,000 men, 650,000 wives, and then if they just had three children per family, I mean, we got a ton of people here now, right? And then if you take their animals, their chickens, you know, their horses, their donkeys, their, you know, cows. They brought everything with them. Now then, what if you got three million people and five or ten million animals? Can you begin to get a hold of this massive chore of leading this bunch out of Egypt? No, you can't, you can't even comprehend it. You can't even comprehend it. If God wasn't behind it, there ain't no way that could have ever happened. But God was in control. But Moses had been chosen by God. Now, Moses was not able to do this till he got to be 80. At 40, he thought he could do it on his own. You know, he was going to take care of it. He moved in. He killed a couple, an Egyptian guard and all that stuff. And he's going to lead his people out. But he found out it wasn't God's timing. And he was, he was unstable. He had too much pride in his heart. And so God drove him into the desert and let him walk in the desert for 40 years to humble him. And then at 80, God says, now then, Moses, I can use you. 
So Moses had seen the burning bush. He had seen all the miraculous signs that God did for him. And now God comes to him and said, Moses, I have a job for you to do now. I want you to go into Egypt and I want you to bring my people out of Egypt. And he showed him many signs and miracles and wonders. And Moses said, God, I can't do it. I can't do it. I am tongue-tied. I don't speak well. I'm not a good speaker. I can't do it. God says, I'm your mouth. You go down there and do what I tell you. And Moses refused. And God got really upset with Moses. And he said, okay, I'll use your brother Aaron. And after Aaron said he would do it, they started to walk off. And God got so mad at Moses for a second, he started to kill him. But Aaron prayed, and God didn't kill Moses. Now, when you upset God, he can kill you. You know that? If one thing I've learned, you do not want to make the king mad. It's not safe. He's God, and you're nothing. So it's a good thing he's merciful and gracious. If he wasn't, man, it's a good thing he's not easily angered. Do you know that? If he was like us, there wouldn't be none of us left. But he's God, and he's merciful and gentle. Well, finally, they got started, and they went down, and they finally brought the people out. And as they're bringing the people out, they went through all the mighty plagues and all the miracles and all the things that all of you have read in the Bible. You've known about these things, and God brought them out. When he brought them out, and they get over here out there in the desert, finally this gentleman, Korah, and his friends that were with him, they said, God didn't call you, Moses, to do this. He has spoken to some of the rest of us too. Now then, instead of retaliating, Moses fell on his face and humbled himself before God. And he said, tomorrow, everybody come and tomorrow God will tell us who he's called. Hey, that's a good way to do it. So the next day they all came and Korah and his bunch, his wife, his children, and all of his friends, they came and they all met out there on the desert. And Moses said, now then, today God will show up with his presence and he will tell us who he's called. And all of a sudden the glory cloud appeared over the tabernacle. And everybody got to see this. They all saw this. This is all written in number 16. Now he sees this and God says, they say, you know, is God only speaking to you? Has he only called you? He speaks to us too. And Moses said, okay. If what you're saying is true, you will live a normal life and you will die naturally. But if what you're saying is a lie and it's not true, then God's going to do a new thing. He's going to open the earth up and all of you are going to fall alive into the flames of fire. And it said the words had barely cleared Moses' mouth when the ground opened up and Korah and his wife and his children and all of the men that had come with them with their wives and children all fell screaming into the pit of hell. Right before their very eyes. Now, you know, this has got to be some kind of an awesome scene. You only see those kind of things on television. You don't think those things are real. But this really happened. And then after these families all fell into the pit, and all the rest of Israel was watching this, they're seeing this, of course, they're running in fear as they see this ground open up, 
And then it says he round closed right back up. And then it says the anger of God was not stopped yet. The 250 priests or the 250 preachers that had agreed with Korah that had brought their incense censers to burn incense before God, it says God sent a fire and killed all 250 of those preachers. He wasn't happy with them. They all burned to death right there in everybody's presence. And he says, now then, Moses, take up those 250 incense burners, they're copper, and beat them into sheets and put them over the altar to remind everybody that I'm in control. And so they did it that day. And you would have think this would be awful that they'd never forget this, right? Would you ever forget this? No. But it says the next day. Not next week, not next month, or not next year, but the next day. The people came back and attacked Moses and said, Why did you kill all those men of God yesterday? Can you imagine that? Why did you, Moses, why did you open up their ground and kill them people? Do you think that you could think for a minute there's a human being on the earth that could just speak and the ground could open up and everybody fall alive into the flames of fire and then the ground close back up and nothing be gone? There ain't no human being on earth could do that on their own power. That cannot be done. And they got to see that. And the next day they've already forgotten what God had done, and they attacked Moses. And it said the minute that they attacked Moses, it said the glory cloud formed again over the temple, over the tabernacle, and God spoke to Moses and Aaron and said, get out of the way. I'm going to immediately, instantly kill all of these people. That's written in the Word. Do you think God likes for you to make him mad? I don't think so. And Moses said, Aaron, quick, Get an incense burner and begin to run amongst the people and plead with God. Intercede so God won't destroy them all. And it said God had already released the death angel and people was falling dead everywhere. Right. I mean, the plague had hit and they're dying all over the place. And Moses and Aaron, Aaron especially, he's running, he's the priest. He's pleading with God, please God, don't destroy them all. Please, Lord. He's burning an incense and atonement for the people. And it said finally... God says, okay, I'll stop it. And, but it says 14,700 people lay on the ground dead. Does it pay good dividends to make God mad? No. I don't think so. I don't think so. These people made him mad. Let me tell you today, he is a long-suffering and merciful and patient God. But he's the same God he was in that Old Testament. That's right. He never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So when we go out and he's so patient and so merciful and so forgiving, sometimes after years, of course today we live in a different era. The difference is today we live on this side of the cross. Oh, thank goodness for the cross. Because the cross, Jesus made peace with man through the blood of his son. Now that's a big one. You've got to stop and think about that. He said he made peace with men through the blood of his son. In fact, in, in the second Corinthians chapter five, he goes so far as to say, I am at this point not holding man's sins against them. You ever stop to think about that? Think about what God's saying there. Since I made, since I sent my son, and I gave him 
to pay the price for everybody's sins. I reconciled the entire world to myself through the blood of my son. He said, now then, I'm not holding your sins against you. I'm not going to get angry like that with you and wipe you out by the thousands no more because of the blood of my son. I've made peace with you. I'm not holding your sins against you. So he said, anybody, I don't care whether it's five years, ten years, fifty years, seventy years, I don't care what you've done, anybody, before you die, if you come to me and call upon the name of my son, I will forgive every sin you've ever committed and I'll wash you in my son's blood and I will set you on high and make you a child of God. I won't remember those sins. But what if they don't make him Lord of their life and they die? Then he holds them accountable for every sin they ever committed. And they get cast into this place called Gehenna right now or the place of the dead, which is a place burning with a hot fire but it's nothing compared to the lake of fire that they will be cast into at the great white throne judgment. That has not happened yet. The great white throne, hell has not been opened. It's opened in the book of Revelation. Right now, the people that's in the center of the earth are not in hell. They're in a place of torment. But it's not hell. It's just a place of torment. It's miserably hot and the demons are down there, and it's miserable, and you wouldn't want to go there, that's for sure. You wouldn't want nobody to go to this place. This place is real. I mean, the rich man, when the rich man died, some of you have read that over in Luke 16. When the rich man died, he had everything. I mean, Lazarus, the poor old guy, he loved the Lord, but he didn't have nothing. And the rich man, he had everything. He had money, he had power. Who needs God if you got money and power and you're okay? Well, that's the way man looks at it. I don't need God. I'm wealthy, I'm rich, I got money. The guy said, you know, I had great crops this year. I mean, I had such magnificent crops, I don't even have enough barns to put them all in. He said, what am I going to do? He said, I know what I will do. I will build new barns. I will put bigger barns. I will fill them up. Man, he's just full of eyes, what I'm going to do. And so he does. He builds the new barns, gets them all full. He said, now then, I am going to sit back, and for years I'm going to take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Because I got my barns full for years. And the Lord says, you fool. That's what Jesus called him. You fool. He said, tonight your soul shall be required of you. Then who's going to enjoy what you've set aside? It ain't going to be you. See, that's the way we need to look at things. Because as Christians, you have no idea what tomorrow holds. You know? Did you know you can be alive and well right now? fighting and squabbling over your empire. And tomorrow, you don't have one. It's gone. Either you can lose it on this earth, or you can die and go away. And if you die, just like I worked for years for the Marriott Corporation, as an engineer for the Marriott Corporation, I built big buildings for them all over the world. But one day, Mr. Marriott died, the old gentleman. Now, he was worth millions and millions and millions of dollars. And somebody asked me, he said, I wonder how much he left. I said, all of it. <laughs> all of it. He didn't take a penny with him. And, of course, that's kind of like the joke. The man that had a whole lot of money, he told his wife, he said, I'm, I'm sick and I know I'm going to die soon, so I want you to take all my money and I want you to put it in the attic of the house. She said, what are you going to do? He said, when I go to heaven, I'm going to take it with me. 
She said, okay. So she went and got all their money, took it out of the bank, put it all in a little deal upstairs, and he died. And after the funeral was over, she went up there and checked, and the money was still there. And she said, I knew it. I should have put it in the basement. It took some of you a little while to get a hold of that, didn't you? Well, see, he was such a mean man in his life. She had, she had it in her head. He's going to go the other direction anyway. So since he didn't get it on the way out up there, he must have went the other way. But see, the truth is it makes no difference whether he went this way or this way. He's going to leave it all here. So what you find squabble over on this earth, you're going to leave it all here. You know, so don't get into that. You know, don't fight and squabble over nothing because it makes no difference if you're rich or poor. And I'm going to tell you this from what I've learned about God's word. You can be the richest person on the earth. And Jesus said, what's it going to profit you if you lose your soul? Now, you might have had power, wealth. Everything you can imagine here. You might have lived in the finest homes and drove the nicest cars and eat the finest food. That's possible. You might have had everything. But if you didn't put Jesus first, it will mean nothing to you when you die and take your last breath on this earth. Because you will not go to heaven. You will go to hell. And nobody wants to go to that place. Nobody wants to go to that place. So whenever Moses did what he did, and we think about this stories about in the scriptures, they're written there to let us know how easy we can forget what God does for us. So some of you that God heals will forget what he's done for you. And you'll go back to your old sins if you're not careful. And of course, your sickness will come back upon you, only worse. So don't forget what he done for you. Walk holy in obedience to his word. I've seen him many a time. People that were stealing, that was having a problem, or any, you name it, whatever the sin was, you name the sin, and they're disobedient to parents or whatever, and you get them to repent of their sins, and they get healed. And then, after six months or a year, they forgot what God did for them, and they go right back to their sin. And when they do, then that sickness usually comes back much worse. And when it does that time, very rarely do they ever get healed. It's amazing, you know, the promises that God put in his word. But, you know, I have to say that Moses, just think about this. When I read this, I thought, this is not fair. Moses put up with all those millions of people for 40 years. I can't hardly put up with a little church of 100. You know, I mean, there's people in there that's got troubles and they'll put you to the test. They'll do things that'll make you upset if you let it. I'm talking about just a hundred people. I can only imagine having to deal with the entire Fort Worth Dallas Metroplex, which is about three or four million people. I mean, I can't even comprehend that. Can you? No, I can't, I can't grasp that. But Moses had to do everything God told him. He had to be humble and meek and do exactly what God says. And he did for 40 years. And then it, the end of the 40 years, the people come to him grumbling and complaining again. What did you bring us out here in this desert for? We need water. Now stop and think about this. God's going to have to water how many people? Three or four million people? 
You think of the city you live in. What is the, I mean, maybe this little area we live in right here in Fresno, California. What is this, uh, three, four hundred thousand, five hundred thousand? Four fifty. Okay, so less than half a million. So about one sixth or one eighth of what all of them, if you take all of them, that's about one eighth or one sixth of what Moses had to deal with. And now right here in this little town, what size water ducts does it take to bring water into this city to water just a half a million of you? It takes a lot, doesn't it? And it doesn't run in a little bitty tiny pipe this big around, does it? No. The Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, which has about the same number of people, three or four million people, which is about what we've got here, there is water pipes. In fact, they were putting a new 24-inch main, 24-inch main into our little town of Justin, which has only got a couple of thousand people. They were putting that new main in for a new water supply out there, and I stopped and talked to those guys. Since I'm an engineer, I was interested in what they were doing. I said, boy, you're putting in a nice-sized water pipe over here. Oh, he said, this is just a little tiny one. I said, what do you mean? He said, you should have been with us over there at one of the lakes the other day where we were putting some new mains in coming to Dallas. I said, they were big, huh? He said, yeah, they were eight foot in diameter. Each pipe was eight feet in diameter. He said, you could drive, if we got all those pipes welded together and down in the ground, he said, you could drive your pickup through those things. Eight feet and drive your pickup through those pipes and those went over to those lakes and when they got it hooked up, they opened those pipes to bring water into the, into the city of Dallas. Eight feet. That's the water. And that was, there wasn't just one. There was several. And there's many lakes in the Metroplex that have those kind of pipes bringing water into the Metroplex to water three or four million people. So think, when Moses struck the rock and the water come out to water three million people, what size stream of water do you think that was? See, that's kind of beyond, you know, we realize, we, here, we imagine this. And Moses spoke to the rock, or Moses struck the rock, and a little hole appeared, and a little stream of water. That's the way we see it, right? No, 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 that's not the way it happened. When he spoke to the rock, or struck the rock, or whatever God told him to do, there was a torrent of water come out, and it flowed down through that desert, and millions of people came up against that stream of water as it washed a river out and beautiful, clear water, and the people got a drink. Now, see, when you begin to see this, you begin to get a different picture of who God is. You begin to understand who the king is. So you begin to get an idea that he can do great things. But now just think, after 40 years of this, the people are grumbling. God says, Moses, strike the rock and I will bring forth water to water my people. Moses gets up and he said, you bunch of heathens, you bunch of stiff necks. He said, bam, bam, let the water come forth. What did God tell him to do? Strike the rock one time. He didn't tell him to strike it twice. He told him to strike it once. God still opened the rock and the torrent of water come through and watered the people. But God later told him, Moses, you're now 120 years old. You've been obedient. You've been obedient to serve me and do everything I've told you to do. But this time you were disobedient. You did not do what I told you to do. So said, because of this sin, you're going to die. I didn't think that was fair. Do you? 
I mean, he'd put up with that bunch of stiff necks for 40 years. And there ain't a single one of us in this room could do that. Do you know that? I couldn't. I know I couldn't. But Moses, that's why God sent the meekest man on earth to do his job. Because he knew that, man, only Moses could do this job. He will never call you to do something he hadn't outfitted you to do. When he calls you to do something, he empowers you to do what he calls you to do by his Holy Spirit. But Moses, but just think now, I think that's unfair. But see, I don't have any room to say anything because I'm not the CEO of the universe. He is. And he does things his way. So Moses committed one sin and it cost him his life. Sin brings forth death, doesn't it? After all that obedience, after all those years, Moses got to die and did not get to enter the promised land because of one sin. God held him accountable. But just think, on this side of the cross today, if that was the way it was with each one of us, and Moses didn't get to enter the promised land, guess how many of us would get to enter the promised land? Nobody. Nobody. If it wasn't for the blood of Jesus, nobody could enter. But because God reconciled the world to himself through his Son and saved us and healed us and delivered us through his Son, now you and I can come today and confess our sin and repent of our sins and he will take the blood of his Son. He will forgive us our sin and once he forgives our sin, then if we can believe him by faith, he will heal our body. And that's good news, you know it? Good news. So just think, according to the Word of God, which it clearly states, if we will walk in obedience to God's Word, we don't have to have any sickness and disease. Now that's, that's an eye-opener to a lot of people that most people do not dream you can go there. They don't even think you can go there. It's not possible to go there. But it is. It is possible to walk in divine health. No sickness and no disease. But I'm going to tell you, there's a, a few things you're going to have to learn to master. And the first one is your tongue. Yes. The very first thing you have to learn to master is your tongue. Amen. Now then, if you do not have the teachings on the tongue or the power of the tongue, there's several different teachings back there on DVD or CD on the tongue. You do not realize what you say is what you have. Now then, I didn't know that. And so by not knowing that, I stayed sick a whole lot. And the average person today will say what they have. I mean, it's amazing how they will say what they have. My arthritis is really bothering me today. My bronchitis. I have had bronchitis over and over. But, you know, or my flu. I have the flu. Or my whatever. They are claiming this sickness and disease. You listen to people talk. You listen to what comes out of our mouth. I walk up to a sister. She's walking down the aisle, and she's got a stop to And this is the way we used to do it, or I used to do it. I look down here. I meet a sister walking down the aisle, and her eyes are all red. Her nose is running. She's got a Kleenex blowing her nose. And I said, wow, you look like you got the flu today. He said, yeah, my flu is really bothering me, but I took some pills this morning, so I know I'm going to be over it in about three or four weeks. <laughs> I mean, that's the way we talk. We've been guilty of this. And then one day when I learned that I could lay hands on the sick and pray for them, I learned that 
especially after I learned I could say, well, you know, you got the flu this morning because of sin. Well, now, boy, they begin to buck up. I'm off with you, Thurman. You tell me I've sinned this week. I said, yeah, probably ain't no telling how many times. You know? And that really don't go across real well. You know? So, uh, but people don't understand this principle. That sin is what brings forth sickness and disease. So whenever you get people... To, in fact, the other day, I, I was at an Andrew Womack teaching in Dallas. Actually, in Fort Worth it was. And after he got through teaching, I thought, I'll go down and see if I can help him pray because, man, he had a multitude of people coming down. I said, I'll go down and see if I can pray for people with him if he'll let me. So I went down there. When I started to get down there, people were just covering him up, and so I couldn't even get close. So I was standing back there and a little ways back up one of the aisles, and a lady walked up to me, and she said, Thurman Scrivener, you still believe everything's a demon? I said, yes, ma'am. I believe everything pertains to sickness and disease is a demon. She said, I've come down for Andy to pray for me. I've got a bone spur in the bottom of my foot. I can't hardly walk, and I'll never believe that's a demon. I said, ma'am, that's a demon. She said, I don't believe that's a demon. I said, ma'am, you want to get healed? She said, Thurman, I don't believe that's a demon. I reached up and grabbed her and shook her one time. I said, you devil of hell, come out of her in the name of Jesus. I said, now then stomp your foot. She said, Thurman, I'm... She took her shoe off, took the pad out. She said, it don't hurt no more. I said, I told you it was a demon. I, I got power over him. Isn't that amazing? I mean, you know, when you learn that these things are demons, I mean, see, the thing about it is, I don't know how... I, you don't never know usually how you open the door to demons. But when I was a young boy, I mean, you know, some of you young children here today that are under 20 years of age, there is no telling how many things you've done wrong. No telling how many times mother or dad told you to do something you didn't obey. And when you didn't obey, you were breaking God's rules. He told you as a child you're to honor or to submit your mother and dad. You're to do what they say. And when you don't do that, you open the door to the demons. And they come in to torment you. Well, somewhere along that line, in my early, early teens, I got one, and I didn't know it was a demon. Now then, later in years, I had carried this thing for years and years and years and years of my life. I'm now up 45 years old, and I still have this problem, this sickness that came up on me as a young teenager. I can't get rid of it. I've been to the doctor many times. The doctors have given me stuff, and it helps it, but I never get over it. Sometimes it really gets bad. And I've tried everything, and nothing works. And so anyway, I, I had no idea, but this was a demon. So anyway, and going to the Lord, I, I began to see, studying the Scriptures, that Jesus cast out the demons, and then he healed the sick. Anybody ever read that in the Word, where Jesus cast out a demon? I mean, hey, it's all over the Bible, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All over the place, Jesus cast out the demons and healed the sick. I mean, he took authority over demons, invisible beings that you can't see, and kicked them out in, in his name. And, of course, he was Jesus. He told us we could do it in his name, and people would get healed. I thought, Lord, what kind of deal is this? I mean, evidently, if they had demons then, we must be able to have them now. You know, so I go to my Baptist preacher, and, you know, I'm just a deacon serving in the church, and I think these Baptist preachers, which is the only kind of church I've ever been to, they're preachers, so they must know everything. Well, now I know that I'm a preacher. We definitely don't know everything, that's for sure. But I used to think they knew everything. So I walked up to my Baptist preacher one day and I said, Is it possible, sir, for me to have a demon? He said, Absolutely not. 
He said, you know, you're a born-again Christian. Christ lives in you. There's no way you can have a demon inside that body. Well, that made me feel real good. I like that statement, that I can't have a demon. But I didn't believe it. So when the, one of the PhDs from the seminary was over there one day, I asked him. I said, can I have a demon as a Christian? Absolutely not. You cannot have a demon. There's no way a demon can live in there with the Holy Spirit. Well, that really makes me feel good, but I still don't believe this. Or just something in the back of my mind saying, he's lying to you. And I'm not lying. He just don't know. And so I went to the Lord. I said, Lord, I don't get an answer that makes me feel good. So I know if anybody knows this, you know this. Now, see, God had already spoken to me several times by this time. So I know the Lord speaks to his people because I've heard his voice several times. So I went to the Lord. I said, Lord, can I have a demon? I want to know, is it possible for me, a Christian, to have a demon living in my body? And he wouldn't answer me. And I asked him several times, Lord, can I have a demon? And he wouldn't answer. I asked him several times and nothing. So one night I'm studying the Word of God. I mean, I studied the Word of God every night almost. But this night, I've, on my computer, I've done a lookup on spirits of. That's what I put in the I want to see spirits of whatever. I want to know how many times that's in the Bible. I hit search and went and found spirits of all over the Bible. So I started way back in the Old Testament and I started reading about spirits of God, the spirits of divination, spirits of lying. You know, I mean, a spirit of lying? Hey, it's in the Bible. You know, and I saw all these spirits. Some of them are good and many of them are bad. Well, finally, when I get, I've been studying for hours, I come over to Luke 13, 11, and it says the woman that had the spirit of infirmity in her body for 18 years and it could in no wise straighten herself up. You've read that story, haven't you, sir? The woman had the spirit of infirmity, and the spirit of infirmity kept her bowed over, and she could in no wise straighten herself up. Now, what was doing that to that woman? A spirit. An invisible being in her body that her body bowed over and she could not straighten up. It called a spirit of infirmity. And when I read that, the Lord says, son, you have one of those living in your body. I said, what? Now, see, I'd ask him, can I have a demon? Well, he's telling me now. You have one of those spirits of infirmity living in your body. I said, Lord... I said, infirmity means sickness or weakness, and I'm not sick and I'm not weak. So I said, what is it? He said, it's your athlete's foot. Now, this is the problem I've had since I was a young teenager. I mean, when I was in the military, I almost lost two toes because that athlete's foot demon almost eat my toes off when I couldn't get to a medic. I mean, I could not get to a doctor and that demon was eating on my feet. And I mean, he'd eat it completely to the bone. When I got to the doctor, finally, he said, son, if you'd have been very many more days before you got here, we'd have probably had to amputate those two toes. Now, see, I had no idea it was a demon. But God told me it was a spirit of infirmity. And he said, and you have power over it in my name. I thought, wow. So I had had athlete's foot all those years. Never been able to get rid of it. You know what the doctors told me it was? A fungus. They certainly didn't tell me it was a demon. <laughs> Have you ever had a doctor tell you athlete's foot's a, a demon? No. They don't know it's a demon. 
But God does. And he told me I had a demon, a spirit of infirmity living in my toes. And I'd had it since I was a young teenager till I'm 45. So I turned that night right there with a command from God. I looked down at those feet. I commanded that spirit of infirmity to come out of me, go to the pit of hell, and never come back. I bound and took authority over that devil. I said, I bind you and kick you out of me, and then I loose you from my body. Now, see, Jesus said in his word, it gives me great pleasure to give to you, my children, the keys to the kingdom. Isn't that awesome? He said, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. He gave us great power, didn't he, ma'am? It's unfortunate most of us don't ever use it. I didn't understand it. I didn't spend enough time with him to know how to make it work. But boy, was I beginning to get revelation. I took authority over that demon. I kicked that beast out of me and commanded him to never come back in the name of Jesus. And guess what? I have never had Ethel's foot, not one single time since that day. Amen. Never. My toes have been completely healed all these years now. But I have told that to many people that had athlete's foot. When people come up and say, I have athlete's foot. Would you try that on me? I said, no. I don't ever try the Word of God. I either do it or I don't do it. But I don't try it. Because the Word of God says when you pray or when you rebuke a spirit, you've got to do it in faith, nothing wavering. That's one thing you don't do with Jesus. You don't try Jesus. You do Jesus. Somebody said, well, if, you, if you've tried all these other gods, just come and try Jesus. Forget it. He don't want you to try him. He wants you to make him your Lord. Right. Ain't no trying to this kingdom. You either do it or you don't do it. You either accept him in faith or you don't get nothing. That's, right. That's the kind of God he is. He loves you. You come to him and ask him in faith, man, he'll save you in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. You come to him and ask him after you repented of every sin to heal you, he'll heal you. Right. He'll do exactly what he said. So, when you get a hold of this, and you learn to stand on this, you can learn what these demons are. You can learn how to do this. So, as I learned these great and awesome principles, when I learned these things, I now, almost every time I pray for you, almost I rebuke a spirit. It depends on what you've got wrong with you, but sometimes you don't have a spirit. But the average person not in the church not only has a spirit, Most Christians have many spirits, and not the spirits of God either. There are spirits of hell living in your body. Uh Now, they will take take turns of manifesting. If you have a cold every year or the flu every year, then you have a demonic spirit living in your body Mm -hmm. that once a year he will begin to agitate you, and when he does, you will say, oh my goodness, it's that time of year again. I guess I'm about to come down with the flu. And he said, that's it. I got you. And you got the flu for the next three weeks. <clears throat> He'll do that to you every year. Every year. I mean, sometimes twice a year. If you get to where you have it in the spring and he uh, comes again at you in the fall and you confess it, well, you'll have it twice a year. Isn't that amazing? I mean, how many of you mothers have ever been guilty of this? One of your children is there and it's a cool, damp morning and it's a wet grass and they start to run outside and you say, don't you dare run outside on that wet grass. You'll catch your death of cold. <laughs> Any of y'all ever been guilty of that? My mother was guilty of that. And then say about the second or third day, I'd come down with a coach. He said, see, I told you, if you went out there in that grass with that wet grass with them bare feet, you'd catch a cold. 
I mean, mother spoke a curse on me and didn't even know it. See, now my mother was one of the most godly women I ever knew, but she didn't know none of these principles from God's Word. She had no idea what she was doing when she was speaking things that didn't line up with the Word of God. Now then, years later, when I began to learn these things, I began to write all this stuff down about the power of the tongue. Now then, the first tape I made was only 90 minutes long. I made a tape on the tongue, and it was 90 minutes long. And then I kept noticing and making notes and adding to that, and then I made another one which made two 90-minute tapes on the, on the tongue. I just called them the tongue. That's all they're about. And then when we got to CDs, I put two 90-minute tapes on CD, which left me about 20 minutes of blank space on the third one. So by this time, I had several more notes. So on the CD series, it's called The Tongue, they got 20 minutes more teaching than the two 90-minute cassettes. So if you happen to have the cassettes back there on The Tongue, you'll see they're exactly the same till you get to the end, and then the CD has an additional 20 minutes of teaching on The Tongue. So, like Ty said last night, Proverbs 18:21, life and death is in the power of your tongue. Now, if you really believe that, you would begin to control what you say. Life and death is in the power of your tongue. Now, think. Jesus gave you and me such power with our tongue. He said that life and death is in the power of the tongue. Now, see... When I learned that and begin to believe that, we go to another scripture, and that was in the Old Testament in Proverbs 18:21. but we come to the New Testament when Jesus is here himself walking on the earth, and he made several statements like he made in Mark 11:23. Now in Mark 11:23, Jesus said, "If you have faith, you can speak to a mountain." And command the mountain to move from there and be cast into the sea. And he said, if you don't doubt in your heart, that mountain will obey you. That's a little more than the average Christian can grasp. But the promise is there. And then he goes a little further. He said, so therefore, whatever you say with your mouth, if you believe it with your heart, you'll have whatever you say. So if you don't say, if you never say, Jesus is my Lord, guess what? He's not your Lord. But if you say, Jesus is Lord, see, you got saved with your tongue and your heart. If what's in your heart comes out of your mouth, then some of you need to do what I did many years ago. When I was a young man working as a mechanic, I learned a few bad words in the Chevrolet house where I worked. You know, with all those guys, those mechanics, you know, some of them are not exactly churchgoers. And some of them got a little bit of a, you know, tell a few dirty jokes and say a few foul words. And if you're not careful, those will come over on you. And you'll start picking them up. It's very difficult to keep yourself clean and pure from the world. You have to choose who you're around very carefully. I don't spend much time around people that curse and take the Lord's name in vain. I just don't stay with them. I don't want their sin to come to me. I don't want what they got. That's why I stopped reading newspapers. That's why I stopped watching television. That's why I stopped reading uh, magazines. That's why I stopped everything, radio, singing songs. I used to sing those old somebody done, somebody wrong songs all the way to work every day. 
but they never produced anything but bad. Well, I don't sing them no more. I don't even want to know them. I don't even want to know the artists that sing those. I don't want to know who they are. You know who I want as my heroes? Men of God. I want men of God. I want men that walk with God. When I, somebody says, who do you study under? I said, well, I read what a man writes, and if I want to know how many people he's saved. Has he got anybody saved? Then I'm interested in what he's got to say. If he's not gotten anybody healed, then I don't want to know what he's got to say. But if he's had a fairly good healing ministry, a deliverance ministry, and he's walked in prosperity, I want to know what this guy's got. Because if he's learned how to make these things work for him, then I want what he's got. Because what he's got is from God. So that's what I started learning. And as I started learning these things, when I started believing that this power was really available to me, now, I want you to think about this. What did Jesus do when he was here? Think about what Jesus did. Jesus, did Jesus walk on the water? Did he really? He really did. You don't think this was just some phenomenon. Why do you believe he really walked on the water? Why? The Word says he did, didn't he? Now, I believe that, don't you? I believe since the Word says Jesus walked on water, I believe Jesus walked on the water. Don't you? Now, there's another man that walked on the water. Peter walked on the water. Hey, another man, a human being, he walked on the water. He did it by faith. Now, he didn't go very far because the devil showed up and immediately began to blind his man. I mean, I can see that devil now. When Jesus told Peter when that storm was out there and they looked up and Jesus is walking across the water on that storm, they said, it's a ghost. And Peter's and all Jesus said, no, it's not a ghost, it's me. Peter said, Lord, if that's really you, let me come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got down out. Think of this, they're out there in a storm. And he gets down out of the boat. I can hear the rest of them Baptist in the boat saying, you fool, don't get out there. Now, see, I say that because I was a Baptist so many years. You might be a Pentecostal, you might be a Methodist or Episcopalian or whatever you are. But your people would be saying the same thing. Don't step out of this boat. We're in a storm. Don't get out there on that water. You'll drown. There ain't no faith in what they say. But Peter, he stepped out of the boat and he walked on the water. Well, as he's walking on the water, the devil, I can see the devil out there now showing up and saying, Demons! Stir up the winds and the waves. We gotta do something. If we don't do something quick, if we don't get his attention off of Jesus, in a few minutes the rest of them guys are gonna see him, they're all gonna be walking on the water. And when they get to where they walk on the water, they ain't nobody gonna need a boat no more. And we're gonna be in big trouble. And they were gonna be. But Peter walked and all of a sudden when those winds and waves begin to increase, I can see now the devil stirring up the winds and the waves. And all of a sudden, Jesus is way up here. Then he's down here, and then Peter's over here. And when Jesus disappears, he's saying, the devil's saying, you fool, you fool, you're going to drown, you're going to drown. And I can just see Peter tuck his eyes off of Jesus and begin to look at his circumstances. Now, see, that's where we fail. When we take our eyes off of the Word of God and begin to look at our circumstances around us, then our faith goes from faith to fear. And when we go to fear, just like Peter, Peter immediately began to sink down into the water. 
When he started sinking, he cried out, Lord, save me! Jesus walked over there and reached down, grabbed him by the hand, picked him up and said, Come on, Peter, come back up here. And then he looked him right now and he said, Peter, you of little faith, why did you doubt my word? I wonder what he'd say to us today. Oh, you of little faith. That's what he'd say to every one of us. Every one of us. We don't hardly even know what faith is. So think, what did Jesus do? He walked on the water. Then he gets in the boat with them and he speaks to the boat and the boat is translated to the shore. It didn't go through the water. It was translated to the shore. Isn't that amazing? It was instantly at the other bank. Whoa, something supernatural happened here, didn't it? This is not normal. And then another time when Jesus is out there, he's tired and he's sleeping. And they wake him up and said, Lord, don't you care that we drowned in this storm? And Jesus gets up and he speaks to the wind. And he commands the wind to be gone and the waves to be still. And instantly, everything was perfectly quiet and smooth. What kind of a man is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? You might think, might ask yourself that. What kind of a man was he? But he was a man with no sin. He laid down his deity. He was not claiming his deity as God. He's operating as a man. Now that's kind of awesome, isn't it? So he speaks to the storms. He speaks to the wind. He speaks to the waves. He speaks to the demons. They come out. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He raises the dead. And then I want you to think about what he said in John 14, 12. John 14, 12. Most people can't believe this. This is just a little bit too big for the average Christian. A little bit too big. We read right over this because we know we can't do this. He, we know he's not talking to us. We know this is far beyond anything a human being could do. But these words are in red. Jesus said, if you have a red, red letter edition in John 14, 12. Jesus is telling you the truth. Jesus said in John 14, 12, not only can you do what I have been doing, but greater things than these that I've done shall you do in my name. How many of you believe that you can heal the sick? Praise the King. We got some believers in here. How many of you believe you can walk on water? Oh, we don't have all these. No, take her. My honey buddy held her head, but she didn't hold it up very high. <laughs> There's a little doubt right there, even in her heart. <laughs> in fact, after we got married, we'd been married just a few months, and she made, you know what she told me? She said, honey, I thought I had faith before I married you. But now that I've lived with you for a while, I'm not sure if the rapture were to come today, if I would even go. I'm not sure I feel like I would go. I said, I'm sure glad we don't live by feelings. See, I'm glad we live by the Word of God. Amen. Let me tell you what happened. One of the things that changed her life like this and this 
We had been out on the road for like three weeks. After we got married, she said she got one day and four hours of honeymoon. The rest of the time, we're on the road. <laughs> Swept us right off. But I mean, you know, that's the way it should be. Man marries a wife, gets to go home, spend one night with her. Next day, you're on the road and gone, and you're out, you know, preaching Jesus. Well, we were gone three weeks, and when we came back in in three weeks, we came into the little apartment and uh, that where, where she lived, a little condo, and she opened her refrigerator to get the glass jug of milk out, and she looked at it, and she said, oh, wow. She pulls the lid off, starts to pour it out. I said, what are you doing, honey? She said, I'm going to pour out the milk. I said, what are you doing wasting that milk? She said, honey, look, it's three weeks past the use date. How many of y'all know what happens to milk three weeks past the use date? It ain't no good, is it? And she started to pour it out. I said, don't you pour out that milk. There ain't nothing wrong with that milk. She said, are you kidding me? I said, no, I'm not kidding you. I said, now, we was not here. We could not have drank that milk, so I'm not putting God to the test. Now, if it had been in the refrigerator for three weeks and I could have drank it every day and I didn't, then it's going to go bad. But I'm out of town. I can't drink it. So I'm not putting the king to the test. I said, that milk is good. Now, what did, in Mark 11:23, what did Jesus say? I could have whatever I say with my mouth if I believe with my heart? Did he say that? Now, since I hadn't put him to the test, I mean, now see, this will test your faith. This will test your faith. This will give you an idea of what faith is. See, we don't believe the Word of God. I mean, Jesus made us this awesome set of promises, and we don't hardly ever use them. So, I said, there's not anything wrong with that milk. I reached up in the cabinet, got me a glass. I said, pour me a glass of milk. And you can tell where her faith is now. She starts pouring, and she says, well, it's not coming out in lumps. <laughs> See, that's what her faith was. She fully expected it to come out in lumps. It's a good thing it was my faith that was making milk, because if it hadn't been, it would have been in lumps, I'll tell you for sure. So I brought it, started toward my mouth with it. She said, aren't you going to at least smell it before you drink it? I said, of course not. That would be doubt, and it wouldn't be any good then. I said, there's nothing wrong with it. I just brought it to my mouth and drank about half the glass. Tuck it down. She says, is it okay? I said, of course. I told you it's good. And she said, can I have a drink? I pushed it over to her mouth. She says, <laughs> she said, well, it smells okay. You can tell she has no faith at this point. <laughs> she, still, she thought she had faith. But she learned she had no faith. And so anyway, she took a little drink and she said, wow, it does taste good. Now see, it was totally my faith that made it good. So she drank a glass that evening and I drank a glass and the next morning I drank the rest of it and it was perfectly good. Now somebody says, I don't believe that story. Well, you ask her. She was there with me that day. What I'm telling you is exactly what happened. Now see, you can't put God to the test. You can't just say, well, okay, I'm going to go buy a gallon of milk and set it in the refrigerator. I'm going to wait till it's three weeks past due. Well, let me tell you, if you do, I guarantee it's going to be bad. That's right. It's going to be bad because God, don't you even dare to put him to the test because he said, don't you put me to the test. That's what the king says in his word. Don't put me to the test. So I didn't put him to the test. I stood on his word since we were out of town. We couldn't drink it. So I was not putting God to the test. But there was no use in me letting a half a gallon of milk go bad when I had the power in my mouth to speak that milk to be good. Well, 
a few months later, we were up north, at uh, somewhere up north, I forget where, and there was a family that we spoke in a place, and they said, we don't understand this faith stuff. Would, would you mind coming to our house this afternoon or at noon today for dinner, and we'll have, feed you dinner and everything tonight. We'll take you to the service. I said, okay. So that morning we got up, and they come by and picked us up about 10 o'clock or whatever and took us over to their home, and they fixed a beautiful dinner, and we were sitting there having dinner, and after the dinner was over, we'd sit and talk with them and all kinds of stuff. And the lady said, would you all like some hot tea after dinner? We said, sure, we like hot tea. So she poured some hot water in two cups and handed them to us. She set those down, and she handed us two tea bags. Cheryl put one in hers, and I put one in mine. And we dip them a little bit, you know, and everything. She said, would you all like some sweetener? And Cheryl said, well, we love honey. Do you have honey? She said, oh, yeah. So she goes and gets her bottle of honey. Cheryl puts a spoonful in hers and stirs it up. I put a spoonful and stir mine up. And then she said, would you like some cream? And Cheryl said, oh, yeah, we'd love some. She said, I have a brand new container of half and half I just bought yesterday. Cheryl said, we love half and half. She said, okay. So she went and got it, and she opened it, brand new container, and she poured it into Cheryl's cup, and it clabbered just like that. Just, I mean, just clabbered. And she's, she says, I just bought this yesterday. It's in dates. And then I said, this is a test. This is to show y'all what faith is. She said, what do you mean? I said, y'all didn't understand faith. Now, then you saw the same hot water, mm -hmm. the same tea bags, the same honey, mm -hmm. and now then half and half, and it clabbered in my wife's cup. Yes, it sure yeah. I said, now then I'm going to show you what faith is. I'm going to say with my mouth that when you pour that cream out of that same container in my cup, it'll be perfectly smooth and will not have a lump in it in the name of Jesus. What did the king say I could have? Did he say whatever I say with my mouth if I believe with my heart? Now see, the word don't work for you if you got some kind of little hidden sin in that heart. See, the first thing you got to ask God to do is take a wire brush and go inside that heart and scrub it. I mean, you know, if most of your heart was like mine was, you know, I used to be a mechanic and when I'd had one of the old dirty cylinder heads or something and I took it over and put it in a vat and it was dirty, cooked on stuff, I had to take a wire brush and that cleaner to get that thing clean. Well, that's kind of what God had to do with this heart. I told him one day, I said, Lord, I want this heart to be clean and pure. So whatever you got to do, so I can only imagine what the Holy Ghost had to do to clean everything out of this heart that I'd put in it all those years. But he took a wire brush and he went inside and he scrubbed that heart and he cleaned it out and made it clean and pure in the name of Jesus. Now then, when I speak in his name, he shows up. And so they poured the cream. Everybody was on the edge of their seat. I mean, everybody. I was in perfect comfort. I had no doubt in my heart. I knew. I said, when you pour that cream in my cup... I guarantee it'll be smooth and perfect and there will be no clabbering. I mean, everybody was, children and everything was sitting on the edge of their seat. And mama poured that in my cup and I'm stirring and it was perfectly smooth. Perfectly smooth. I said, see, y'all wanted to know what faith is. This is what faith is. Now, when you believe with your heart that God's word is true, 
and you've got the heart clean. You've allowed him to go in and scrub it and clean it and take all the wickedness out of it. When you speak in his name, he says, whatever you say, he will do it for you. Now then, when I learned these principles, I'm going to tell you the rest of the story about my granddaughter. What, honey? Oh, yeah. What time is it? Nine o'clock. Okay. Okay. For Our girls are going to sing another song, and we're going to take up an offering for the ministry. And then I'm going to tell you about my granddaughter, because it's already nine o'clock. I didn't realize that two hours or an hour and a half had gone by so quickly. If you need an envelope, if you want a record of your giving, if you'll hold up your hand, they will bring you an envelope. If, if, you, if you don't need a record, then you don't need an envelope. Or if you give a check, you don't need an envelope. You, or you can put it in one if you want to. But if you do give a check, make it out to TLSM. That stands for The Living Savior Ministry. Now, Dave's going to be passing out envelopes. Anybody, just hold your hand up if you need an envelope. He'll pass these envelopes out to you. And you can give, uh, pass that one down there. There's a lady down there wants one. And uh, there's a couple of them over here that want envelopes. And so remember now, let me tell you something about giving. When you write your check or you put your cash in an envelope, when you give, you say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I am giving this to you. And I expect a good return on my gift. Because he calls this seed. He calls, he calls money seed. And said, so when you sow your seed, and this is why so many people never get blessed, because they don't call God in remembrance of his promises. So when you say, Lord... I'm giving, I'm sowing a seed into your ministry. I expect a good return. Now he says, with the same measure you use to give, it shall be returned unto you. 30, 60, 100 fold. So believe him and believe he will return to you many times over when you give. So that's something I just thought I'd throw that in because lots of people don't know that. And they don't know when they give. They just give and don't ever say nothing to God. Well, you just tell him, Lord, I'm giving. You know, this is, I'm giving to your ministry. And when I learned that, God began to bless us abundantly in the ministry. When I started giving away money from our ministry to other ministries, I said, Lord, thank you. I'm sowing this into good soil, these other ministries. God began to bless us in an abundant way. Let me just pass it back to the next one. Praise the King. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. We'll, we'll pass it down right here. Praise the Lord. And she's down there to get it. Okay, so as soon as, as soon as we get the offering, or while we're taking off, the girls are going to sing us another song. Praise the King. And then we'll go ahead and talk some more. Amen. Praise the Lord. I tell you, I got a great, the Lord did that. I have nothing to do with it. Okay, praise the King. He said, I picked up a good team. I said, I didn't have nothing to do with it. God picked up the team. He put them together. He gave me my own praise and worship team to go with me. You know, he had to marry her to me, you know, to get it done. But uh, marry her and pay all her bills. Marry her. Oh my goodness, yeah. You know, I got to tell you a little story here, right quick. You know, somebody asked me, says, uh, "Would you ever get married?" And of course, I always told everybody, "No." And they said, "Well, if you were going to get married, what would you look for in a woman?" I said, "Well, you know, I mean, I, I got to look at this from the flesh, of course." Number one, she'd have to be beautiful. You know, I mean, I'm not even considering it if she's not beautiful. If I'm looking for another wife at this age, she's got to be a beautiful woman. Number two, she's got to be the most spiritual woman I'd ever seen. She's got to know God's Word. She's got to be in God's Word. She'd have to be a woman of God. 
And then I said, number three, she'd have to be filthy rich. <laughs> well, I mean, if you're going to look, you know, why take, I mean, why have anything less than all three, right? And that's why I didn't go look, because I didn't figure I could find that at all. But I will have to say, God sent me a beautiful woman. She is beautiful, and she's a very spiritual woman, but she was very broke. Oh, I got two out of three. That's pretty good. So it took me a year to pay her out of debt. After I married her, it took me a year, but within a year, I had tucked all the money I had, plus everything I could squander together, you know, in the next year. But I finally got my honey bunny out of debt. So, and I even had to pay some of her daughter's debt, too. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Right, Chrissy? <laughs> oh, goodness. But anyway, God's good, isn't he? So now then Cheryl and I are completely debt-free. You know, I was debt-free long ago. I hadn't had any debt in years myself. I just don't get in debt. I don't buy anything that I can't pay for. I just don't go there. But Cheryl, you know, she had not had that resources that I had available to me. And uh, so she had gotten into some pretty deep debt and uh, on several credit cards and everything else. And so uh, some of those were extremely high interest. And so the the day the Lord told me to marry her, I mean, after we had our first date, uh, that a week later, uh, I went over to her house and I told her, I said, now, honey, now that we're going to get married, I want to see your financial condition. I want to know where you are. And so she gets out her sheet and she said, well, oh, this here and this. She had a whole sheet that she made payments off of every month. And so I said, let's take the four or five greatest interest rate she had, some of them up to high as 29% interest. Wow. But lots of people live there. So let's take the, I think she had one about 4000 or $5,000 that was 29% and had one about 27% that was three or 4000 Anyway, whatever they were, I took the first five that were the highest interest rate, and I had enough money in the bank to pay those off. So I just went and took her, walked into those establishments, and paid them. And... When I did, every time I'd walk in and pay one, she'd just cry. She said, nobody ever loved me this much. Nobody ever done this for me. Nobody has ever paid my bills. She said, I've been married twice over the years. But it hadn't, she hadn't been married in 24 years. But she said, no man has ever done for me what you've done for me. I said, there ain't no man ever loved you. Never. I said, that's the problem. See, when a man loves his wife, he takes care of her. And when the woman loves her husband, she takes care of him. You know, she really takes care of him. She keeps real. She really is a godly woman. She will do exactly what God says, and she will submit herself to her husband. She will love him and take care of him. And, of course, it's easy for a woman to submit herself to her husband if her husband loves her. If the man loves the woman, no woman will not submit to her husband. Because when a man loves God and he loves his wife, like Christ loves the church, he'll never ask his wife to do anything that the woman doesn't feel comfortable with. Now, men that are not men of God, they will ask their wives to do things that does not feel comfortable. You know, there's no telling what they may be asked to do as wives of husbands that are not born-again, spirit-filled Christians. So they'll ask him to do things that the woman does not feel good with. And some of those women will go ahead and do those things but they will do them not feeling good. They will submit to their husbands to do things 
that's not right. They know it's not right. They don't feel comfortable with it, but they will do it. But let me tell you, you don't have to. There, if your husband asks you to do something you think that might not be proper in any realm, all you got to do is say, honey, I'm a born-again Christian. Now, this could be either way. This could be the man or the wife. But you say, honey, I'm a born-again Christian, and what you've asked me to do, I don't feel comfortable doing because God is right here in me, and if I do this in his presence, I think it would offend my Lord. So I will not be a partaker of that. And usually the husband will honor that, or the other spouse will honor it. Not always. Sometimes they'll get all upset with you and everything, but still you have to stand your ground. Stand your ground and to do what the king says. And so, anyway. Now then I'm going to tell you a little bit about faith and how it works with whenever my wife and my daughter were killed. Uh, the first wife I was married to, 41 and a half years. When she was killed uh, in January, I mean, of uh, October the 13th of 2001, she was killed in a car wreck along with my 24-year-old daughter and the grandbaby, which was three. She was in the car and Kelly was sick. She was in the car. She was like a granddaughter. We'd kept her since she was three weeks old. So whenever this happened, it was a head-on accident, both of them driving 70 miles an hour, hit right at the pinnacle of a hill, neither saw the other one, and my wife and daughter were instantly killed. Now then, I didn't know what God was doing here. Now there will be times in your life when you're put to the test that you will not understand what God is doing. But the thing you've got to realize is that He's God, and He's in control, and He knows what He's doing. So that's when He says, lean not on your own understanding but lean on me. He said, that's when he says, cast all your cares on me because I care for you. Now, he knew what he was doing. Now, out of this story, there's been millions of people, their lives have been transformed by this story. It is so awesome. The story in its entirety is back there on two CDs called Caitlin's Miracle 1 and Caitlin's Miracle 2. Now, the sto both stories are pretty well complete on both of those, but the number two, Caitlin's Miracle 2, I mean, Ty and Cheryl both said they felt like when I give that testimony in Chinook, Kansas, that it was the most anointed teaching that I had ever done on the story. So that's why we bring it with us. And then the Caitlin's Miracle on DVD is a 30-minute show that we've done with Sid Roth on It's Supernatural. Some of you may be familiar with his television network, and we went to Nashville, and he filmed this story and it turned out awesome. I mean it is absolutely a 30 minute show that will change your life about the power of God. But anyway I had been put to the test and a lot of times when we get put to the test especially if it's like this. I mean I, I thought about Job the day that the police officer told me that my wife and daughter were dead and that my grandbaby wasn't and he said both the little girls I said, what's the condition of the little girls? He said, both of them are critical, very critical, and they're in Cook's Medical Center. Well, I thought immediately about Job. When Job, when they came to Job and said, Job, all ten of your children were in a house having a party, and the roof fell in and killed them, and all ten of your children are dead. Now, that's not exactly what you want to hear, is it? No. But then after that, the story didn't stop. You know, they kept coming and say, Job, all your sheep have been stolen. All your crops are burned up. 
the Sabaeans or the whatever have come and they've killed all the hired help and they've taken everything, all your camels, donkeys, everything. You have nothing left, nothing. Here's a man that was the most powerful man on the earth in one day. He lost his whole family and everything he had in one day. Now see, when you're that powerful and that big, you don't think you can lose it all in one day, but you can't. Job did. What did Job do? He fell on his face and worshipped the Lord. I remembered that story well. So whenever they told me that, I walked to the front of the congregation I was teaching that day, and I had just started. I'd only been teaching five or ten minutes when that police officer walked in the door, and I walked back there to see what he wanted, and he told me I walked back to the front. I told the congregation, I said, I want us to stop and worship the king. I want us to praise him. And somebody said, what happened? I said, I just lost my wife and daughter in a car wreck. They're dead. And my granddaughter, they say, is technically dead. And the little girl with her is technically dead too. But I want us to worship the king. Now see, you've got to know what's going on a little bit. And you've got to know that God is in control. Nothing happens. Did Job's children die without God's knowledge? No, he knew what was going on. He was there. You've got to learn to trust him. If you lose a child, don't get mad at God. He knows what he's doing. You know, he knows everything. But I lost a wife and a daughter. And the children were laying there. So I closed down shop after we worshipped him about 20, 30 minutes. And I went home and got my son. I, I, they, I wanted to drive home my own truck. They wouldn't let me. Somebody drove me home. You know, they did, they just couldn't believe I was capable of driving home. But I was. I was totally in control. You know, we went home. I met my son. I told him what happened. And he had a nice little cry. We cried on each other's shoulders. I said, son, get in the truck. We're going to drive down to Cook's Medical Center. We're going to see what Kelly and Caitlin looks like. So we drove down to Cook's Medical Center. It took about 45 minutes to an hour to get down there and get up to ICU. We drove the speed limit. We didn't break no laws. We didn't do nothing crazy. I know God's in control. I know the king's in control. So I walked up in that room and I walked in. That little lady looked at me and she said, sir, I'm a social worker and I want you to know that your granddaughter is technically dead. He said, she cannot live. And said, the other little girl is in very critical condition also. Said, she might live but said she has brain damage and probably will have brain damage. And if she lives, the doctors have said it'll be two and a half to three months before she can stand with a walker. I walked in and looked at my granddaughter laying there, and I didn't recognize her. She was just a glob of flesh. Her face was tore all to pieces, and it was twice the size it had normally been. All the bones around her eyes were crushed and broken. Her little face was lacerated all over and blood was running out her, everywhere blood could run out. It was running out her ears. It was running out her eyes. It was running out her nose. It was running out her mouth. Blood was running out everywhere. When you see something like this, if you live in the flesh, this is when you lose it. But you can't go there and walk in God's power. You've got to stay in the faith realm and believe the word and not what you see. And if you go by what you see, you're going to step into that fear, just like Peter did whenever he stepped into the fear and he began to sink. You can't go there. And that's where the church lives today. 
The average church lives in what they see. They don't believe these promises of God. You let the devil show up, throw that black mantle over your head like he did me that day, and the average church member forgets they're Christians. They start screaming and crying and says, where is God? Well, let me tell you, he's, he's right there. Right where he said he was. And your promises are right there too. Now, you, he's going to find out what you're made out of. He's putting you to the test. Now, you don't say, I don't like these tests. That's okay. You're not in control. He is. And when he gets to where he's ready to test you with a certain test, he will test you. He did me that day. So I didn't step into fear. I didn't scream or holler. I walked over from Caitlin's room into Kelly's room, and I looked at another little girl laying there with her head all ripped open across the top and a little pelvic all crushed. And I said, Doc, what is the situation with her? He said, well... He said, if she lives, she'll have brain damage. And he said, then it'll be two and a half to three months before she can stand with a walker. Then she'll have to learn to walk all over again, which will take months. Well, with that, I just took God's word and I said, now, see, I have the word hidden in my heart. This is where you need it also. I said, in John 16, 23 and 24, Jesus made me an awesome promise. I said, Jesus made it to you too. But I said, he made, told me, he said in John 16, 23 and 24, before this day, you have asked the Father nothing, or asked me for nothing, but from this day forth, you can ask the Father in my name anything you want to, and he'll do it for you. Therefore, ask the Father in my name anything that your joy may be full. Now, what do you do with a promise like that from God? You use it. You stand on it. That's exactly right. What that young lady said right there, you stand on these mighty promises of God. So I took that mighty promise and I quoted that and I said, now, Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to raise up Kelly and do such a mighty miracle of healing on her that everybody will know only you could have done it. And then I said, thank you, Lord, for your word. And thank you that your promises are always yes and amen. Thank you, Lord. This girl is going to recover supernaturally. And I turned and looked at everybody there, and I said, I guarantee she'll be up and out of here and running and nothing flat. And, you know, the doctors kind of look at you and think, well, okay. I mean, you know, this guy's crazy. I mean, we're the doctors. We know what we look like. We've done the MRIs. We know she may not live. If she does, it's going to be three months before she can stand with a walker. It's going to be three more months before she can ever walk again without one. They know that to be a reality. And in the real world, when you live in the five physical senses, that's the way it works. That's the way it works. But that's not the way it works when you step into the world of faith. And so in one week, Kelly is out of ICU. In one more week, she's standing, walking with a walker. And in three more days, she's back in school, running and playing like nothing ever happened. Everybody knew God showed up. Now, why did he show up for me? I had the word. I knew what it said. I'd been obedient to believe him. I was not walking in no kind of sin. God made a promise to those of us that are willing to set our lives up and live a clean, holy life before him. He says, you can come and ask me for anything and I'll do it. So I asked him and he showed up. Now then, three months later, when I was at her birthday party, I, at a birthday party, I asked her how she was doing and she, she's doing great, but she raised her bangs up and said, but I hate these two scars on my head. 
I looked and she had two huge scars all across where they had sewed up her head. I told her, I said, oh, Kelly, honey, Jesus, he don't want those scars on your head either, but he cannot take those scars off until a man of faith prays a prayer of faith for you. So I told her, I said, I'm going to stand on John 14, 13, and 14. Now, right after Jesus said in John 14, 12, that you can do greater things than I can in my name. That's an awesome statement from the king, isn't it, brother? But Jesus said that. Right after that, he says, so whatever you ask the Father in my name, I will do it for you. And he said that twice in the next two verses. He wanted to make sure you got it. So I quoted those two verses, and I asked the Father in the name of Jesus to take the scars off of Kelly's head. I said, now, Kelly, honey, you know you have to believe with no doubt in your heart. Oh, she said, Mr. Thurman, she said, if you prayed and you asked Jesus to do it, I know Jesus will do it. And he did. In 30 days, the scars were gone. So we got Kelly completely healed. She's running and playing back in school. Now we come back to day one with Caitlin. Caitlin, her brain pressure was 20. Her face is tore all to pieces. Her skull is crushed completely through. Five crushes in the back of her skull. Her brain stem is jerked loose. Her eyes are jerked out of her brain. Besides all the bones in the front and the face tore all to pieces and lacerated, the little lungs crushed, blood running out everywhere. The right knee is crushed and the left leg is broken right below the knee and right above the ankle. And the doctor says the pressure on her brain is 20 and it's impossible. This one cannot live. There's no way she can live. Now, who are you going to believe? You're going to believe the Lord. Well, we hope we do because most people don't. When they give you a bad report, I know almost no Christian that will stand on God's Word with no doubt in their heart. They will look at the conditions every time. And when they look at the conditions, that will get them just like it did Peter when he was trying to walk on the water. But if you believe with no doubt in your heart, he'll show up for you. So I quoted this magnificent promise of John 15, 7. In John 15, 7, Jesus said, if. Now, that's a big word. Do you know that? If, if my words remain in you and you remain in me, then you can ask me for anything you want and I will do it for you. He made that promise, didn't he, Nam? And since he's God, you think he's big enough to do what he said? Yes, he is. So I said, Father, in the name of Jesus, they've given me a lot of bad report on my little sweetheart my little three-year-old granddaughter. The doctor says there's no way she can live. Her brain stem is severed. They've done the MRIs. They've done two of them. And the eyes are jerked out of the brain. And the brain stem is severed. All the bones are crushed. And there is no way she can live, they say. But I said, I know with you in Luke 137, you said with you, God, nothing is impossible. And I believe that. So I said, Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to raise up my little sweetheart, my little granddaughter, and make her well. And Lord, I don't want her just normal. I want her supernatural. I want her to be faster than she ever was. I want her to be prettier than she ever was. And I want her to be perfect in the name of Jesus. You did say I could ask for anything, Dad. So I'm telling you what I want. And I said, I want to thank you for doing it because you said in 2 Corinthians 1.20 that all of your promises are yes and amen every time. You know that verse, didn't you? You've read that before. Praise God. 
See, when you learn the Word, you get to where you finally believe it one day. You've got to read it over and over and over and hide it in your heart. You've got to speak it over and over and over. And finally one day, it becomes a revelation to you that God really meant what He said. And so when you start calling Him in remembrance of His promises, then, you, but see, when you look at the circumstances of Caitlin laying there, what, do you, what would you think as the average Christian, where would you be in your faith if you looked down and that was your granddaughter or your child and they looked like that? What would you do? It'd be tough, wouldn't it, Mama? Be very tough. Well, it was tough on me too, but I knew I had to stand by faith if I wanted to see God do these wonderful things. So I stood by faith. I told him. I told the doctor. I said, I'm going to pray the prayer of faith and she'll be up out of here running and playing in a week. They laughed at me. Yeah, sure. Well, a week later, she still hadn't moved a muscle. And the doctor said, well, I said, she's still alive and I miss God's timing. I said, she will be supernatural and she will run and play, but I don't know what his time frame is and I don't know what's going on here, but I know his word's true and I know God can't lie to me and I know he can't fail me. No doubt in my heart. But then I found out. There was a little couple... I was out in the hall, standing out in the hall, and a little couple come up and with their mother and dad, and I'm standing there listening, and a doctor, two doctors walk up to them and said, Sir, your child, their grandson, and the child of this couple, which was only two months old, said, uh, we've just done a test on him, and it was 10 o'clock at night on Monday night, said the child is 95% brain dead said he'll be gone before morning. There's nothing we can do. So the doctors left. I walked up to the older couple and I said, did I just hear the doctor say your grandbaby is 95% dead? They said, yes. I said, are you a Christian? The man said, yes. I said, where do you go to church? He said, well, I'm a Baptist from Indiana. And he said, "Uh, but I'm an over-the-road truck driver and I don't hardly ever have time to go to church. I said, what a shame. The devil's going to kill your baby tonight because you don't know God's word. And I looked at the woman. I said, how about you, ma'am? She said, well, yeah, I'm a Christian. I said, you go to church? She said, no, my husband's never here. Now, see, the devil's deceived this couple. I looked at the little girl that was married to this young boy, and I said, "Uh, are you a Christian? She said, yes, but I don't go to church either. I looked at the boy. I said, how about you? He said, I believe in God. How many times do I hear that? I said, son, the devils believe in God and they tremble. But I said, you've got to believe in Jesus. I said, ain't do you no good to believe in God. I said, you've got to believe in Jesus. I spent the next 20 minutes explaining to the young man how to come to Christ. I led him to Jesus. He accepted Jesus standing right there. After he got saved, I said, now, son, you're never going to be in better shape for a miracle because when a man gets saved, he is redeemed from every sin he ever committed right there. He's washed in the blood, and you're never going to be cleaner than you are right now. I said, you're in a perfect place for a miracle from God. I said, where is your son? He said, he's in there in ICU. I said, would you take me in there? He said, yes. So him and his little wife took me in there. Here's a little tiny two-month-old baby laying there lifeless. 
not moving a muscle. I didn't even see anything breathing. He looked dead. And I walked up and I laid my fingers on that little stomach and I said, in Mark chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus said, lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. I reached up and I said, be healed in the name of Jesus. And then I took my fingers off and I remembered what Jesus said in, John, in James chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. He says, when you ask for something, you must ask in faith, nothing wavering. He said, if you waver, you're double-minded and unstable in all of your ways, and let not that man think he shall receive anything from the Lord. I've learned never to use that, if it be your will, God, will you heal him? Because there ain't no faith in that, and you will never see God do nothing when you put that phrase in there. I laid my fingers on that baby and said, be healed in the name of Jesus, and then turned to that young couple, and I said, I guarantee your baby will recover because Jesus made you a promise. It takes a man of faith to make a statement like that, doesn't it, young lady? I stayed till about 3 o'clock. That was 11 o'clock at night when I did that on Monday night. I stayed till about 2 or 3 in the morning. I went home and got 2 or 3 hours sleep, and then I came back and I got back to the center about 10 that morning. When I walked in to see Caitlin, the little girl come, Mr. Scrivener, will you come over here to my baby's room? I said, what did the Lord do for your baby? He said, you got to see this. I went over there, and he's laying there kicking. And she said, this morning when the doctors come in, he had pulled every tube out of himself, and he's two months old, and he's laying there squirming with nothing attached to him. And they said he's breathing normal, and he appears to be perfectly normal. She said, if this, we're going to take him up to a recovery room tonight. I mean, we serve an awesome Jesus, don't we, brother? So anyway, they took the baby up to recovery for one day, and the next day, Daddy, granddaddy had him in a little wagon. They're getting ready to go home. He'd went out and bought a little red wagon, put a big pillow in it, and they was pulling the little baby around the hospital, showing him off and telling everybody what Jesus had done for their child. I mean, everybody was hearing what God has done. Now, this guy that was a Baptist that didn't know nothing about God's Word, him and his wife are all excited about Jesus now. I mean, even a Baptist can get excited when Jesus shows up. <laughs> Praise the King. You know? I mean, I mean, even a Pentecostal can get excited when Jesus shows up. Even a Methodist can get excited when Jesus shows up, right? A Christian can get excited when Jesus shows up. So anyway, they're getting ready to go home the next day. And there's a woman coming to the hospital screaming. And this little boy said, ma'am. What's wrong with you? She said, my baby's just been shot in the park. And they say, they just told me he's not going to live. Six years old. He said, ma'am, you need to have this man pray for your baby. <laughs> See, he, he wasn't going to do it. He knew he didn't have the faith, but he knew somebody that did. He said, you need to have this man pray for your baby. said, yesterday they told us Isaac was going to die that night. And he prayed for him last night. And today we're going home. She said, sir, will you pray for my baby? I looked at her and I said, well, yes, but first I got to know something about you. She said, what do you mean? I said, young lady, I see you're pregnant. She said, well, what's that got to do with it? I said, maybe nothing and maybe everything. How, what do you mean? I said, are you married? 
No. I said, was that child in your womb conceived in wedlock or out of wedlock? Well, she said, out of wedlock. I'm living with a guy. See, we don't think that's wrong. But that puts you under a curse and your whole family under a curse. I said, that's why your baby got shot in the park. I said, you opened the door to the devil because of your sin of fornication. And I said, God told you not to do that and that's sin. And that's opened the door to the devil. And that devil has killed or shot your son. And I'm going to guarantee you, woman, if you don't repent, that baby's going to die tonight. Just like the doctor told you. I said, now you want that baby to live or die? She said, well, I want him to live. I said, then you're going to have to do what God told you to do. I said, you're going to have to repent and ask him to forgive you. I said, we serve the most gracious, awesome, merciful God you can ever imagine. But I said, if you will repent and make God a promise that you'll move out and you'll not go back to bed with that boy, never again until you marry him, I said, then I can pray for your son and then God will hear and then he will heal your baby. So she repented right there in the ICU waiting room in front of everybody. She said, Lord, I promise you. I said, okay, now we can go in there. I said, take me into where your son is. She took me in there. I walked in. Here's a nurse sitting there. I said, ma'am, is this boy going to live or die? She said, sir, I can't tell you anything. I said, I'm the pastor. I come to pray for the boy. I said, would you just nod your head? Do you think he's going to live? You know what that means, don't you? No. She couldn't tell me anything, but she nodded her head. I walked around to the little boy's head. That's about the only place I could get to him. There wasn't a bunch of tubes plugged in him. Went around to the head of the bed. I laid my head, my hands right here on his temples. Over, He's laying this way, and I laid my hands on the side of his temples. I said, Satan, your legal claim to this child is now gone. Mother has repented. I said, I command you in Jesus' name to come out of him. And I said, now, Father, according to Mark 16, 17, and 18, you told me to drive out the devil and lay hands on the sick, and they'll recover. Amen. So, see, I now realize that happens only after the devil's legal right is removed. Yes. You can only drive the devil out after his legal right's been removed through the repentance of sin. I told the young lady, I said, I guarantee this boy will live now. And I walked in, that girl, that, she, she, she had no idea... But two days later, she come to Caitlin's room as a nurse. She walked in. She said, sir, I don't know what it is about your prayers. She said, I knew that boy was going to die. There was no doubt in my heart. He was going to die within the next half hour. But she said, in a half hour, he was, his vital signs had so changed, I thought, this boy is going to live. And she said, in two hours, he was completely, perfectly normal, and everything was perfect. And she said, yesterday, we took him out of ICU and put him in a recovery room upstairs. She said, in another week, he'll be gone home. And he did go home in another week. And the boy completely recovered and is alive and well today. But see, sin, in other words, I didn't know what God was doing leaving me in that hospital. I didn't know why he was leaving Caitlin there. I didn't know what was going on. I thought, God, healer, let's get up and get out of here. But he said, no, you trust me. I've got a plan. There's several other babies in here that needs to be healed, and I need a man that knows what's going on to tell these mothers and daddies what's wrong so they can repent of their sins so I can heal them. And you're the one I've chosen to do it. Yeah. Wow. And so over the next 
over four weeks of total time, I prayed for many babies. But the next night, I was called out of Caitlin's room to pray for another one. When I was called out of the room and I went to this mother, a man came to the room and said, Sir, there's a little four-year-old boy out here that's dying. Would you come pray for this boy, four years old? I said, yes. So I went out there and I met with the mother and the grandmother. I said, what's wrong? She began to tell me. They told me my four-year-old is going to die tonight. I said, are you a Christian? She said, yes. And I said, grandmother, are you a Christian? She said, yes. And about that time, a man walks in. And he sits down and I ask her a few more questions. And he said, I need to see you outside. So I thought he was the grandfather or something. I didn't know who he was. I got up and went outside with him. And when he closed the door to ICU, he said, what you're doing here, you cannot do. I said, sir, I'm only trying to get this mother's baby healed. He said, you cannot do this in this hospital. He said, I, I said, what do you mean? I said, who are you? He said, I'm one of the chaplains. <laughs> I said, well, if you're a chaplain, let's go back in there and me and you mix our faith together and let's pray for that baby and get her, get him healed. He said, if you go back in there and pray for that child, I'm going to file a warrant for your arrest. In fact, he said, I'm going to call on my radio right now and have two armed guards come and remove you from this hospital. And he did. And two guys showed up with guns on their hips and says, are you the one we're supposed to remove? I said, first of all, I want to know what grounds you're going to use to remove me. And he said, well, the chaplain said you're creating a disturbance. I said, ask anybody in ICU. And they said, well, is this guy creating a disturbance? They all said, no, absolutely not. I said, are you two boys Christians? They said, yes. I said, I'm a Christian. And I said, so, you know, you you got the message in error. The guy that called you didn't know what he was talking about. And so they walked off. They said, obviously, we did get the message wrong. So they walked off and left me alone. Well, the next day, a lady came to me and said, would you come upstairs and pray for my boy? He's upstairs and he's having nightmares. He's dreaming somebody's trying to kill him at night when he's recovering. I said, sure. So I went up there. I met with the mother the next day. And I'm in the room telling the little boy. He's sweating. He says, Sir, when I go to sleep, he said, there's somebody, I have nightmares of somebody trying to kill me. I said, that's just the devil, son. I said, in Luke chapter 10, verse 19 and 20, Jesus made us an awesome promise. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on the devil and his demons. All power is given to you over the devil and his demons. They shall in no wise hurt you. He said, nevertheless, rejoice not in this, that those evil spirits have to be subject to you, but rather rejoice because your name's written in heaven. How much power, if you're walking in obedience to God's word, how much power do you have over the devil? All. 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 He has to obey you. So I walked in there knowing that I'm clean and pure before God. I walked in and walked right up to his bed and started to pray over him and rebuke the devil. And a guy walks in. And there was a suit and tie on. He said, I need to see you outside. I said, ma'am, do you know who this guy is? She said, no, I've never seen him before in my life. I said, I don't know who you are either. I said, I've come in here with this mother's request to pray for this child. I said, sir, you go outside and shut the door. And when I get through here, then I'll come out and talk to you. (laughs) So see, I knew I was in control. He walked out the door. I prayed for the little boy. 
I rebuked the devils of hell that was come in tormenting him. I made sure his mother's sins were all repented of and everything. I rebuked the devils of hell, which I have all power and authority over because Jesus told me I did. I don't have to put up with the devil. He has to be subject to me. And then I asked the Father in Jesus' name to send two of these great big beings of grandeur, magnificent warring angels, to stand on each side of that boy. And I said, you boys keep every spirit of hell out of this room in the name of Jesus. Now see, the angels have to be subject to you. The Word of God even says that the angels hearken to the Word of God spoken on the earth. And Paul told us that we will judge angels. So you tell your angel, you better do a good job for me because one day when I get home, I might be the one to judge you. So you better be good to me. I mean, that's what the Word says. But see, now they ain't going to obey you unless you're obedient to the Word. And when you're walking obedience to the Word, them big boys will be glad to obey you. These angels are awesome. Awesome guys, they are. Now then, angels are magnificent. They've been sent to watch over you. I see so many young people right here. i got to tell this story about just, just a little while back, we were in Oregon speaking, teaching, and I talked about angels, and then I've got a series back there on angels. And Oh, we didn't bring it? Okay, then you'll have to order it to get it. But it's two or three tapes and two or three, four CDs and everything, but I have an entire teaching and DVDs and everything on angels. And I talk about these big guys and what they'll do for us if we walk in obedience to God's Word. And these two little boys, one of them's 11 years old and one of them's 7 years old and they're brothers. Now, they had a farm and their daddy was not saved. He was lost. The mother was saved. They came to the teachings and then they got the teachings about angels. And they listened to those and they listened carefully and they heard what God was telling them through these tapes. And so their daddy sent them out to, he had a 100-gallon stainless steel water tank. Now, 100 gallons of water weighs 850 pounds by itself. And then the tank weighs another 100, so you're borderlining on 1,000 pounds. Now, I don't know two big, healthy 25-year-olds that can lift 1,000 pounds. Do you? No. But this little 11-year-old and 7-year-old, when Daddy says, y'all go empty the water out of that tank, we're going to move it into another stall, they thought they could tilt it up on edge and take the water out. Well, they found out they couldn't. And so then they thought, well, we'll put a lever under it with a block and we can tilt it up that way. But they found out they couldn't budge it there either. They didn't wasn't near as strong as they thought. So the 11-year-old told the 7-year-old, said, Brother, remember what Pastor Thurman said? He said he calls on angels to help him. And he said, God is no respecter of persons. We know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We're walking in obedience to his word. He said, Father, in the name of Jesus, send us an angel. He said, Angel, you help us turn this water tank over and empty the water out. I said, Thank you, Lord, for sending the angel. Angel, thank you for helping. He said, Little brother, you get on that side, I'll get on this side. And that 11 and 7-year-old tilted that water tank right up on its edge and all the water poured out. Daddy is standing over there watching this, and he don't believe what he sees. (laughs) That woman called me personally and said, you never have any idea the impact that had on my husband when my two sons believe what you taught from God's Word. And now that angel showed up for them that day because Daddy knows that 11-year-old, 7-year-old couldn't possibly turn that tank over by themselves, but he watched them pick it up and turn it over by themselves. They couldn't see the angel but they could see the boys. Now, see, when you learn that, 
You don't ever have to be afraid of nothing, kids. If you walk in obedience to God's Word, and you do what He says, love your the Lord your God with all your heart, and, and be obedient to your parents, and do what God says. Anytime somebody tries to do something to you, call on that angel. Have him help you. He will. You know, but you've got to be walking in love for it to happen. Well, these boys did that. And God showed up there. Those angels are awesome. But we come back to the room, and this guy, when I walked out after I sent these angels and commanded us angels to keep this little boy safe, that little boy never had another nightmare, never had another dream. In a few days, he's out of the hospital, and he goes home with no more torment because I sent angels to protect him. Well, I walked outside, and there's this guy, and he's got another guy with him, a guard with a gun. And I says, uh, and what can I do with you guys? And he said, well, I need you to go up to my office. I said, who are you? He said, I'm the head chaplain here. Isn't this, isn't this awesome? It, this is a true story now. This ain't some lie. This is a true story. Really happened. Happened to me. I didn't hear it secondhand. It happened to me. So I go up to the next floor and go in his office. And he locks the door when we go in. The guard goes in with us. And he puts his finger in my face. He said, you pray for another child in this hospital. I'm going to file a warrant for your arrest. I'm going to have you removed. And I'm going to bar you from this hospital. And you will not even be allowed to come back and see your granddaughter. I said, I looked at him and I said, are you a Christian? He said, yes. I said, what is your God's name? Jehovah. I said, but is his son's name Jesus? He said, that is none of your business. I said, now I know what I'm dealing with. The devil. I'm serious, folks. That's what I'm dealing with. The devil is in that head chaplain. He had control of him. So you don't have any idea where the devil is. You know, the devil is in the church. He's in a lot of us. You know, we got these evil spirits because when we sin, we pick these beasts up. And if you don't repent of every sin and get God to cleanse your heart, you'll be able to carry some of these things all of your life. And then later in life, they will kill you. They'll bring you down with sickness, disease, cancer, and everything else. They will kill you when you sin. You open the door to these big boys and they come in and kill you. Some of them little guys, but the little ones can torment you. Just like the little ones I had in my feet. All those years, they tormented a fool out of me. I had no idea that athlete's foot was a demon until God told me. But I cast it out and got healed. Never had it since. But I learned a lot of things through that. So I didn't understand demons, but I understand them a whole lot better now. I know who they are. So anyway, whenever the guy told me not to, I couldn't pray for anybody, I said, do you have a business card? He said, yes, I do. I said, I want it. And so he reached in his pocket and handed me one. Oh, Steve something. I don't remember what his last name was, but I'll never forget his first name, Steve. And I said, by the way, I want to write down your badge number on the back of this card. He said, what are you going to do? I said, I know Jesus, and I'm taking you two guys to the throne of grace, and I'm going to turn you over to God. I said, I don't know what he's going to do with you boys, but he's going to do something, I guarantee He told me, he said, you pray for another child in this hospital and you see what I'm going to do. I said, no problem. I'm not the least bit afraid of you. I got up and I said, unlock that door. I'm going out. 
And so they unlocked the door, and I walked out, and I walked, walked down there to the elevator, and I went down from the fifth floor to the second floor where I see you. I'm walking down the corridor, and a lady comes running out there, and she said, Sir, would you go, are you Thurman Scrivener? I said, Yes, ma'am. She said, Would you go to my son's room and pray for him? He's very sick. I said, No, ma'am. I won't go to the room. I want to stand right here in the middle of this corridor where all these cameras are. I'm going to raise my hands. I'm going to rebuke that devil, and I'm going to pray for your son, and God's going to heal him from right here. I said, there's no distance in the spirit world, but I want everybody in Cook's Medical Center, everywhere there's a monitor, to see me with my hand raised, praying in the name of Jesus for this boy. And so I did. I prayed for that boy. And then as I started doing this, more and more people I've ever, I mean, then that second Monday when we were there, Dr. Marks come in and he said, "Uh, I need a meeting with the family. Okay. So we go in a room, we sit down, he says, I don't know how this little girl's lived this last week. I just don't know how. He said, but this morning I'd just done another MRI on her. And he said, there's nothing attached to her brain. I said, nothing. He said, no, nothing. I said, you're telling me that the brain stem's separate? Yes. You're telling me the eyes are disconnected? He said, yes. Now, this is a week after I've been praying. They're still disconnected. He said, so we need to unplug her and just let her go on. I said, she's not going to die. He said, oh, yes. He said, when we unplug her, there's nothing to tell her to breathe or move or cough. He said, she will die when we pull the breathing machine off of her. I said, there's no way she can die because I've got God on my side. No way. Now, see, this is where your faith is put to the test. The finest doctor there is that just on an MRI and tells you there's nothing attached to that brain. Nothing. The average person says, I miss God. No, he's putting you to the test. You didn't miss him. You haven't passed your test yet. But I'm still working on my test. And so I'm telling him, there's no way she can die. She will live. I said, Dr. Marks, are you a Christian? He said, no, I'm a Jew. I said, good. My Jesus was a Jew. And I said, you're going to see a Jewish doctor do the best work you've ever seen in your life. I guarantee it. He said, well, I hope you're right. I said, see, therefore you're wrong again. You only go to hope. But I said, you don't stop at hope. You take that next step, which is faith. And when you go to faith, that's what calls God on the scene. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Hebrews 11, 6. So, he said, well, we'll unplug her one day this week and we'll find out. So, Thursday comes. I'm down at the room praising God, worshiping the king, calling God in remembrance of all these wonderful promises and praising him that Caitlin is completely well. Her face now is almost completely recovered without a scar. I mean, in two weeks, full time, it was fully recovered without one single scar. Her face healed and every bone went back in place in her eyes. Every one of them, not a single surgery and not a single scab formed on her face. The skin grew back in two weeks and it looked like it had never been damaged in two weeks. That's what I said too, Diane. Praise the Lord. But that Thursday morning, Dr. Davis, a beautiful doctor, Christian doctor lady, walked up and she said, Mr. Scrivener, You are the only man I've ever seen in my life that refuses to accept reality. I said, ma'am, 
You live in the five physical senses of reality. But I step into another world. It's called the world of faith. And I said, if you step out of reality into the world of faith, nothing's impossible there because that's where God lives. She said, we're going to unplug her. I said, she will die. I said, I'm going to guarantee you she's not going to die because I got this magnificent book and this book cannot fail me. Now, all the doctors and nurses showed up, a whole room full of them. I said, I want to read y'all one more time a promise out of God's word. I said, Jesus made me a promise in John 15, 7. He said, if my words remain in you and you remain in me, you can ask me anything and I will do it. And I said, I believe him. I said, so I'm going to guarantee y'all when you unplug her, she's not only going to breathe on her own, but she's going to breathe over the machine on her own, and she's going to cough, I guarantee it, in Jesus' name. And they all looked at me thinking, this guy is completely crazy. And so they started unplugging her, just taking everything off, disconnecting it. And the little machine they left on to tell what her breathing rate was, it didn't go down to zero like they thought. It went up two points, and she's breathing normal two points above what the machine was doing on her own. And they're standing around watching, waiting for this thing to go. But it didn't. And all of a sudden she says, and the doctor said, she coughed. She can't do that. I thought, isn't that amazing? We see her do it, and we say she can't. Well, they all stood around her bed for an hour. And in that hour, she must have coughed at least three or four times. And every time she would cough lightly, the doctors would say, she can't do this. And after about an hour, I said, I'm going to tell you all why you don't never get to see God do nothing. He is a faith God, and he expects you to believe him first. And then he shows up. And so they all left in amazement. In amazement. Well, then at the end of the full two weeks, that's when Caitlin's face was completely healed without a scar. Everything was back to normal. She looked like a beautiful, normal little girl, except she's not moved. Now, I still don't know what God's doing. I don't have a clue that I'm not putting this together yet that all these babies he's bringing me to pray for, I'm getting them all healed. But before this thing is over, when we go home, there are seven other babies that I know of, and there might have been others, but I know of seven that were, that were on their deathbeds, that when I got the parents to repent, were miraculously healed by God. Seven other children. And then Kelly and Caitlin. And then I prayed for several others that I don't know what happened. So how, who knows what God really did? But in the course of the, after the first week, about Wednesday or Thursday of the second week, I'm going home at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning like I always do. I stay real late, and then I try to go home, sleep 2 or 3 hours or 4 or whatever, and then I come back. That second week, I'm walking out of the hospital down a corridor with nobody in it at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. And a guy overtakes me and walks right up beside me, and I turn to see who he is, and it looks like a normal man, about 5'10", about 160 pounds. And I turn to look at him, and he's looking me right in the eye. He said, the Lord said to tell you, 
He loves you. And I'm startled. I, I'm, I'm try, I stop. He just keeps right on walking. I watch him walk out of sight around the corner. I thought, wonder who that is. I've never seen this guy before. Well, the next week I pray for some more babies. And about Wednesday or Thursday, one night I'm going home. And also in the middle of the night, and all of a sudden another guy overtakes me. Different guy. About the same size. And I look, so I'm look at him, and he's looking at me right now. And he says, the Lord said to tell you, he loves you. I, I'm startled again. Well, the fourth week, it happened a third time. I'm only about 10 feet from the end of the corridor when I, this guy tells me that, and I look and he says, the Lord said to tell you he loves you. He just keeps on walking. I thought, I'm going to find out who this guy is. Different guy, every time. I run to the end of the corridor, and he just turned around, and it's at least 50 feet long with no doors on either side, and there's nobody in the corridor. He's gone. That's when I knew these were angels that the king of the universe was sending to me to tell me, although I was being put to the greatest test of my life, that he was there and that he loved me. But he told us he loved us in his word, didn't he? But it sure was nice when he showed up with something I could see and tell me that. Well, we took Caitlin home. She got to where she could breathe on her own. We took her home. She couldn't eat. She had a, had a little, uh, there was a valve in her throat that wouldn't work. I really didn't know that. I hadn't been praying for that. But we had to take her home. They had a plug in her stomach, and they gave us a pump and everything. And Dr. Mark said, we'll build her a wheelchair, a motorized wheelchair, and you'll have a wheelchair. Maybe, said she's able to move a little, so maybe someday she'll be able to ride around in a wheelchair. I said, don't make it. She's never going to ride in a wheelchair. She's not going to ride in one. I mean, she's going to run and play. You've got to think like God if you want to see him show up and do big things for you. You've got to stop thinking like man. So we go home, and I take her little body, and I set her up in the bed, and I speak to that body according to Mark eleven twenty three, and I command that body to be strong and able to set up on its own. And I turn her loose, and she falls down in the bed. Well, I don't quit. I pick her up, and I do that over and over and over until she can set up. Then I take her out of the bed and stand her up. And command her legs to be strong until she can stand up. It took hours and days to get this done. And then I commanded her to walk and then to run. And she got to where she could walk and run and everything, do all those wonderful things. In fact, after she got to where she could walk, there was a, uh, I guess it had been two or three weeks we'd been home. They sent a therapist out there. And a little therapist came out and she said, uh, I've come out from Cook's Medical Center to give Caitlin some therapy. And uh, she said, could I see her? I said, sure. I said, she, that's her sitting there on the couch. <laughs> she looked at this report. She said, sir, according to this report, that can't be Caitlin. I said, ma'am, don't you think I know who my own grandbaby is? <laughs> this report says her brain stem severed. I said, it used to be, but it's not anymore. She said, there's no surgery in the world can put back a brain stem. I said, ma'am, Jesus can, and he don't even have to make an incision to put it back. I said, he can do the best surgery in the world. I said, he, don't, he can do anything you can believe him for. So she got Caitlin down. She played with her a few minutes, and then all of a sudden she said, can I come back tomorrow? I said, sure, honey, come back anytime you want to. She brought several of her girlfriends from the hospital with her the next day and said, you girls got to see this. And so they all looked at her, and they looked at the report. They also could hardly believe 
that Caitlin was walking and all the things she was doing, but she was. Well, anyway, we continue on, and a few days later, a few weeks later, she's still totally blind. I hadn't got her eyes back yet. So we opened a brand new Baptist church that I still was a member of at the time. We had no pastor, but we had built a brand new sanctuary that holds about four or 500 people, and we had a full church that Sunday, January the 6th of 2002. So I called a meeting after the church. I said, any, I had 400 people there that day, and I said, anybody that wants to come this afternoon and pray with me and Caitlin, I said, we're going to bring her up here at 2 o'clock this afternoon in this sanctuary, and we're going to ask God to do the greatest miracle that we're going to ever believe we're going to see in this sanctuary, and that's open the eyes of my granddaughter. But I said, if you don't believe God will do what he promised he'll do in his word, I said, I don't want you to show up. I don't want nobody in this place except you believe God's word. Well, out of 400, 30 of them showed up. That's pretty good in a Baptist church. I was really amazed. But 30 showed up, and about 10 of the other rest that we came, and we prayed over her for two hours, and three weeks later, her little eyes were opened. And today she can see, and she can run and play and do everything. Now then, i got one little thing left, the valve in her throat. So I take Mark 11:24. Now Mark 11:24 makes you this promise: Whatever you desire when you pray, believe you've received it, and you sh- and it shall be yours. Is that awesome? But now Jesus made me that promise. But I learned on this little encounter, you have to do it exactly His way. Now all kinds of people tell me. We'll do God my way. But I'm telling you, your way don't never work with God. Only his way works. And I've learned that about God. And he is no respecter of persons and he never changes his mind for nobody. If he said it in the word, you're going to do it his way or you don't get it. I was walking in all the obedience I knew. And I claimed that verse, Mark 11:24. I asked the Father in Jesus' name to restore that little valve in her throat where we could take that plug out of her stomach. I stood on that word. I praised him and thanked him and worshipped him for fixing that little valve in her throat where he said, whatever you desire, well, I desire the valve work. When you pray, believe you've received it and it shall be yours. That's what the word says. Exactly what it says. Well, I prayed and thanked him for it and we took her back to the doctor in two months and the doctor checked it and it don't work. I thought, how did I miss this? How did this thing not work? I said, the word says it's got to work. The doctor said, well, check it again. But they did. He said, it don't work. Okay, we go home and I say, Lord, did I sin somewhere? What did I do wrong? Because see, he says, I won't hear the prayer of a sinner, right? Psalm 66, 18 and John 9, 31. God does not hear the prayer of a sinner. So I repented of everything known and unknown. And then I prayed again, and I thanked him and worshipped him for two months. And we take him back to the doctor, take her back to the doctor at the end of two months, and they check it again, and it still don't work. Now, we go through this scenario over and over and over five times for ten months. Ten months. At ten months, the doctor said, it ain't never going to work. I said, I do not receive that curse in the name of Jesus. I said, I don't know where I've missed it. But the problem's never with God. Do you know that? The problem's always with us. I went home and I said, Lord, I don't know what I've done wrong. I know I've missed it. 
somewhere. I've stood on your word, but it does not work. I said, I don't know what I've done wrong, but something I, I have sinned somewhere. Because sin is the only thing that separates me from God. I repented of every sin known and unknown. I said, now, Father, in the name of Jesus, I'm coming to you on behalf of Mark 11:24. You said, whatever I desire, when I pray, believe I've received it, and it shall be mine. And I, I mean, now, I read that verse over and over and over for two weeks. I must be an extremely slow learner. Anybody has to read one verse two weeks before it gets revelation. There's something wrong. But it took me two weeks. At the end of two weeks, God revealed to me what I'd done wrong. You know what my sin was? I didn't believe the word. He said, you don't believe it. I said, God, I do believe it. He said, no, you don't. You're not doing what I told you. I go back to work. He says, whatever you desire. Okay, now what do I desire? For the valve to work. He says, when you pray, believe. Now, when was I believing? That after I see a doctor, tell me it works. He says, when you pray, believe you have received and it shall be yours. Uh-oh. So I repented and said, God, I'm sorry that I didn't do it your way. It didn't work when I did it my way, but now we're going to do it your way. Now, this is what's going to put you to the test. This is my only grandbaby at this time. I only had one then. Praise God, i got two more now. But at that time, I had one. Now, the daughter brought her into the world. Ain't never going to bring another in because she died with her mother. But my son now has gotten married since then, and they've got two babies in the last four years. But anyway, I repented for my sin of unbelief. I prayed that prayer one more time, and I thank God that the vow worked. Then I walked over to her house. I told her daddy, I said, Toby, God's waiting on you and me. I prayed this morning, repented of my sins, and now then that I prayed, repented of my sins, and prayed and asked him to fix the valve, I said, I guarantee it works. He says, what do you mean? I said, let's feed her. He said, we just got back from the doctor two weeks ago, and he checked it and said it don't work. I said, it didn't work two weeks ago. It didn't work earlier this morning. But I said, I just prayed. And right now, Jesus said, whatever I desire, when I pray, believe I have received it, and it shall be mine. He said that, didn't he? Would that put you to the test, ma'am? Yes, it did me too. But I said, now let's feed her. I said, you got anything here? He said, well, I've got some applesauce. I said, open some of it and put it in a bowl. And he did. I said, you got anything to drink? He said, I got a little orange juice. I said, pour a little bottle of it. And he did. And I said, Caitlin, honey, come in here. So she was in the bedroom playing. She come running in there. I said, honey, jump up in that chair and sit down and eat that applesauce and drink that bottle of orange juice for granddaddy. What if I'm wrong? What's fixing to happen to her? What did the doctor say? Don't give her a bite to eat or drink by mouth because if you do, it's going to run directly into her lungs and it's going to kill her. What if I'm wrong? Will this put you to the test? Yes, it'll put anybody to the test. But she crawled up there in that chair and sat down. I had prayed upon the word of the living God. 
believing him with no doubt in my heart, and she ate that whole bowl of applesauce and drank about half of that bottle of juice and jumped down and run, and she's been eating and drinking normal ever since. The word really works, brother. Now I can sigh a sigh of relief. Last week, as she's now eight years old, and she's the fastest girl in the second grade. The doctor wanted to do surgery the first week after she could breathe in the hospital on her knee. He come in and said, I never dreamed this little girl was going to live. But he said, now that it appears she's going to live, we need to do surgery on the right knee. It's crushed. I said, oh, no, we don't want you to do no surgery on the knee. He said, sir, if I don't do surgery on that knee and put some pins and screws in that knee, that little girl will never walk again. I said, you put pins and screws in it. Number one, you're going to charge us a whole lot of money to do that. And number two, she's going to have to have it done again as that little leg grows. And I said, if I just trust Jesus, he'll fix it, and it won't never need a problem ever. And he thought I was an absolute fool, but I would not let him touch that knee. And today, that knee is perfectly normal, and that little girl is running and playing and can outrun any girl in the second grade. In fact, last week when Grandma and I were out at my son's place of business, they had, my son has one of those 24 foot rock wall deals that you may have seen some of those are a semi-circle and they got little rocks sticking out on them and they got a cable that comes over the top and three kids at a time can climb this rock wall and they put a harness around them, you know, and then hook this hook in them and this cable, they clip it and they climb and that way if they fall, you know, the cable catches them and glides them down slowly to the ground. We sat there and watch her climb that thing. She climbed that thing so many times all the way to the top and set off the arm till she had to have band-aids in the palms of her hands. <laughs> Cheryl said, we got to take some pictures of that and put that on the website. 24 feet, 24 feet straight up, she climbed that little, an eight-year-old girl. The doctor said, she'll never move. She'll never breathe. She can't live. But the Word of God proved them all wrong. Do we serve the most awesome king in the universe? What can the king do? Anything you can believe him for after you repent of sins. That's the secret. He wants to do it for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I know tonight we've gone way past time. But Lord, that's okay. Lord, we're here to glorify you and to tell the wonderful things that you have done. You're a mighty God. And we worship you and praise you and thank you for all the wonderful things you've done for all these people this week since we've been up here. We thank you, Lord. We know that we didn't do nothing except tell them about you and your word and you've done all the rest. And if there's been anybody's life changed, you've done it with your Holy Spirit. I thank you, Father, for the privilege to serve you and to worship you and praise you. And Lord, I ask you to use everyone in this room, all of us, in a mightier way tomorrow than you did today that we might bring people into the kingdom. We might get people saved. We might tell people that they're sick because of sin and to stop sinning and to get holy before God and then pray and kick the devils out of them and get them healed in the name of Jesus. Lord, thank you for healing your people and saving your people and delivering them. And thank you, Father, for this precious, wonderful trip we've had. And Lord, thank you. I just want to praise you and worship you for everything you do and for being our king. In Jesus' name, we worship you and praise you. Amen.